Coquid Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Murphy, Alan Huffman, Amigos Retro Gaming, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donaghy, Brian Weasler, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunct, Michael Pitsley, Rick Eulin, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Rob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., Tim Lindner, Tom Heron, and Tony C. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Leader, designer of TRS 80 Color Baseball. And you're listening to Coco Talk. Yeah. This is Coco Talk. The world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Good afternoon and happy 4th of July weekend to everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Coco Talk, where we are going to talk about everyone's favorite processor, the 6502. Are you ready? All right, we are here. Retro Innovation says, "Yay, sixty-five oh two talk." Yeah, somebody's he's going to be so disappointed. Somebody's ears perked up there, right? In the live chat, Karen Anscombe got the first chat of the day uh, recognition. Then we have Kevin Holloway, Nick Morota, Jim Rye, David Craker, Retro Innovations, Jim Rye, Retro Innovations, sixty. All right. <laughs> so it's like it says, if we're doing 6502, the show's going to be two hours longer now, right? So <laughs> and done in very uh, tiny little chunks. Oh, and then, uh, Mark Bosley says, I thought the 4004 was the best. Okay. Yeah, we're really dating ourselves now. Uh, welcome, everybody. Welcome, panel. Happy 4th of July weekend. Uh, the day we celebrate our treasonous Brexit of 1777. Uh, we don't need no stinking tea. We don't need no stinking Texas. So here we are. On the panel, we have our foreign correspondent, L. Curtis Boyle. Hello, L. Curtis. 
And happy long weekend for Canadians celebrating our uh, July 1st day where we became independent through a much calmer method than you Or was it did. 1776? I think I'm off by a year as Retro Innovations is questioning my history. <laughs> it was a 17... Listen, it's it's all a blur. You know what I mean? Uh, those were some crazy times. Yeah. Uh, give or 1867 for us. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, okay. And then we have our Apple guy. No, no, excuse me. Not our Apple, but our Atari guy is here. Sloopy Malibu. How you doing, Sloopy? Greetings. I'm doing all right. Feeling much better. So you'll see me a little bit more nowadays. All right. The world will rejoice. And we have from sunny Arizona, Ron Delvaux is with us. Hello, Ron. He's muted, but that's okay. And then we have Rick Euland. Hey, Rick. Howdy, folks. Rick recently gave us our second Operating Systems 9 write-up for the Glenside newsletter. Thank you for that, Rick. Name so nice, we must say it thrice, but we'll hit the soundboard once. It's none other than... Nick Marona. How you doing, Nick? Hello, good day. Your hair is looking luxurious, as oh, always. thank you. Uh, yeah, Ontario, it's going to be a crime to get it trimmed. It will. <laughs> and then we have Mark Bosley in the house. The, Hello. The backup streamer. Thank you for doing that last week. John Boat of Car Schaller from Amigos Retro Gaming is here. Hey, John. How are you? Hey. Glad to be here, guys. Nick, I must say your hair is uh, soft and luxuriant. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Fabulous. And last but not least. Oh, Rocky. It's Nicholas Morentis. Hello, Nick. Hello, world. Hello, hello. <laughs> All right, so we're here. It is a holiday weekend, so hopefully everybody's got better things to do than the Watch This Crap Show. But for those of you who are here, thank you, and we're sorry. And we do have Game On results. We've got news. We'll probably have some product updates and acquisitions, maybe some other information, some teasers on upcoming guests and upcoming shows. Scott Cooper has joined us. Hey, Scott Cooper, how you doing? Um, I don't know what plans everybody has for the holiday weekend. Anybody planning on blowing stuff up tonight? Anyone? Anyone? Nobody lighting up things that make noise or shoot in the sky? No? Yeah, I'm going to go see a bunch of fireworks put off. Okay. Right. Rocky Hill has joined us. Hey, Rocky, how you doing? It's Pedro, right? My, yeah. my neighbor down in my jammy. Um, I'll just get on that turnpike and be there in like three hours if I leave now. Uh, Rocky. Uh, excellent, excellent, excellent. Uh, so, yeah, so tonight is the night, or is it tomorrow? Today's the third, right? So actually tomorrow is, is the fourth. So tomorrow night's the night everybody blows stuff up, right? Drinking beer, shooting stuff up in the sky, lighting stuff on fire. It's all good. Um, America. Yeah, ours was Thursday. So. America. Cause America, right? Where we blow stuff up. That's how we celebrate. We blow it up real good. Yeah, we blow it up politely up here. That's our one difference. Yes. Yeah. Maybe and... we shoot at fireworks, sir. <laughs> oh, is that is that sparkler a little too bright? We're sorry. <laughs> Let me turn it down for you, eh? So great show last week, guys. I listened all the way through the interview with um with our with our guest Stefan. A great interview. Um, really love that. It's about as far as I got in listening to the replay. But um, thanks for doing that. Thanks for for Stefan for being here. And sorry I couldn't make it. But uh, that was cool. Good show. I'm glad that. Uh, you, uh, thanks for doing that for us, Mark B. Despite I was the punishment, uh, you had to glue it all back together. Nah, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Thanks for doing that. We, I'll we teach appreciate you to take you. a day off. That's it. All right. So we've covered the, uh, you know, the formalities. How are we doing? What are we doing? All that kind of stuff. So how about we jump into the um, 
the show part of the show, and we'll get into Nick Marota's favorite part, anyways, of uh, the, the game news. On okay, challenge, I'm ready. No, I'm game on challenge. Hey, Eric Canales has joined us. There, Eric, how are you? Um, so we do not have a new and improved um, Coco thoughts from Samuel Gaim. So there's no song parodies. Sorry, Ron Delvo. I know that's going to break your it's heart. Okay, man. Yeah. Um, so, but I do have um, from the vast array of content. I do have a best of. I picked. Uh, I picked a clip that uh, that I enjoyed from uh, Coco Thoughts this week. Erico Monterio is here. Hello, Erico. How are you? So let's go ahead. Chris Procher from the Dragon Community is here. Hey, Critch. Uh, hello, everyone from Wales. Good to see you, Chris. So we're going to look at a, a Coco Thoughts, and then we're going to see uh, what, what game we played there. Tim Holleran is here. The people are just showing up. Uh, thanks for showing up. Yeah, we started, but we're glad you're here. Excellent. All right, let's see what that deep thinker, Samuel Gimes, has been thinking about. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. I was trying to make some copies of discs, but the garden weasel kept tearing the magnetic media. Where's David Ladd when you need him? All right, so... You forgot to grease his garden weasel first. That's That's the problem there. Nick... Marota, are you ready for the results of this week's Game On Challenge? I am. All right, well, let's see what they were. Here we go. High Score Challenge Welcome to the results of this week's Game On Challenge. The game was Pac-Man Transcode. There were 18 participants, and the scores were... As follows. Rick Yu, 4,490. Tom C, 4,530. Bob and Coco, 6,030. Mark B, 7,550. Jim Rye, 11,380. Rich N, 12,650. David Craker, 14,280. Sloopy Malibu, 14,530. Gary M, 15,170. Karen, did I spell results wrong? 15,180. Yeah, that's Canadian okay. Retro okay. Things, 18,850. Mr. Dave, 6309, 18,950. L. Curtis Boyle, 20,830. Graham Vebke, 21,540. Paul Shoemaker, 25,780. Nick Marota, Nick Marota, Nick Marota, 31,780. Buck Owens, 41,120. And the number one score this week goes to none other than Tasman with a chomping good score of 80,300 points. Thanks, everybody, who played this week, and we look forward to seeing you on next week's game. Boom, there we go. Tasman, good job. Good job, Tasman. 18, uh, so the results this week, apparently I did a typo on that, huh? This this <laughs> yeah. week's results were as follows. Uh, excellent, excellent. Good game? Yeah. yeah. Hey, can I make a shout-out real quick? Sure thing. I want to shout-out to uh, Pedro Pena because he spent all day trying to get uh, VCC working on his uh, machine and wasn't able to submit a score until late, but he eventually got it working. Okay. Oh, good. Good job, Excellent. Pedro. 
so we look forward to seeing Pedro in uh, in upcoming challenges, and that's great. So yes, Tim Allen says great score. That was a great score uh, by uh, Tasman for sure. So um, all right, so my screen should be sharing. Yep. You uh, we see you. All right. So once again, Canadian Retro Things uh, sent us a uh, gameplay video with a, a few slight little glitches that happened later on because it's Coco 3 overheated um, with the with the heat, and he's got the old-style 512K RAM, which he thinks is... Uh, Nothing can of Freon can't take care of. Ask Rick Adams about that. So anyway, so thanks, Canadian Retro Things. Check out his channel for uh, retro content. So yeah, this is Pac-Man, you know, king of all video games, uh, arguably. Um, and this transcode, of course, is using the arcade ROM, so it is... Uh, uh, Allegedly arcade perfect. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say allegedly, but there were a couple of things that people noted. Um, patterns that they were used to didn't work, and the hiding spots that people used were, were not working cons consistently. But you have a theory to that. Um, you have a theory for that, uh, Curtis. Yeah, well, I do know that there were some revisions to the ROMs even in the arcade because they discovered people discovered these patterns or discovered the safe places news. They weren't getting enough quarters in the machines then. So I know they did some revisions a little bit later on to make the game a bit harder. And I'm wondering if Glenn Hewlett, the author of the transcode, might have grabbed one of the later ROMs to base this version on. And maybe that's why. I'm not super familiar with what versions of the ROMs were and what the changes were. So I'm hoping Glenn, if he hears this, can you know follow up with us a little bit later, uh, maybe next week or so, and, and let us know if that's maybe what happened. Because, yeah, a few people like Buck Owens, he said he's quite used to the arcade patterns. And he said they weren't working for him at all on, on this one. So I always just free free floated. I don't. I didn't memorize patterns for Pac-Man even back in the day. I just winged it. Um, no, I, I will get. We'll get into a bit of discussion of this a little bit later here. But I know a couple of us had problems with playing this on real hardware with real joysticks. We'll get into in a bit here but uh yeah i suspect it might be a rom revision that caused the, the well i remember when when glenn was developing this and he was blogging about it and showing videos of the work in progress he was doing a lot of stuff with the debugger to look at what the arcade machine was doing and what the coco was doing and there were also some very slight timing differences where he ran both of them side by side um the coco ends up being like a fraction of a frame behind over time and so I don't know if just a slight timing issue over time would affect how some of the algorithms work and whatnot. You know what I mean? So that's a possibility. Well, I do know there were different revisions because I had one of those books back in the day of how to break a million at Pac-Man, and um, it, one of the things actually said, you know, watch. You have to watch the uh, the uh, game demo mode, and to be able to tell which version of the ROM the uh, mm. the game has. So they definitely did upgrade the ROM. So it does sound plausible. Yeah, plus something like the safe spot shouldn't change on the timing because that was supposed to be safe no matter what. Yeah. And if that's disappeared, then obviously that's a ROM change. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the ghost patterns are based on, and, and Nick, I think you know some of the history of this too, Nick Marentes. Um, but I believe that there was like certain spots that the program would look for. And if the player went through a certain spot, a ghost would change a direction or something like that. Mm, there's, actually, there's actually a really excellent article online I read that explained all four ghosts' um, AI. And they basically each target a different square. One targets like right in front of Pac-Man, one targets one square and up over from Pac-Man and something like that. So it's pretty interesting read if you can find it, if you're really into Pac-Man. So to was... Steve's theory, if, if, if the timing is slightly off, 
and like the ghosts are a little bit behind then a pattern may not work just based on that because it might be looking you know either pac-man's a couple pixels over or something from that target zone you're talking about because of the timing difference so the pattern may not perfectly work because it might be checking at a slightly different time to see you know where it's targeting to i gotta say it's a it's a it's a uh, stunning achievement though to pull this off Oh yeah, you know, to get it running as good as it is, and I like the idea that he chose to, because the screen is taller, then rather than trying to squish it down, just to kind of pan through it, and it's such a um, such a subtle effect that it's not distracting from the game. It just almost seems to be so intuitively, um, this makes sense, you know, that kind of smooth hardware scroll to pan through the the vertical tallness of the game and it works good for a game like this because you are kind of navigating the maze a little bit you know yep see i found the opposite i, I it took me a little bit to get used to that it just it kept throwing me off i don't know mm. why it, it, after a few plays i got used to it and it was fine but uh just i guess because i don't play games that bounce up and down like that that often I'm just yeah not used to it. so i think what a lot of other um ports that did this and to adapt it to the four by three screen is they would just take the whole scoreboard up top and then to shove that off to the right hand side where they would have the you know, a scaled down tall maze on the left side of the screen and on the right hand side of the screen, you would have things like your number of lives and your score and stuff like that. So they kind of just um, partition some of the uh, information. Um, but yeah, that's what Nick did with his tribute. Yeah. Yeah. But I kind of like this that um, you know, this is the game, you know. Yep. I, I find it kind of amazing to the Coco because we've got Nick's original, you know, tribute to the game, which is done as close to the arcade as, as possible at the time. And you did that back in 97, I think it was. And now we yeah. have the official transcode. So we have two of some of the best Pac-Man clones on an 8-bit system ever done, both on the Coco Street. Well, we need to get John's uh, opinion on that because I think John might argue that uh, an Atari 8-bit might have a better version out there or something. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, you got the best Donkey Kong too. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take Donkey King over Lancer or Buzzard Bait. So. Oh jeez, <laughs> Pegasus man, all the way. Yeah. I did look through some of the original Pac-Man games for the Coco, and I just couldn't uh, with the Pac-Man transcode existing. I just couldn't. Uh, I gotta say, uh, an early game that I really liked even today is Pac-Tac which was the old semi-graphics version of that one. It, it worked very well as far as the colors and the, you had different colored ghosts and everything else, you know, uh, that kind of iconic sound effect when you ate a ghost, of can kind of squeal no, like a terrible sound. sound when you died. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was like nails on a chalkboard. That, yeah, exactly, that, that exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> um, I liked Pac-Tac. I liked Ghost Goblin. Honestly, I don't really remember a bad Pac-Man clone. They all served a purpose and were playable. And they all had some unique bits, too. Like yeah. uh, Pac-Tac had more, or one less ghost, I think, but it had more dots and more out, power pills. Check out the eyes going around that block up there. The ghost got stuck. Oh, yeah. Look at that. <laughs> hey, where am I going, man? What's going we on pretty, here, man? We have a couple of pretty decent Miss Pac-Man clones too. We have Ms. Maze, which is pretty good. Yeah, and then yeah, and then uh, one Terry Terry Steen did. did. Yeah, yeah. What's that one called? Uh, what is it called? Gobbler. Um, no, nope, that's a spectral one. Uh, I don't remember. Yeah, I can't remember. But it's good. Either. It's got some interesting things to it, especially animation-wise and everything. So. And Ghost Gobbler had that stupid warp tunnel thing that's invisible in that one spot where if you didn't hold down the joystick button, you would hit the spot, you'd suddenly disappear and reappear elsewhere in the maze, Did which is great had... if you can trail by ghosts. But if you hadn't read the manual, 
you would be wondering what the heck is going oh, on. Oh, so Canadian Retro Thing saying this is where his computer started to glitch. And I was even yeah. seeing look like some of the dots on the screen were starting to flash too. Um, uh, wasn't there one where at some point in time the maze was invisible and you just Pac saw... That's Pac-Man Plus. Pac no, no, I'm talking about on a, a Coco clone. Wasn't there a Coco oh, okay. clone that had... had yeah, a there was. Uh, there's, there's like literally, I started looking through because I mean, I have that you know clones list on my game yeah. site. And Pac-Man's one of the ones, like Defender, that I've been avoiding because there's so darn many of them. It's going to take me quite a while to research. Right, right. You know, there, last time I counted, I think there's at least 13 clones of Pac-Man and Mrs. Yeah, it's a super popular game. What was the one that was released on a 4K cassette, too? Um, Scarfman. Scarfman. That's pretty good. Um, and that one, one just kind of anecdote that I remember, when we did our interview with uh, Jerry Buckner from uh, Pac-Man Fever, this was before Coco Talk and everything, um, I was telling him that I had, you know, I still had the original album and the kind of liner notes in the album of the Pac original Pac-Man Fever LP had patterns <laughs> where you could, you know, yep. different patterns to, to do to solve the certain mazes. And Jerry's like, yeah. And this is, of course, before the whole um, King of Kong controversy. What's what's the guy's name? That, that Billy that, Mitchell. Billy Mitchell, yeah. So before that whole controversy, but yeah. So uh, Jerry Buckner's like, yeah, well, you know, I showed that thing to... to uh, Billy Mitchell, and he's saying that some of those patterns are wrong. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny, you know. But yeah, Billy Mitchell's the guy, one of the first guys who I guess did the whole uh, level two fifty six screen wrap yeah, yeah. where half the screen goes to garbage. Yeah, it glitches it out and stuff. Yeah. Oh, so. now it's really glitching. Look at Pinky down there. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so this is a hardware issue. This is not the transcodes problem. Right. right. Yeah. CRT uh, Coco three overheating. Yeah. So the, joystick, the joystick thing is one thing I do want to discuss. So I, I guess first question for the people on the panel that played Pac-Man here, how many played it on, first of all, on a real Coco versus on an emulator? I did. Yeah, Coco. Real Coco. And then uh, what joysticks did he choose? I used the Deluxe. I used I, I used either uh, the Sega GamePad or Neil Blanchard's Gamester. Ooh. I tried the Deluxe and I just couldn't hang with it. If you were two bytes off on changing an angle it wouldn't take it yeah that's what, that's what i was hitting too like trying to take corners was literally 50 percent hit or miss it wouldn't wouldn't turn and so it seemed to be really fussy on that i ended up switching to keyboard because i couldn't even get up to the first intermission with the joystick and normally i'm not that bad at pac-man i can usually get at least five or six screens in and i couldn't even get three with the joystick and i just gave up and would switch the keyboard then i did six i switched eight. 60 used to sing a gamepad, and Scott Cooper used the emulator with arrow keys. And Kinemarket Singh is used an Atari joystick. Atari joystick, okay. So, what okay. I'm seeing here is that most of the people that did not have a glitching problem, not glitching, but I had a problem getting navigating the corners, are the ones using digital sticks that always force the joystick all the way left, all the way right, all the yeah. way top, all the way bottom. Yeah. But for the actual analog sticks that the Coco was designed for, that's where it's not running perfectly. And Rick and I both hit that problem okay mm. well bob and coco who was on the leaderboard says he used a coco 3 and deluxe joysticks so so wow. bob and coco if you can just in the chat there mentioned did you have problems where you couldn't navigate corners it would just you know skip by the corner you were trying to turn on and stuff because I, I i'm from what rick's described that's exactly the same problem i was having and i tried adjusting the, the centering pots and stuff on the deluxe and, and none of it made any difference Rock it would just Hill, favor, Rock, you know, screwing up in a different direction. That's all it would do. Rocky like, Hill used VCC under wine, which is a emulation um, inception. VCC used, is always better with wine. Yeah, and keyboard. Yeah. 
And beer. And beer. Rum. All of the above. Um, yeah, I would have been. What's that, Rick? I would have been good with my secret weapon keyboard, except I realized I just suck at Pac-Man. <laughs> you have to turn before you get to the turn to do it properly. And I just can't do that for some reason. I, I can, though. Now, I still have the same problem. Like, I'd have it angled over and ready to turn, and it would just skip right by. Because mm. maybe the joystick got to three instead of zero or something stupid. Like, it's really oh, yeah. fussy. The joystick was an addition to my personal problem of driving. <laughs> yeah, so Bob and Coco says there was a there was a sticking, but I wasn't sure if that was the stick or something else. So he might have had an occasional. So it seems the like... He says, I had that problem with digital, but nowhere near 50% fail. I think I just sucked. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't yeah. know, do we, if, if, if either in the chat there or on the panel, do we have anybody that played a lot of Pac-Man and did memorize the patterns back in the day? Like I know Buckets Owens had mentioned that he had that might have gotten used to different ROM patterns and stuff. Is there any familiarity with that these patterns are legit or did Glenn Hewlett have to do some tweaks to the main Z80 translation sorry Z80 translation to to get it to run properly that might have changed patterns subtly in the background from what the original ROMs would have done I don't remember any mention of that of any compromise to algorithm or AI I think the whole the whole purpose of this was to you know make it make the ROM run yeah I, I just think that there were so many books published about the patterns and the patterns were so well known that it's not like the patterns are somehow you know a hoax and not real right um it's uh i i just think that even with the transcode there's still going to be very small differences that that could impact stuff like this that it, you know even at the at the metal level you're still running this thing on something other than a pac-man board you know right right yeah and honestly that's if that if that's the biggest for lack of a better term complaint that we have about this that it doesn't doesn't adhere to the original patterns. It won't but let the you fact cheat. That, yeah, <laughs> but the fact that it plays, I, I don't see that as a as a huge drawback or disappointment. Yeah, oh, no, I'm impressive. with you. No, I, yeah. I don't view it either. I just yeah. I, I do know some people were saying like if to be yeah. a true transcode, it should then no, be absolutely yeah. identical in play yeah, to the arcade yeah. machine. I'm just wondering. And the, there was there it might was, just be a ROM difference. Like you might have picked a ROM right. that most people had not played. I don't. And know. there was also a there was a 1.1 patch to this as well that addressed some timing on the gimmies and the sparklies too. So I'm not sure where they're getting their source from for the actual cocoa version of this but hopefully everybody's got the 1.1 on actually that. that's true because the 1986 oh. give me the 1987 give me the timer interrupt is one cycle off like uh, yeah. the timer on the 86 is one slower than the uh, 87 so if you wrote it specifically for say the 87 if you have 86 or vice versa then it might be a little bit different that's true yeah so so gimme timing could affect this i know there there was just the kind of frames per second that was slightly different on the Coco versus the real hardware too because of how this is tied to a V-Sync which is not exactly the same as whatever the timing was on the actual hardware so I know in the, his blogging back in the day he was mentioning that you know if you if you run these two side by side you will see that the original ends up being slightly ahead over time and you know it might be like one second every minute or whatever it is but um, yeah. there is a slight variance in the timing just based on the Coco hardware tied to the screen refresh versus whatever the timing was on the actual hardware, which it might have, you know, I don't know if that if that was screen locked or it just it was the speed based on the Z80. The speed was what it was, you know. Um, so there's, there's, there's yeah. other things that could attribute to that. 
Yeah, a couple other comments here. David Craker says he watched a few YouTube vids on patterns early in the week. It worked for me on level one, but I didn't play enough to find out more. So that's kind of pointing to at least that it matches one of the ROM sets. And then 60 says, whenever the maze appeared, my TV would spend a second or two creeping to the left. It was slightly odd, but I blame the TV. I don't. I had the same thing on my Coco 3 on RGB. Did well, that, there's Rick? something that happens when he first draws the maze, he draws it twice because it gets it gets loaded kind of stack blast from, from data and then he does like a one pixel shift to <coughs> fix something. So the first time the screen's loaded, you see it come in and then you see it, you see how I just like shift over by yep. one pixel. So that's something I think Glenn had to do for a reason to get the compiled sprites or something to work better um, on the screen. So it gets loaded directly like it was in the ROM and then he does something to shift it. So that's why you'll see that one pixel shift one, one time or another. Yeah, which I, I just saw basically every time you started. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I just, and these are just, I'm having flashbacks. So it's and, not your TV 60. It's, yeah. Uh, that's yeah. part of the game. And yeah, Glenn Hewlett emailed me recently and I forgot to get back to him. So I'm not sure if you're out there, Glenn, but thanks for your email. I appreciate that. He was trying to give me some encouragement with assembly, which I, which I'm, I appreciate that. Uh, if anybody knows assembly at this point, it's definitely Glenn Hewlett. So. <laughs> Um, and Stevie, since you, I don't think you finished watching last week's episode, uh, one of the news items was that uh, he discovered when he's working on a Joust transcode. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and it's a lot of the William, Williams games have this not quite self-modifying code, but self-checking code to make sure it wasn't a pirated ROM. Oh, interesting. And uh, he thought he'd got it in Joust, like he fixed one or two of them, but then the game would just randomly crash at random intervals. So he started really looking into it and discovered there's three or four levels of this check. Okay. And remember, he was having problems with the Defender transcode. He got yeah. up to a certain point and then yeah. just randomly crashes. He thinks he didn't maybe go deep enough. In and the, he might have uh, to go back and visit that, which if that is the case, that means we might have Joust and Defender transcodes coming out soon. Wow. That would be awesome. cool. That would be cool. And those should hopefully fit on screen where you don't have to worry about doing the um, vertical panning and stuff. Yeah, and they should be they should be a little bit easier to transcode too because they're both six eight zero nine based games. So yeah, I think I think the standard there. resolution on most of that stuff was like three twenty by two forty, and I think we can get a maximum of two twenty five. So it might, you might have to do the sock master thing where you did on Donkey Kong to compromise. Yeah, so they can press the ladders and stuff. Yeah, to um, but no, that would be interesting. But it's really cool. I mean, we've actually got a few transcodes now because I mean, Glenn's done a couple. He's done uh, right. We have the few that were done. We by, have a Space Invaders um, one, I think Space he did. Invaders. Mark McDougall did some. He's, Mark he's... McDougall, Night Lore, which was transferred over from the thing to Spectrum. He also did, uh, he took the original Load Runner from the Apple II. Yeah, transcoded that. Transcode he's working on that. an Asteroids from the arcade. Yeah. Uh, there was a start on Tutankhamen that uh, it's, I you think can that actually was play Mark it, too. but it doesn't scroll. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't get quite that far. Now we got Joust and. Uh, defender on the way too so i mean if, if everything works out we might end up with like half a dozen you know complete transcodes it's like coco mame almost yeah right no kidding all right let's you do cool. that in the atari there boat no, <laughs> listen <laughs> this is not this is not the smack down the atari episode okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's because you guys get all the cool transcodes it's, it's development heaven over there come on man Atari's got a pokey chip and real sprites. I mean, it's just yeah. uh, you know, you know, we don't need transcodes. <laughs> yeah. got I know why course. they named it pokey now. It can't keep up with the transcodes. Oh, yeah, you might have one. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the old '80s when you just had to argue, like you know, right. why your platform was better. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. Well, actually, yeah. Um, yeah. well, because of that Sam chip. And, yeah. <laughs> cool. Anything else we need to say about Pac-Man at this point? Great game, go go get it if, if you it. want to play a very impressive adventure. feat. Yes. 
Yes, thank you, Glenn Hewlett, for this and for all you've done and what you will continue to do for us. Um, yes. Yeah, definitely keep an eye on his blog because he does post stuff on there every once in a while, like the, the fact about the joust self-ROM check and the fact that might be affecting the Defender port he was trying to do too. So, All right, so we ready to talk about uh, next week's game. Uh, the suspense is killing me, Nick Morata. All right. The next game, this is another, uh, this is another port. Uh-oh. Uh, for the Coco 2. Is it the Becker port? Yeah. Oh! Baggot Man. Lay Bagnard. Uh, Baggot Man. Bag By coincidence, man. if you were watching Frodo and Elstream, who we were co-streaming with before we started the show here, um, he actually was playing the Bagman version of the Spectrum on the Spectrum. Oh, neat. So, yes, Baggot Man. You have to collect the bags of gold and put it on your little wheelbarrow, which is at the top. You're this guy down here, the convict. Right. And uh, avoid you get to ride the rail cars. Yeah, you can hit them with the hammer. You can drop bags of gold on them, and it's three screens wide, so you pan to the left or to the right. I does it say. actually scroll, or does it just flip screens? As it just flips, it, it flips, flips screens. screens. Right. Okay. Yeah. Which I think the arcade did too, if I remember. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So uh, yeah, this was a good. This was a good clone for the Coco. Yeah, I thought so. Another the, another of the games I spent a good chunk of time with as a kid. So and one uh, thing I'll mention uh, too, Nick, uh, if you go yep. back to the second screen, that blue bag of gold that you have to dig through the wall to get to is very laden with gold and very heavy. So you move really slowly when you pick that one up because it's so heavy. Ah. Uh, now, can you, I don't, you can carry gold while you're climbing the ladder, right? Yes. Yes. Just and slowly. can you grab onto the handrail and, and jump up above the uh, cart when you're carrying gold too? I think you have to drop the gold to do that, don't you? I, I think don't so. remember. I, I think remember. so, because it's, it's the button that you do. You press the button, so when you press the button, it's going to drop the gold. All right, so if you notice on the screen those kind of white things in the ceiling, that's a handrail. So if a mine cart's coming towards you, you grab the handrail, and it kind of lifts your legs in the air, and the cart goes underneath you. That's how you dodge those things. I don't yeah, remember. Or, or you click the button and jump into the rail cart, and it'll transport. Oh, yeah, and you can ride it, too, yeah. It's been so long since I played. But, yeah, this was. I remember this game being a fun game back in the day. Yeah. And you've got that elevator like you can see on the top uh, center there too. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a this this definitely captures all most of the game mechanics and the look and feel of the original. Um Yeah, the game play, play is quite good. The graphics aren't too bad. So it looks a little blocky. That was just as a design aesthetic he decided to use. And I think the original arcade game is a little bit blocky too, if I remember for pieces yeah. of it. Um the only thing really missing from the arcade game is some, you know, some of the better sound, but that's that's music. it. I mean gameplay wise it's great. Yeah. All right. Excellent. So, How's the Atari version boat? <laughs> you know, it's uh, the bag man is not bad on the Atari. So uh, yeah, I, I should be honest. I think it's probably better than the one. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. Uh, oh. All right. So thanks, Stevie. Thank you, CRT. Thank you to everybody who played this week. And uh, we'll see you next week. That's right. Thank you, Nick Morota, for handling this segment. And that is also uh, echoed by Dave, Mr. Dave609, saying thank you, Nico, for your work on this each week oh, so, i see 60 says oh i've tried this a few times and it was really bad so i'm sensing a theme with 60 that he sucks at all games as well. yeah <laughs> um, i'm glad he's participating and, and actually trying absolutely to yeah we, we are it, it's not about who's the best at the game it's it's about having fun and especially discovering games you may have never played before back in the day or in modern times exactly it's all about that participation thing man and if it's one of Nick's um, games, he thanks you for the money that you <laughs> <sleep> for. <laughs> uh, Okay, so do you want to just jump in and, and, and just go on to Game on News, L. Curtis Boyle? 
Yes, I think. I'm trying to remember if that's where I have the one we're waiting for Tim Linder, but he's not going to be on. Oh, the okay. Video. Then you want to just do news? Let, let me news? just check the camera if that was in the regular news or if that was in the game on news. Let me find it here. Yes, that is in the game on news. I can hold that one story off. It's number three. Okay. Or we could take a break from news. and um, Now, but did you say you wanted to do your updates and acquisition later too? Yeah, because I'm going to have to boot up a virtual okay. machine. To, to so then that, how so. about we do news news first, and then we'll do yep, game I on can news. Do that. Okay, so let me go ahead and I'll cue the intro. You can go ahead and start screen sharing, and when I say <laughs> take it away, Curtis, you're, you're not going to hear the sounds, but you'll, you'll know. All right, so here we go. Cue infographic. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on news with El Curtis Boyle. And take it away, L. Curtis Boyle. Okay, are you guys seeing the screen? Wait a second, what is this? A bunch of old guys getting together on a video call? Who would watch yeah, that Yeah, it almost looks like Coco Talk. <laughs> Who would watch something stupid like that? <laughs> <laughs> Who are these people? <laughs> Let me see if Actually, I recognize uh, uh, Both like... will recognize the one on the top row, third from the left, I'm sure. I recognize Peter Satinsky. I don't know who Eric is or Josh. Timothy wow. Holleran. There you go. Hey, Timothy. George Phillips. Recognize his name. Do not recognize Quentin Barnes or Hugh. Peter Phillips. John. Ken. Paul. Met okay. Patrick B. Vernon. Bartlett Labs. Okay. I recognize a few of the people on there. Yeah. And, and both you should recognize uh, Josh. Kursky. Yeah. 48 AM. Absolutely. He's streaming on Amigos too. So. Yeah. Cool. He's he's your local Atari guy too, isn't he? That's right. He's my one friend. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the the Trash Talkers, of course, they do their uh, live show. Um, I think once a month, if I remember correctly. So this is the one that was uh, streamed live last. Uh, is it on Saturday or Sunday? But basically, it's a little bit after Coco Talk. And normally, it's, it's quite heavy on the model. One, two, three, sixteen, twelve, four, you know, that type of thing. But they occasionally throw in some Coco stuff. And I know Nick and I and a few others have actually been on there a few times too when we've had stuff to announce. So in this case, now you said you're familiar with Bartlett Labs. I don't know him too well. That's what, Paul what Bartlett, you know yeah. I've met him at Tandy Assembly. I've heard I haven't listened to Trash Talk a lot, but he's one of the like the three main guys of the show, right? So Paul is it Peter Bartlett or Paul Bartlett? I don't remember. Yeah. But yeah, he makes mostly stuff for the for the Z eighty TRS eighty line. But I remember at the first Tandy assembly, he had actually had a prototype board of a cartridge that would provide VGA output on the Coco because it snooped the DAC and was seeing things. And he was able to mimic some of those modes, similar to how he does for the TRS-80, where he's got a VGA adapter that just snoops video RAM and blasts it out to a VGA board. He was working on a prototype. This was before he knew about Coco VGA, and he wasn't familiar with artifacting and things like that, but he had come up with something. So he does a lot of hardware stuff, mostly on the TRS-80 side. He's yeah. like one of the three main panelists. of. So it's Peter Satinsky and um, uh, Ian Maverick. Uh, I think, uh, I don't remember if it's Peter or Paul Bartlett, and then... Um, it's it's uh, Peter. Yeah, Peter Bartlett, and then trying to remember. So, who actually, yeah. speaking of VGA, that that project you're talking about, apparently, he's still been working on it. In okay. fact, he said he's been doing more Coco stuff than regular Tier City Model One Three stuff these days, and he's expanded it with some extra features and stuff. And he's 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 one of these guys who's admitting he's got a terrible problem with feature creep. Oh yeah. So this is what he actually ended up talking about on his segment of uh, Trash Talk, and since that's the Coco specific part of the show, I'll just play that whole little segment. So it's a couple minutes long. Okay. 
you're into Coco's. And who wouldn't be? Which, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more and more of a cocoa guy, which, you know, I never had one growing up. But, you know, there's this thing, which uh, boots uh, Coco 1, Coco 2, Coco 3, HDB DOS. You just you know, flip the switches and take your pick. It's got SD hard drives. It's got Ethernet. Uh, it's got VGA. Um, oh, is it a whole system board? Well, Cocoa was pretty. Uh, no, actually, it's going to go in the cartridge board. The whole, the whole of that 2019 stuff. at mm. the last uh, Cocoa Fest, and you know, it's pretty cool. It's just, you know, I don't know when to stop. Is the problem? I'm just adding more and more stuff to it. But do you have to open the Cocoa? Oh, that's or Maverick. Just plug yeah, in? Yeah, Maverick yeah. Yeah. in. Pardon? Do you have to open the Cocoa, or does it just no, plug no, in no. the side? It just, it just plugs in. I think a few, fair few people who don't really want to open their computers might be interested in that yeah. because I mean, most of the most of the Coco um, upgrades out there require you to flip the lid and start messing yeah, around you, inside. You, uh, well, you know, there's advantages and disadvantages to this. Um, the disadvantage is that um, it has no access to the um, uh, uh, vertical sync um, signal, so certain games certain cartridges don't don't work right um because they do their updating of the uh screen during the vertical blanking and you know this this this, this thing has no way of knowing when that's happening and so uh the two games i've noticed so far that have problems are um a slinkster and Anyway, there's one other, you know, it, it, it works dragon fine for 95% of, of games and cartridges, but, um, you know, it can't tell when vertical sync is happening. So eh, it gets a little uh, iffy, but, you know, uh, TA 2019, people were pretty enamored with this thing. Um, I, and I haven't really touched it since. That would really sell, Pete. But then you'd have more customers, and that would be bad. Yeah, uh, Malcolm, you know Malcolm. He he keeps trying to get me to just release the VGA part of it, just as a product. But, you know, if you've seen Mys and Me's, you know I don't know where to stop. <laughs> you know, I just don't. I just keep adding stuff. And, you know, you know, I've... The only um, application I've written for this for the Ethernet is Telnet, and Neil was pretty impressed with that at uh, TA 2019. Did you and see that demo, Stevie? No, I didn't go to that one. Yeah. I only went to the it's first got a TA. floppy controller. A lot of stuff on that board. Um, built in. Will the will the eventual released one be that size or or reduced in size? No, That's... no. I have no idea what the physical form of this thing is going to be. Because I'm not a Coco guy. I don't know. I have no idea. Okay. Well, I'll give you a hint. Take a standard Coco disc controller and uh, make it about the same size, and it'll be a hit. Yeah, you know, you know, it, it, it could be done. I mean, there's a lot of stuff on here, but it could be done. Cool. What about on the monochrome systems? Are you just building my Mises and Mises and spitting them out yeah, I mean, it, it, it really hey, I mean, that was that was covering it but yeah he's 
He's basically got an SD hard drive slash floppy controller. He's got Ethernet on it. He's got a floppy controller on board. He mentions a little bit later and the switch bootable uh, Coco One Two Three HDB. The awesome has the VGA out all in one card, which he did say a little bit later that he might be able to shrink down to fit on a, you know, a more disc controller size yeah. cartridge. So, I mean, it's interesting and it's promising, but I I think my only concern is somebody who doesn't own Cocos and doesn't is not really a, you know, a primary cocoa person. I just think there's certain things they're not going to be used to or aware of. So unless this is being tested by more than just him on things, uh, I have a feeling there, it might have some, some shortcomings. Well, like he's mentioned the V-Sync, like certain games that try to yeah. time with the V-Sync aren't going to yeah. work. But, but the nice know, thing about this being a cartridge is means if you, if you do want to play one of those games, you can just shut the computer off, unplug the cartridge. And then right, 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 right. Whereas if you modify the inside, you can't do V-Sync anymore. That's a totally different story. That's, that's right. bad. And and like, uh, like in, and I, I recognize uh, George Phillips too. I remember he had done something at Tandy Assembly where he had a video player that played on the TRS-80 Model 1 and 3 where it actually played like digitized video. That looked pretty cool. Um, no, I mean, it's it's interesting. And I know, I know he makes, you know, for the systems he knows very well, he makes really cool hardware. I just... I, I would just be concerned, like, number, luckily, I don't need any of this stuff, but I would be concerned that somebody went through all the trouble to make something, but just really wasn't aware of all the finer minutiae, and that product had a few holes in it somewhere, you know? And so that would be just my concern that, you know, make sure you, you, you know, really throw this thing out there and have it uh, field tested before you you release it. Well, I don't uh, think he's even at the stage of having yeah, field yeah, yeah, testing yeah, yeah. down there. You know, he's and, still going to write um, software to do it. I mean, he's got a telnet client that works with the Ethernet. Right, and you know, if he's doing an SD solution, but we already have a Coco SDC, so how is he going to implement that? How is it going to work in DOS? And, you know, you have yeah. to worry about standards and things like that. So it's great, and, you know, when it comes to doing stuff, you know, everybody's welcome to do what they want, but if you want to mass, and mass production is probably an overkill statement, but, you know, if you want to sell, to, you know, even to a market of, you know, 100 products, 100 units, it really should be, you know, sir, you know, be fairly compatible with things we're used to. Um, yeah, and there's a question from Pilot 0352 in the chat. Does it work with a multi-pack? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, at this it, time, it's, at this it's point, all being prototyped. So. Yeah, I remember when he showed off the early VGA one, and he was doing it on a Y cable, even where it was just working off of that off the cartridge slot. So I would imagine if it's if it's using the the cartridge bus, that it should be multi-pack compatible. Um, to it's an interesting project in any rate, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost sounding like the super board, you know, yeah, <laughs> that, but a super board that doesn't require to open the case. Up. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like I would, uh, what Ian Maverick was saying that there are some people who don't know how to or don't want to open their case or work on their case. And that's good to have a plug and play solution uh, for sure. But, you know, I think the Coco VGA does such a good job that that's a product. That, that, you know, for the Coco 1 and 2, that's kind of a holy grail. And it doesn't really require a whole lot of desoldering or anything. It just goes in line with your VDG. So it's not a terribly hard. Yeah, hard same with the Gimme X, too, because yeah. I, mean, I just plug in the yeah. socket. So anything else that's going to, I don't want to say compete, but be in the same uh, space as that, if it's not going to be as feature rich, I'm not sure that it's a good thing to buy. But if you add everything else, like, you know, networking and this and that and the other, then, you know, maybe that makes up for it. But, um, Plus, yeah. I'd be interested, you know, once all that stuff's on there, what is this going to cost? Yeah, yeah, no. But it's cool that there's other people out there who are working on stuff. Like, we, you know, we continue to have new people come in and, and want to make hardware projects. So I would definitely not want to discourage that. I would just hate to see a lot of time and energy spent and it, not, and it ends up being in this weird place where it, it's not going to, you know, I'd hate to have him waste his time on something that wouldn't really take off because it's, it's not enough of this or not enough of that and things like that, you know. Yeah. 
Grant Leedy's out there. Hey, Grant, how you doing? Happy 4th of July weekend to you, sir. Um, now, that's cool. Glad to see that they've got their things going. I see these are a lot of faces I'm not used to seeing all the time, so that's always good to see other people talking about stuff out there. Uh, next up this week, the uh, latest episode of the Coco Crew, episode 73, dropped, which includes uh, a couple of things I wanted to highlight here. Uh, of course, Ron DeVoe got his video covered on Coco Max, so i to put that in there. Um, host discussion was on Coco Mania, so actually it sounds like they want to do a bit more Coco-specific attendee assembly this year. They want to kind of make that the the main thrust of the of the show, at least, um, as far as you know, the, the host of the Coco Crew are concerned, they want to make a, a kind of a Coco section that's a bit more emboldened and upfront this year. So I thought that was kind of interesting because I have a discussion on that. Uh, the tech segment on Coco 1 versus 2 detection was kind of interesting. Um, there's not too much differences between the two that you'd need to detect it, except I guess DriveWire, for example, and the Coco 1, because the differences of some of the internal circuitry, you can only run up to 3,400. 30,400 baud on the Bitbanger for DriveWire, whereas on Coco 2, with slightly improved hardware in it, you can actually run up to 57.6 so that you could actually make an auto-detect for that here uh, using what he talks about. That's John's tech uh, segment. Um, they had an interview with Torsten Dettel, which was actually really cool because um, I've, I've never really interviewed him before. We've seen him you know, talk of him on the listserv, et cetera. Um, and he actually has been, you know, doing some stuff that he's been helping, you know, push this dragon special we'll be talking about a bit later on the news too. So, and then uh, Neil's corner, he had a, an eBay rant about managed payments, which he's not too happy with. So I, I, I'm imagining there's a few resellers in here and eBay has been changing a few policies lately. They're probably not too happy with some of the changes being done. I'm not an eBay guy, so yeah, I don't know right. too much about it, but I think you guys have hit some of that stuff. But if if Neil if Neil Blanchard is uh, is gotten upset over something, it's got to be a, a, a real problem because Neil seems like such the e most easygoing yeah, he's guy. Back. He's a laid back, mellow kind of guy. So for him to get in a tizzy, it's got to be something. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's so bad that a Canadian got upset. Yeah, him, yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, I'm, yeah, Torson, because because uh, Torson, and by the way, thanks for you know watching our show too, Torson. He had put a lot of feedback in in our Discord about uh, when you guys were talking to Stefan and the presence of the cocoa in Germany. When I saw, well, he's that, the one who helped organize that. Yeah, whole, yeah, whole yeah, yeah. But when I saw that information that he had laid out, I'm like, oh man, we got to really talk to this guy. So, um, <laughs> which we still do. But yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing that interview, and then hopefully we can get him to come on the show too. I'm, I'm hoping to have him as part of the Dragon special. Like I said, we'll, we'll talk about okay. that. Excellent. We'll talk about some of the upcoming shows. But yeah. Anyway, the latest episode's out there, so go grab it. Next up, and actually, this is something you can personally speak to a bit here, Stevie. Uh, the Cocoa Pie. So Ron has announced that the latest version of the Cocoa Pie, which should be a universal image that will work on the Pi 3, the Pi 4, and the Pi 400. Because mm -hmm. currently, in its current state, you have to download a specific version for each bit of hardware. Uh, you've been helping him debug and test this. So if you want to give kind of a status update, because it's not quite out yet. Yeah. So we'll start by, well, in a lot of his stuff, it's already explained in his post. But um, prior to this um, build, there was two different images. You needed a, either a specific image for the Pi 3 and then a different image for the Pi 4 slash Pi 400. So the fact that he had to maintain two separate images and distributions was um, the goal was to have one, right? The uh, the Holy Grail. Um, part of it is it's no longer using Raspbian, which was the default Raspberry Pi OS. There's now, I think it's called Raspberry Pi OS, but so it's got the newer version of the default Raspberry Pi OS that's no longer called Raspbian at its core. 
I believe um, that new update has um, uh, an improved version of the Pulse audio driver, which is kind of the way Unix does audio. And I think it's got an improved version of the SDL driver. If I'm saying that right, I don't remember what Unix uses to generate graphics. It's not like uh, OpenGL or like ActiveX or DirectX. I think it's called SDL. It's the kind of the way the Mac and, and Linux uh, pump 2D graphics on the screen. So there's an updated version of that driver that's supposed to be more optimized and uh, runs a little faster. Um, and and so the goal is you have one image, you burn that image, and then you just run the online update, and it configures it to whatever hardware you have. And and all the online updating parts work really well. Uh, so as I've been playing with it, and we've been having to change a few things, I would just go to the menu option, pull the GitHub, and I'd get the new download, and it would start to update things. Um, I'm, I've found a few issues with with MAME, and this has to do with the latest MAME distribution because MAME did an update, and they have now changed the way certain things work. And right now, like I was trying to test cartridges, and the way the command line to launch the script to run a cartridge is different. So whatever that new format is, he's going to have to update his scripts. Um, SDL is one way, is what Rocky Hill is saying. Yeah, so I guess that was called SDL. So um, so that's being worked on. And also there's I guess, some minor permissions issues right now trying to get to one of the folders where you download your ultimate SDC images to. So, um, but it's very promising. I'm, I'm running it on both a Pi 3 and a Pi 4, so I'm kind of bouncing between the machines and just finding the things that have issues and, and we're getting them tweaked. But I would say, you know, I don't want to, since Ron's doing all the work, I don't want to make, you know, guesstimate on his deadlines, but I would say the work he has to do shouldn't be too much. So it's probably realistic that there might be an official release this month in July. Don't hold me to that. That's me speculating. But uh, I think we're really close to the finish line. The one thing I can do um, and works very well is I can boot up to an emulated MC10 with the MCX128 uh, emulation and load software over the over the uh, Pi drive wire. So if you wanted to play around with like the 10,000 Jim Gary games that are out there, um, you can boot up an MC10 with that MC server, which is kind of like the MC10's version of DriveWire, load something and run it, and it works out of the box. So that's really cool uh, to be able to do that and emulate up to 128K of RAM um, on a MC10. Uh, lots of DriveWire stuff going on there, all kinds of stuff. Uh, if you're running a uh, Pi 4 or Pi 400, you can turn on X Windows and have a nice GUI desktop and run other things, and there'll be a few other programs running on there that will support graphics uh, because this can support um, the X windows and the graphics thing. You can run main with the debugger if that's something you need to do. Um, so that's kind of in a nutshell, a few things that I'm aware of and um, I'm really, yeah, you also mentioned there was an update to the raspberry Pi OS. Yeah. Whatever it's yeah. The, now, core, that, the core OS. The keyboard problem with the 400s fix because that was an, an issue. I know some of the Amigos um, fans on, on their discord had mentioned that they were having problems trying to get, Cocoa Pie and stuff running on it because it was not reading the keyboard properly. Yeah. Um, and another thing too that I had noticed, and this is just because I'm, I'm really good at breaking things. Like I like to get into MAME and tweak and remap the, you know, joysticks to do things. And mm -hmm. so I had done a video a long time ago how to turn like a Cocoa MAME emulator into a game console where you could do everything from your joystick and never need to touch your keyboard. But the problem with MAME, and this is a MAME problem, this is not Raspberry Pi or Ron Klein or anything else. MAME's way of configuring the interface has one 
minor flaw where you can actually lock yourself out of the interface. So if you're trying to reconfigure, you know, in main you hit tab to bring I, up the I, menu I, and escape to get that. out. Yeah, yeah, I've done <laughs> so, that before many a yeah. time. <laughs> so, so, you know, that that's a MAME effery that they have done. They have created this scenario where you can literally delete the key that you need to get out of the interface or get into the interface and never have it work again, right? It's like corrupting your own BIOS. Yeah, yeah. 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 So because of that, um, he already had an option where you could back up and restore MAME configs, but I said, let's do one better. Let's let's have a pre-backup already in place, and let's even have a restore to default option in place. So if you screw yourself out of MAME in your utilities menu, there will be a MAME restore default option where you can just throw back the original configs and start over again. And to me, that's a huge thing because I will screw up MAME in a heartbeat just trying to remap my joystick on it, you know. So so that was one of my contributions to say, let's do that. Let's add a restore to default option. I had also noticed that the utility menu had like, so we're getting, uh, getting close to like 60 items on the utility menu now. And you're scrolling through about 10 or 12 things at a time. So I'm like, dude, let's make some sub menus, break this down. Cause there's, you know, this menu is like 10 pages tall at this point. So the utilities menu is a little bit more organized and compartmentalized now too. So, um, but other than that, Ron's doing all the hard work and I'm just breaking stuff. So you're taking the role of David. Ladd. The, the, yeah. The role of David Ladd today will be, uh, Played by. <laughs> now, I wish I wish the people at MAME itself would actually fix it so there's a default config that you can always fall back to. Yeah, and, and why MAME has to break things? Like, why do they, why does an update now completely change the command line syntax? That, you know, I mean, certain truths should be self-evident and not change on us. And why that happens is I don't know. So, um, but anyways, that's my two cents about that. Cool. Because I, I do know, like I mentioned before, there there's quite a few uh, discussions in the Discord, the amigos there from people trying to get, you know, who had Pi 400s, and were trying to get the the Cocoa Pi to run on it, and, and a lot of them, you know, couldn't yeah. type and everything else was happening. So and a few other problems that were happening too. Yeah, so. and I'm just going to throw out for me my personal preference on what I what I plan to do is I'm hoping to do as much Cocoa stuff on the Cocoa Pi versus real hardware. And that's just personal preference. So once this, once a few of these little things are worked out, I hope to become a little bit more active in playing games and doing this and doing that with my Cocoa Pie. I have the real hardware, but it's just you know the space and all the can, accoutrements you need to hook them up to be able to capture them and use them and stuff. It just begins. It becomes. It becomes a process, you know. And I, what I love about the Raspberry Pi is it's a little tiny box. I can hide it away and do everything wirelessly: wireless keyboard, wireless you know joystick, and boom. Um, you can do it. So I'm looking forward to doing more and more Cocoa stuff on the um, on the Pi. You know? Yeah, because I think I think the Raspberry Pi, the ser the series of machines like that, and also the Mister, which I think John's familiar with, um, is another one where you basically you can just set it up and go, and it's nice and easy, and you don't have to like set up the original hardware and find a monitor that's compatible and anything else. Yeah, yeah, both of those are great solutions. I I prefer the Mister just because it's even easier to use than the Pi. The Mister is more expensive though. I mean, yeah. it's it's three or four times as much as a, as a Raspberry Pi, so you've got to take that under consideration. But once you make that initial investment. Uh, the Roger Taylor Cooker 3 core is like mana from heaven. It's so, so good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and still actively developed. And there's a secondary uh, uh, Cocoa 1 and 2 core with, you know, Dave Shadoff and our Discord's one of the people helping work with that. So there's, mm -hmm. there's a couple alternate cores too, and that's a free one. Yeah. 
Right, and and once you have that mister, you can load a plethora of cores from other oh, systems yeah. too, and, right? And, and it's as easy, I mean, it's literally, you know, four keystrokes to get out of the Coco and get into the MSX or the BBC Micro. No, I mean, wow. if you're a fan of retro 80s computers, the mister is the greatest thing ever because it's seamless. Uh, like, like Curtis said, all of the cores are actively developed. People are really, really passionate. I would say the people on the Pi side aren't, aren't passionate, but I feel like because the mister is, is more of a niche device the people that are into it are real real into it and um and things are getting better all the time on that yeah, yeah. well you and aaron both have one and i know frodo does all of his streams based on mr no matter what platform he's covering if he's doing a super nes or turbo graphics or a coco yeah. or and of course there's there's also the the the, the thing and, and i you know to me this is sort of like an audiophile style argument but people say that because it is actually manual you know it's emulating this the hardware rather than the software you're going to get more cycle accurate, you know, mm. emulation and stuff like right. that. I've never seen a big difference between a Pi and a Mister, but for people that really get into like measuring milliseconds and stuff like that, they say it's more accurate. We have a question in the live chat about where is there a link to find out about this Mister? I don't know. Is there a general organizational website for that Mist platform or? Oh, let me look up one real quick and then I'll, I'll give it to you. Yeah. Um, there was. So there was one that was originally called the Mist, right? M I S T, right. and that was originally developed mostly to do a FPGA hardware emulation of the Atari ST. That's where the ST and Mist came from, right? It and was the, a, it was originally yeah, it was originally supposed to be an ST and Amiga Amiga emulator, uh, yeah, right. right. And the, the Mister is just an, an updated an updated board that I, it came out. It was cheaper. It it created less heat. Uh, and uh, it was actually subsidized the, by Intel. So it was very cheap at the beginning. Uh, it's not quite as cheap as it used to be. I think it was for, forever and ever, it was like $150 and now mm. it's closer to $200. Um, but uh, if you just, um, mrfpga.org is probably the best place to okay. go. Um, that's uh, that and, in the chat. Yeah, uh, like I said, it, it's basically um, what you do it's it's different than a Pi. It's different than emulating on your PC because when you switch between systems, you're actually switching between cores. And each core, when you load up a core, it's literally like you're loading up the machine. It's emulating the hardware of the mm -hmm. machine. Um, and so it loads the BIOS and, and everything. Um, but for me, it's just super convenient because everything is... Uh, all of the menus and everything are extremely easy to use, like the uh, the display when you switch cores and switch games. Everything is text-based. Everything is keyboard-based. You can you can zip around this thing like none other. Okay. And um, and uh, so, like I said, if you're into old computers and you've got two hundred dollars to 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 spend, instead yeah. of buying you know uh, your third you know BBC Micro or ZX Spectrum Plus three, <laughs> um, maybe consider getting a Mister and getting everything all in one little package i mean it's right here this is that's as big cool. as it is right here that's so. cool that's cool well thanks for clearing that up for us um cool and thanks for posting the link there Steve, yeah too, for and um yeah i mean and so it, there, there's no wrong way to retro like there's no wrong no, way to coco no. you can do it i mean software emulation hardware emulation part of it's going to be preference part of it's going to be our comfort Cost, zones or yeah. our our budgets or whatever else it is. And so I would never be in a situation where I'd want to shame somebody into you're not doing it the way I think is acceptable or not. I'm just telling you from my personal preference. I, I'm very fortunate, knock on wood, 
that I've got a couple of real Cocos and I can, and I spent many years recording and streaming from real hardware. And at some point in time, I just got to the point where I've just got so much crap all over my desk and I've got all these connectors. I got all these things. There's gotta be an easier way. And for me right now, that easy way is, is <laughs> MAME <laughs> or, mm -hmm. or extra or whatever, you know? So the Coco pie that has all these things in here is a, an easy way to do most of what I need to do recreationally. Um, so it, yeah, it the works for me. It's definitely being used for the same purpose. And, so and the nice thing about the Cocoa Pie is there are people who are not comfortable even setting up an emulator because some emulators need a few steps. Like VCC, luckily, it's plug and play. You install it, it runs. But, you know, MAME, you've got to do a few things and you've got to download ROMs. You've got to do a few things like that. And even XROAR, you've got to download the ROMs. It's not terribly difficult, but some people are, are not even you know end user savvy enough to want to break out of their shell to try to set up an emulator so with coco pie it's all menu driven the emulators are pre-installed you everything you know you download your roms by going to a menu you download your software by going to a menu and once it's there it's all keyboard and menu driven so it takes a lot of the confusion and mystery and frustration out of running an emulator um, so I like the way, similar to what you're saying, John, with the Mister, how it's pretty simple. I think Coco Pie does that too. It takes the technical challenges out of running emulators. They're they're just there. You know? Yeah, I'm so. all about finding, especially for people that just don't have a lot of room or a lot of time to futz around with things. You know, finding the most streamlined solution just so you can get into doing whatever you want to do, whether it's programming or playing games. Once you find that solution, it, you you'll want to do it more because it's less of a headache to get going. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I will mention there's one slight advantage that I see on, on the Pi versus the uh, Mister, and that's the fact that you can pull Nitrous 9 EOU automatically down from there. Yeah, uh, yeah. We yes, need that on course. the Mister yet. That's one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there, I, I've there heard that. A... People, lots of people have been complaining about that, Curtis. It's, yes. It's yes. Nonstop. Yeah, oh, I know. Yeah. I, I just, it's hundreds of emails a day. I'm but sure. that is a nice feature. Um, and like I say, as I was working with Ron on, on, testing things and tweaking things the github auto update feature is great you can update mame online um because different versions of mames have subtle nuances you can go to a menu and, and you can roll back to an older version of mame it'll keep in different folders the various distributions so you can choose your default version of mame and xroar um, in the pie um, you can download nitrous 9 over the air and get it the latest version and run it um, you can download. Uh, and what else, honestly, would you want to do? Yeah, really. Yeah, really. But but I was going to say there is also Fuzix and YaDOS that you can get. Um, there's an RGB DOS image or you can boot up and switch between like 256 different floppy disks and run software that way. And it's there's just tons of stuff on this thing, which is why you need a pretty big SD card. <laughs> you expect to have at least a 32 gig SD card. And I would even suggest a 64. As big as you can afford. As big as you can afford, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thanks, thanks for the update, Stevie. And, and uh, hopefully Ron will have that version out in July. Yeah. Uh, so that people can actually get the upgrade and, and have a fully you know, cross yeah. Pi 3, Pi 4, Pi 4. Ron is highly responsive. If you send him a message in Discord, he does get back. So for people yeah. who have questions about Cocoa Pie in general, um, he's he's a very great resource and he's very responsive. And we have a channel devoted to the Cocoa Pie. Do we have a channel for the Mister? I think we do too, don't we? I, I wouldn't. I'd be surprised. There's if so we many didn't. channels yeah. I've totally lost track. I don't even know if I'm on the Cocoa One or the Amigos one at a first glance anymore because there's just too many channels. Yeah. Good stuff. Next up, we have uh, Richard Kelly, who's done a few uh, game updates and stuff lately that he's programmed and put up. 
So in this case, he's got RetroRix Maze Making Algorithm version 3.99D. So he's optimized it a little bit. It's got a graphic and a text version. And basically, it just auto-generates a maze to wander through type thing. That's but you can cool. then use in your own games if you want to you know, make a maze game. And you don't want to actually plan all the mazes out. So it's a little bit optimized, a little bit faster, takes a little bit less RAM, et cetera. And you can download both versions off that disk. And he's pretty close to his final release. This is the, probably one of the last betas. Neat. That's a guy I'd love to get on the show. He does so much stuff. Yeah. Uh, next up, uh, Tony Jewel posted on the Facebook Cocoa group about asking how to convert a PAL-M version of the CP400, which is a Brazilian Cocoa clone, to run on NTSC. Now, that's not really news on its own. But he put up one of the best photos I've seen of the two different generations of the Coca clones so of the CP400. Cool. Look at that. So you've got the CP400 color in the front with the old chiclet style keyboard, like the Coke one. Then you got the color two in the back, which has a more keyboard, you know, modern style version. Yeah. Of okay. 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 Hold on. What What are these things? These are Brazilian clones of the Coca one and the Coco two. Oh my gosh. I need to have that one with the multicolored. Keys. Yeah. I that's love like, that uh, let's say Ed Snyder's uh, got his work cut out for him here on this one. Right. So <laughs> are these, I mean, are these incredibly rare? They're probably highly uncommon. Yeah, because they're from yeah, but Brazil. Brazil. We actually we actually interviewed some of the people from Brazil because they have they have their own little mini cocoa fest in Brazil. And basically, Brazil did not have real copyright laws, so they were allowed to clone whatever the hell they wanted, and then mm. nobody could come after them because the government would say, "Yeah, that's fine, go ahead." So they cloned a lot of machines. In fact, they yeah. they have a version of their their Timex Sinclair clone that looks almost exactly the same case as this, with a slightly different keyboard, maybe some very other minor things, but same shape, same color same size so they made a ton of clones it wasn't just cocos um and they were pretty popular in in brazil because you of course you got to pay the clone prices you don't have to pay for the original prices and you'd have to pay shipping to get all these machines right. from the uk there was and, no licensing whatever so they were just completely ripping off the roms yeah they were ripping yeah, so, everything yeah. was the hardware yeah. design and the roms were all just ripped off and the way yeah. they went so they were cheap I, but I'm, that was it's it's crazy the brazilian gaming scene is just endlessly fascinating because they had a huge odyssey 2 scene too uh, and there were there were Odyssey two games that were exclusive to the Brazilian market. Like Popeye was exclusive to the Brazilian market. So, Interesting. Pretty crazy. You wouldn't think that out of Brazil, but was olive oil know. wearing a thong? It's hard to tell. Most of the characters in Popeye for the Odyssey two are sort of indistinguishable. So. <laughs> yeah, right. So that's true. But yeah, this is one of the best photos I've seen to actually Absolutely. compare the two here. So yeah. That's the main reason I, I threw it I love here. those multicolored chiclet keys. It's That's very, very so... pet-like. Yeah, it's very mm. cool. I mean, the upper... Well, I have to say, the arrow keys look like almost like they're hand-drawn. Mm. Yeah. The green ones? Yeah, yeah. That's mm -hmm. true. It's not as yeah. perfectly. Um, I, I wonder if those that was a later edition or they were worn out because you know that's the QAOP <laughs> of the uh, you know I bet those were used a lot because in gaming that's probably what yeah. you used right. Everything's in italics, even the arrows. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Ken Reichert says instead of catching hearts, it was catching wax. That's a Brazilian wax joke there mm. for you. Um, nice. So uh, yeah, that's good. And that top keyboard looks kind of like what you'd see on a laptop today, or that kind of looks like an Apple IIc Apple IIc. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's cool. Yeah, and the arrow keys are in a different place than either the Coco three or the Coco one and two, because they've actually got the up yeah. and down arrows left of the space bar, and the right and left are on the right of the space bar, yeah, which actually is not a bad. Hugely no. bad layout. That, well, games. I mean, it's it's very reminiscent of the ZX Spectrum because uh, in the ZX Spectrum you use the QAOP for up, down, left, right, and what they've done is they basically just added extra keys beside those keys to function as in the same way. Yeah. So. QAOP. And just for both here, I'll show you the version of the Spectrum. 
Notice ah, any similarities? Yeah. 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 It's the yeah. Same, same damn shell. Yeah. Right. I mean, those are, those are beautiful machines. I they love are. those things. Yeah. That yeah, it's pretty gonna... bad when you get an illegal clone that actually looks better than the original machine. Heck yeah, you're you're <laughs> yes. not wrong, Curtis. <laughs> Can't wait to see. Anyway, pretty fascinating uh... stuff. I I don't know when they're planning on the next. I mean, Brazil's going through hugely bad COVID and has been for months now. I mean, they're the mm-hmm. worst country on earth as far as proportional but, uh, population. But once they come out of it, I and they get another one of their fests going again. We're gonna have to see when we get a live stream from them to kind of go over because they were playing some of the games where they've translated the the text in the games over to the native language and stuff too. And they, as you said, both they've got some unique games they wrote on their own. Yeah. Plus, isn't Erico from there too? Yeah, Erico is in Brazil. And he's been doing all these low-res like karate style games and stuff yeah. too. Like he's a, an absolute brilliant master of semi-graphics. This next one's another one Steve you can talk about. So the uh, is this now a quarterly publication? Is that generally the... It's Yeah, other than the one time I missed one quarter, it's always been a quarterly publication. So yes. Uh, okay. 2020, I, I, we only had three instead of four, and that was my bad, but I made up for it in December. Because um, I know you've been getting a lot of praise now that the, the newsletter used to be a black and white, and I've got a ton of them back here from the 80s and stuff when I used to pick them up at Rainbow Fest. But now it's become a full color, much more modernized looking thing, and it's gotten a lot bigger. So now you're at the point where you're doing like 60 pages an issue. It's almost a magazine unto itself. Yeah, yeah, and that, that was kind of... Um, so answer is yes that is true so so the history like and yeah so here's a nice color cover right and i i I added all the volume 41 number two i added that this month in this issue i added that this month so i just thought that i just thought okay yeah Uh, i stole that uh pixel art off the internet somebody on uh uh, what's that damn thing called um uh pinterest yeah (laughs) so i found found this on pinterest oh it's this is a cool looking uh, pixely summertime picture so yeah thank you random person on pinterest uh pinterest that i stole this from um but yeah so when i took it over i was kind of like yeah i would like to add a splash of color here and there and i would like to um you know raise the aesthetical bar a little bit i didn't i mean number one i don't have super great design skills i'm not a you know a, a public uh, graphics designer or anything like that but i just thought there's some things we could do and, and slowly it's been getting a little bit more colorful and whatnot um but what i really need to do is i need to make sure i give all the credit in the world for the reason why this is 60 pages and number one curtis we're basically taking your news links that you post every week after the show and that is our pot of news that we're pulling from and and so we're taking all your links and then what alan murphy has been doing is he's taking those kind of making them read better for print versus how we do it on the show and things that need to be visualized. He'll go out and he'll grab the screenshots and he'll do things like that. So between what you do every week and what Alan has been doing over the past three months, that made up for the the news segment, which is probably half of this thing. So um, lots of, um, you know, kind of optimized for print versions of the news we do on the show is in there. Um, so, uh, you know, as much as, you know, I'm the, I'm the editor, I don't want to take all the credit because, um, there's a lot of people that, that help with this. So, um, yeah, we have our president's platen, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, so over time I've been trying to just tweak it and make it look a little better real time frogger. Yes, I can relate to that. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, this one, uh, 60 pages and a lot of it's news and, and also to say thank you. Um, Bob Swoger sent us that picture of the library. So Alan Murphy has been given us some incredible in-depth, look at this one, exploring Mega Mini MPI sound. I mean, the amount of detail this guy gets into with his 
um, hardware reviews and everything and how he explains things. He's uh, the documentation the guy creates are, are just uh, you know stellar. So this is a super technical write-up, but it's all broken down and explained very well. And then he gets into some uh, sample code in BASIC where you can talk to the sound chips. And so so Alan's been giving us some great content on a regular basis. Uh, Rick Eulen has too. He's doing some uh, OS yeah, 9 password, stuff. You know, so it, the contributors are what make the content. And, you know, I get the, I get the fun part of trying to make it all look good on the page. You know, I'm not really writing anything for this. I'm just trying to massage was yeah operating system nine this is a, a a thing that rick's been working on this is his second um submission here so yeah it's getting we're getting more technical write-ups and program listings and a lot of things so it is starting to incorporate things you would have found in some of the magazines of the day like your rainbows and hot cocos and whatnot um so yeah and so this is the news right so this is three months worth of news that we basically stole from you curtis so because <laughs> the text yeah my files, royalty checks in the mail yeah, right the text files were already <laughs> there you know but but we went out and, and grabbed screenshots of things because this is a visual medium so a lot of times on the show we'll talk about it or we'll play the video but you can't do that in in a print right so we had to grab you know imagery and there's some of speaking well, plus of quite a few people listen to the show as a listenable podcast so they never see these pictures so this is one way they can catch up right 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 too and and as i'm looking at this like we are covering a lot of stuff from facebook so i start to ask myself well what is this news or is this just a facebook digest rehash but honestly i then i started watching the real news and you watch the local that, news that's what it is there's everybody's tweets yeah everybody's and, yeah. showing stuff yeah. from social media on yeah. quote unquote real news but not everybody is on facebook and even if you are who has time to monitor every group and everything so this is a nice spoon-fed um, distillation of what's going on every three months, you know, so I think this is still a good um, resource, you know. Well, plus it amalgamates the different news stories because there's like YouTube, there's the listserv, there's yeah. the Facebook group, there's stuff posted directly to Discord, there's all kinds of stuff. Right. And quite a few people are not on every single one of those and they never hear about this other news at all. Right. So this is one place everybody can go, they can get pictures of it if they only listen to audio versions of the podcast. And they also get from sources that they may not normally have access to, period. Yeah. So I, I would, and I don't say this very often, but I would say I'm very proud of what the newsletter has become. Uh, and and I attribute that to the fact that I have enlisted a lot of help. Because if it had to be all me, it would suck and it would continuously be behind. So <laughs> the fact okay. that we have a lot of, and we have Tim Lindner who does, um, you know, professional printing for a living. He's been doing a lot of proofing and massaging and tweaking and also helping gather the screenshots for the news. So between Tim and Alan Murphy and um, and Rick's contributions and Salvador Garcia has been giving us some really good articles. And so we say this all the time, dude, send us your send us your stuff. We want to put you in the newsletter, you know, come on the show and talk. We want to feature everybody. We don't care if you are an expert or not an expert, but we would love to hear from people on this show. We would love to have people submit stuff to bring into the newsletter. Um, you know, so more is more, right? And I, you know, the, this because we're not printing this thing, it could be a hundred pages, it could be a five hundred pages if it needed to. Matter of fact, we already started. Yeah, the shipping costs don't change. It's yeah, just a free yeah, download. Yeah, it's, from a, your it's a free email. But we are talking about because uh, I started asking Tim about this, and Bruce Moore was thinking about it because Bruce has made a few books. Um, we could do like a, a year end thing where we take all the four issues and make a limited run of a hardbound physical thing that we could maybe has as an uh, an option to bring to coco fest or something you know yeah. 
And, and there are so many print-on-demand type yeah, features. Yeah, like Lulu and stuff. Right. So, exactly. yeah, there's just, there's a ton of stuff in this issue. So, as you see, he's on page 36, and he's still going, right? So, um, we try to cover everything as it comes out. Nice screenshots of what people are posting. So, um, yeah. So, thanks, thank you, Curtis, because you do most of this on a weekly basis, the news you bring for us. And that um, is the... Yeah, and so David Craker says, reminds me of the rainbow. Thank you, David. That's extremely high praise. And um, that would be the goal, um, would be to make this magazine quality. And, you know, each every three months maybe it gets a little bit closer to that. So, speaking and by the way, rainbow, spe speaking of talented artists, Ron Delvaux, we'd always love to have some stuff from you, cover art or things we can throw in. One, one of the things I keep saying I'm going to do and I keep forgetting to do, but we've got a lot of pictures in, in Discord from the Coco Art Gallery. I keep meaning to throw some of those in a newsletter, but I'm always so behind on everything that it's always a last minute rush to get stuff done. But we've got a ton of artwork already in our Coco Art Gallery on Discord I want to bring to the newsletter. But yeah, I'd love to have you create stuff for us visually, Ron. Um, right, you know, so that 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 offer is always open. Together on it. Yeah. But the, so the next one's going to be for fall or autumn, depending on how you cut, how you think of it. So if you want to maybe come up with a cool cover that uh, kind of encapsulates that season, that would be kind of cool. Okay. I, I'd like to start doing a back cover. I don't know what the hell would go on. What what was on the back cover of Rainbows? It was just a full and page usually ad. Usually full page ad. Full page yeah. ad, right? But, you know. It'd be like, you know, Spectral or whoever would grab the full color that was one of the main advertising ones. So it usually be one of the bigger publishers like Spectral or Tom Mix or something. But I think I I really think Coco Talk should purchase a full page ad on the back page, full color. Uh, you, so, that's funny, right? <laughs> so I'll just tell you from me personally because and I, it's been probably a year and a year and a half I've been doing this. I try to make sure that when I'm doing this because this is a Glenside thing, this is not a Steve thing. So I'm trying to not plug. Hey, by the way, I do YouTube, and hey, by the way, I do this show. So I try to make this not about me or anything I do as possible because this is all about the Glenside and the community. So I that to, seems uh, crazy. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but you know, so you'll notice that we've mentioned in here probably three times now the Coco Crew. We've never mentioned anything Coco Talk is because we don't mention ourselves in the news. When you think about that, Curtis, you know what I mean. So, well, because the news is curated from us anyway. I mean, right. that's probably presumed to be but, a bias enough but, as it is. Right. But the the downside to that is is that it would be good to say. Oh, by the way, on Coco Talk, we had this really good in interview with Aaron Newcomer. We had this good interview with. Um, well, you know, interviews Stephon I think Vogt. you should mention in there because but, that is something people will want to go back to listen to. But the reason why I can't do that is because number one, I'm not going to remember, and number two, you're not putting in the news what we do. We're not counting ourselves mm. as news. So and, Curtis, and, and you maybe, really need to start. You need to start. Yeah, because uh, I'm pulling. I, I, I got enough on my plate. Thank you. Very much. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there are things that we do throughout the three month period that are probably worth putting into the news, but we're not we're not counting ourselves as news. You know what I mean? So we probably should. But interviews, yeah, that's one I think I think we should put in here because those that don't let regular listen to us might find certain people they do want to see the interview or, or hear the interview, yeah. even if they're not normal <coughs> listeners. But yeah, so uh, Eric Canales is always a good help and a good resource for helping me get it all put into the mail, you know, sending out through the mailing distributions and getting on the website. And I love what he's doing with the new updated. We got some stuff on the Coco oh, there's, Show. There's some Amigo stuff in the news. Yeah, you guys are in there. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. So it's definitely. I would say that the newsletter is as broad spectrum and as non-biased as it can possibly be. We are trying to cover everything and everyone, and I'm not trying to make this a showcase to 
um, you know, fly my flag on things that I, that I'm a part of. It's certainly, you know, Cobra but I think, Talk I think, is, I think John's right that we should include some newsworthy stuff. Yeah. From our and, own and, and the problem is too, is that because I'm not, I'm the editor, so I'm going by content that's being sent to me. I can't remember everything that we do. I, on, I mean, on it could show. be as easy as, is is just, you know, Curtis just mentioning Coco talk a couple more times in these, in these text files or whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, or what I need to do then is I need to go back and look at my playlist and say, okay, of the past, you know three months what were some of the notable things we've done on our show and squeeze those into the timeline too you know um so but yeah there's a there's a lot of stuff in here um and it's all thanks to curtis and alan murphy and everybody else to help me get this stuff going so yep anyway it's a free download um originally the the, the newsletters were only mailed to people that were paid members of Glenside, but that's this is kind of like a community promotion now, so there's no cost. What is the uh, what is the going rate over at Glenside now to become a member? Uh, I think it's fifteen dollars for the year. Okay, just curious. And that covers the newsletter. And, and, and if that... you go to Coco Fest, that automatically included your Coco Fest fee. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you if, yeah, if, you, if oh, speaking of Coco Fest, so we are trying to uh, get speakers together. I don't know if you or Aaron would be a, a, able to come, John, as a speaker in person or at least virtual, but we're trying to figure out some different speaking slots. Mm. And I think one of the ideas that's being pitched is to maybe get people who are into uh, podcasting and media to have a kind of group table talk on that. So it'd be great if either or both of you could come in person in November to the Chicago area, but if you can't be there in person, maybe join a virtual uh, panel. Yeah, of, uh, I mean, we're, we're like a podcaster's be, round table. You know? Right. We'd definitely be up for, for being part of a panel or something like that. Sure. Yeah. I'm not sure uh, what Aaron's schedule is like. I'm not sure what my schedule is like in terms of being able to come to Coco Fest. I'd love to be able to come. Uh, but uh, Plus Aaron hates Chicago, so I don't know if he does hate anyway. Chicago. Uh, but uh, but we'd definitely be, at the, very, at the bare minimum, we'd be up for appearing virtually for sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously, in person is the most desirable, yeah. but realizing yeah. that where we all are and our schedules and whatnot. All right. So then we have some of Bruce Moore's strip here, Joey and Coco. Um, Salvador Garcia started a new strip called Coco Chronicles. So, yeah, I mean, it's really, um, I think it's evolving. It's kind of an, a gradual, organic evolution. I didn't want think, to... I mean, at any point, do you think too much is too much in terms of the length of this thing? Have you ever thought no. about paring it down? Or are you just throwing no, it? No, honestly... I think because I, when, it's every three months instead of... Yeah, if it was monthly, yeah, then true. maybe yes. That's but if yeah. you take you know, three honestly, months Honestly, at first, because I was new to this, I thought there could be such a thing as too much or too technical because I had no idea. I was not in this world before. And um, But as we started getting some of these contributions and these submissions, I'm like, man, this is good stuff. And why should I be the gatekeeper on what's relevant or not just because I don't it's because it's not for me it doesn't mean somebody else is not going to like it and again we're not, we're not printing this we don't have to save pages or save postage so now I say more is more yeah. uh, if we got to 600 pages every three months that would be awesome that'd be an incredibly terrible problem god I got 600 pages I got to read now I got to get this done between, between the next <laughs> one we, 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 we read hassle. 350 yeah. page rainbows every month so that's yeah. not a problem yeah you know and, and and there's like there's not a lot of fluff in here too like every now and then I would put in a full page ad or something just to make it look kind of magazine-y but I'm trying to keep out all the fluff and make it all content I'm you telling know, so. you I'm telling you this Stevie you owe it to yourself to put a full page ad for Coco Talk in here. I mean, you're the editor. You need to give you need to give something back to all. Well, there is if you if you go to page two, I try to plug everybody, right? So okay. I've got Retro yeah. Innovations, Cloud Nine. I, I noticed you put the most important one first. Yes, I think. absolutely. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, so, we got like all the different podcasts. Yeah, we even have the Coco Show yours. on there. Oh, well, thank so, you for including us. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. So you know, trying to be, uh, you know, trying to be full spectrum, non-biased here, and not making anything more favorite than anything else. So, I did find it cute that you put the Cylon. Yeah. On Zipsters. Yeah. yeah. There, so, I mean, go grow, grab it. Um, Glensidecc.com. But but I mean in this particular case like the uh, the OS9 column that Rick Dillon did which is a continuation of the one he used to do for World of Six Eight Micros except now with the more modern you know versions of Nitrous Nine and I think you'll be getting into you use specific stuff soon in the future too aren't you Rick or yeah yeah we're so any questions just fire them at me or Bill um, but I mean like Alan Murphy's been doing this stuff on the various sound you know sound chip hardware that's out now too and i mean some of it's fairly complicated program like we take a look at the article he did on the opl3 chip which is like the sound blaster that's built into the mega mini mpi i mean there's a lot of stuff you could do with that so it's 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 a long lengthy article very detailed but if you want to learn how to program these chips and use them to their full extent you definitely should read it in fact i'll have to be doing that soon because i'm planning on doing a driver based on some of the stuff that he's researched uh, for the next version of nitrous so so it's, it's it's good. You have a lot of like general news for people who just want to keep up with the Coco world and what's happening. And then you've got some technical articles that you know drill down for the programmer types. So we're trying to you know hit everybody yeah. from the game player to the casual user to the you know the hardcore techies. There you go. Well, thanks, Stevie, for putting all that together, or at least whipping everybody into shape. Hey, hey, uh, I, I do have one suggestion, Stevie. Of course. Um, maybe what you could do is you could do a Bitly link. And you could you could advertise this. You could do bitly, you know, bit.ly slash uh, coco, and uh, and then that would automatically give people the the newest issue link right there, and it'll be an easy way to advertise it so people could get to it quickly. Because this is kind of a hard link to advertise. You know, you can't just riff that off. You know, because it's 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 pretty long, but. Going to Bitly. Have you ever played around with Bitly before? Bitly is like the, sh- the tiny it's URL a link shortener. Thing. So yeah, you can go like Bitly, tiny. Bitly slash, and then whatever you want, and that and that, and th- maybe you could get more people to read it just by being able to advertise it pretty much constantly, just because it's so easy to say. Okay, that's uh, worth thinking about. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Next step. Uh, this just got released yesterday, and then an update just got released today, which you'll see mentioned here. So this is VCC 2.1.0D, uh, you know, an increase of a letter. So it's a fairly minor as far as version numbers go. Um, and the one bug they fixed this morning when they re-released it, there was a problem with mapping the arrow keys to use as virtual joystick positions. So that was a bit buggy, and that's been fixed and released this morning. So that if you bought, if you downloaded it last night, go re-download it to get that bug fixed. But basically, the general bug fixes from this from the 2.1.0C. Is there, as listed right here, I'll just read them up for the audio listeners. Fix the bug that caused certain RS-DOS word processors such as Elite Word, VIP Writer, et cetera, that would skip every other line of text, which was fixed by James Rye, I believe is actually in our chat right now too. Um, eliminated the allow size checkboxes is redundant. You should always be able to resize. I totally agree with that. That was one build it himself. Reset a few default values that had gotten changed so that they make a bit more sense. Also from Bill Pierce. Um, adding a custom key map editor. This is probably the favorite feature I've read about on this is where you can make custom key maps. And one of the problems with, you know, trying to remap stuff to modern keyboards is that some games were designed for the Coco 1 and 2 with the arrows, left and uh, right arrows were on the right side of the keyboard, up and down arrows were on the left, so you could two-hand a game. And a lot of games were designed that way. And of course, most modern machines have all the arrows clustered together, and they could be a T-shape or a diamond shape or whatever. Even the Coco 3 had problems. Some of the keyboard games became impossible to play. 
the fact that he's allowing you to remap it means you can custom make it so that you can play some of these old games like Avenger by Corn Software, for example, is one that's pretty well impossible to play on the, even a Coco 3 keyboard because of the way the keys had moved around. This will allow you to fix that. And MAME has had that capability for a while, so it's nice that BCC has it as well. Um, he mapped the F break key to F12 as well as Escape to facilitate use by some games and applications, which is cool. And uh, updated the manual, and that was something that uh, previous versions of ECC up until I think the very last one, he had not been bothering update the manual, even though there was a ton of changes like the cut and paste features that were added and all kinds of stuff. So it's good that the manual is now being updated well, so people that are new to VCC now don't have to like go through back a bunch of forum posts trying to figure out what the hell's been added to the original old manual, which was written back when 1.43 was released or something. So that's... Uh, that's a real positive too, but it's, it's nice to know that it's still being active. I don't sure. Do you know if Walton's Embody still doing OVCC updates or is he kind of stalled on that? I, he was trying to make that as a cross-platform VCC for yeah. Linux, OS 10 and Windows, whereas this is a Windows yeah. only. Can basically. neither confirm nor deny that question. I'd like to, I'd like to see the two keep somewhat in sync if at all yeah. possible. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, you can rapid wine instead, but. Okay, next up, we have uh, David K, which is not somebody I know who that, or David Cree, I guess. Is that Craker or is that somebody else? I'm not even sure. Well, that might be his. Uh, that might be his um, eBay handle. That is. Uh, so, yeah. uh, David, if since you're in the chat, if you want to let me know if this is you, because I have no idea. But he basically picked up a, a Qualtech and kind of does an unboxing video and then does some tests on it. And of course, he finds the same programmatical stuff that is irritating on the Qualipad. Uh, that I found when I bought one, which is why I returned it back in the day, which is basically if you lift the stylus off, it automatically centers. So if you're trying to draw something and you accidentally lift the pen up just a smidge, all of a sudden, wherever you were drawing on the screen, it just jumps back to the middle. Okay, so it's not, not him. So it was quite quite annoying, and he was also having some issues when you go to the very far edges of it. So I'll just play a little bit of it. I mean, he takes it apart. The, the one so thing that these are hard to find with is the stylus, right? So the stylus was basically just a solid plastic pencil all right pencil kind of a very blunt pencil tip um but when you find these things on ebay and stuff you very rarely do you find them with the stylus so the fact that he got the box and the styrofoam and the stylus that's a nice um nice, you know, nice grab to have the whole the it's whole. you know on the atari they made this a non-issue because they physically attached the stylus to the to, ah. the, to the pad so Unless you've got a pair of wire cutters, you're always going to get one. <laughs> <laughs> your joystick plug, and you go and goes through the manual a little bit there. But uh... well, speaking of self-centering, I, I remember Henry Reifeld had done a video where he was using the Koala Pad as a game controller because you just like touch the four corners to go up, down, left, and right. So yeah. I, that's an yeah. interesting. Uh, and if you let go, like if you lift the sides, it automatically centers. So yeah, it's like it a centers. Yeah, so that is kind of like a d digital gamepad. Yeah. But the thing is, most arcade games are Twitch games. You have to react quickly, and after you lift your hand and move it several inches over well, to tap nobody, down again. Nobody said it was a good idea. It was <laughs> <laughs> Can it be done? <laughs> uh, I mean, that, that was the reason, like, for me, the Koala Pad never really made sense, because you could use it, like you're saying, as a self-centering joystick, but there was a delay, lag time of you, you physically having to move your hand over a fair bit. And then there was also the problem that if you're trying to make a drawing program of it, as soon as you lift the stylus, it immediately centers again. Now, I'm not sure, was Atari set up as a digital or as an analog style device? Oh, there's, I don't think there's any analog style devices on the Atari. I think it's all digital, so. So did they, did they make draw programs like this? Like, how would you know where on the? You know, that's a great question. Um, I, I, you know, I've got an Atari 
touchpad, uh, just, you know, just like the one that's in the auction, the Atari version. And I'm guessing, I mean, well, I guess I'm, I guess I'm a liar because they, it would have to be analog because you'd have to be able to chart every single one of those positions to be able to draw anything on the pad to appear on the screen. So, um, yeah, I guess, I guess it is an analog system, but I'm sure that none of the games used it that way because there was no analog stick available for the Atari. Okay. Right. Yeah, because it was always a kind of that in-between thing. It had some nice features, but didn't fully work as a self-centering joystick replacement, and had some nice features, but didn't totally work because as soon as you lifted it, auto-centered. Mm -hmm. So it couldn't use it as a proper, you know, touchpad. Like the actual X-pad, which is the big five hundred dollar one that Tandy sold, was a proper. It was higher res, first of all. Yeah, but I'll, it actually I'll, I'll had get mine to show you real quick. Right okay. Yeah. This, this is like. This is like the the bottom range. So. You have your modern touch screens that are capacitive, and then you have the older touch screens that are resistive. Yeah, this is like. And then resistive. you have the koala pad at the very bottom. It's even less than the resistive. Yeah, like I said, I actually bought one at Radio Shack in the day when they came out, and then I ended up returning it within a couple of days because I I found it useless for anything I was trying to do. Yeah, I mean, I'm I had one, but uh, I don't remember being overly enamored with it. Um, Mine was also pressure sensitive, so if you pushed a little bit, you would change the reading somewhat. Just okay, I'm just going to stop sharing here so Boat can show his version if you want to highlight. Uh, so this is there. the um, this is the Atari Touch Tablet. This is the Atari CX77. Oh, nice um, Touch Tablet. And in addition, like I said, it's got the the pen actually attached to the uh, okay. the, the unit here. Um, but then and then you've got the the regular joystick port, which is just you know it's just a nine pin you know D sub port. So. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this thing is analog or not. I mean, because I don't think that you can get an analog connection out of just a nine pin because you're, well, you're they had the paddles on that. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, there that could go. be that in, inductive pin thing too, where it does a timing. Yeah. Tell where and the they, pin is. You've also got two buttons here, which feature, you know, it's almost like a right and a left click. And right. I don't, I don't know the functionality of these, but it's kind of a neat addition. Um, but anyway, yeah, we have it on the qual pad too. It's two buttons. Yeah, that's that, that's what the Atari version looks like. Yeah, that's neat. It's it's looking because of its size. It's looking more like what I don't know if that if it's pronounced Wacom or Wacom, but the, yeah, it's almost like a Wacom. Yeah, pad. yeah, Absolutely. it's getting a little yeah. bit bigger into that arena there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now the X Pad, the expensive Radio Shack one that came out of the Coke one, that was a very nice tablet because that one actually had sensors where it would tell: Are you touching the tablet, or are you only about half an inch above? Yeah, you could hover and then right. and press. Right. Would I, I, I don't think hovering. this one has that. This one did come with a a cover over the like a plastic cover over the top, so I think it was almost like a Palm Pilot type. I can't remember. Is it inductive? What's the name of the touch? The, the, exactly, and yeah. inductive. So there's a signal yeah. in the pin that the tablet can pick up when you're close because yeah. that was one thing about the expat i really like because actually had a basic program including the manual when you got with it, it would show yeah. you how to do that so you could have a little dot you know you could move around by hovering over yep, it yep. and as soon as you press down it started drawing mm. and that was awesome it was it that was actually really quite cool. good for drawing and it was yeah. 8-bit resolution so you can get pixel perfect on your x and yeah, y two, three, six, axis one, get, two, full yeah, range full yeah. range resolution the only problem was it cost more than the cocoa itself yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say that had to have been an expensive, an expensive yeah i got mine on it was 479 i think yeah. uh wow. when i remember the, i got mine when they thing. were getting rid of them i got one thing i got mine for 100 bucks back in the day yeah you so. made a steal there buddy yeah yeah, it's it also made... not compatible with the Coco 3 without some modifications, too, unfortunately, mm. double speed. So. It, it, well, oh, I didn't know about the speed, but I know it requires 12 volts to power just the cartridge itself. Hmm. But I didn't know there was a speed or timing issue on it. So Yeah, Bill's been working on that. Okay. Because we want to get it running a native one thing. So. Anyway, thanks for showing us that there. Oh, no problem. Yeah. 
Anything we can do to show everyone how amazing that Atari 8-bit platform is. <laughs> right. We're, we're all right. about doing that on this Coco show here. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, you did say this was a 6502 show. Steve, That's so right. Everyone's down. favorite processor. <laughs> Brian was trying to show us a pad. Oh, hey, let me spotlight Brian. Oh. Stop sharing? Uh, yeah, well, I can maybe shrink you over. Okay, go ahead, Brian. Yeah, here's the one you guys were discussing. The, uh... the X-pad. Yeah. Oh and, my God. And there, and there was all the menus you tap on the outside. Yeah, and... that was uh, that template on the outer area there. You could uh, configure those kind of hotspots, those zones to write software where you could tap on. Like you know, I think the one of the sample programs was if you see in the bottom, there's a the different color things there. So if you had tapped on one of those options there, you could change the color you were um, drawing with, assuming wow. what, what graphics mode you're in. Obviously, we could, couldn't get all those colors in high res. But yeah, draw, paint, erase, line, circle, box, clear. So yeah, those all would be a specific XY coordinate where the pen would touch. And then based on that coordinate, you could then assign that to a function yeah. in your And then program. you still your 256 by 1i2 inside of that, but you could yeah. actually draw on. You know, yeah. it's funny how the same company that wouldn't put an LED on their computer to show you that it switched on yeah. would produce a, uh, <laughs> and, a $500 and, and, and the, tablet. The, <laughs> the pen itself was an actual ballpoint ink pen. So you could put down a piece of blank paper and literally what you were drawing on the paper would, would be showing up wow. on the screen. Incredible. You know? Yeah. yeah, it was almost the equivalent of a Wacom back yeah. in 1981 when yeah. it came out. Yeah, look at we have Vanna White freaking here over here. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it, does I, the pen still have ink in it? It That's does. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> unlike the uh, ribbons, oh, yeah. and, uh, unlike the ri ribbons and ink jets of the printers, that freaking pen still holding on, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, when the Coco Two came out, they reduced it to five volts. They they discontinued it. I guess they well at the price they were originally selling it. I can see why it didn't sell well. It was expensive as a disk drive. Yeah. Cool stuff. But yeah, Wacom tablet is a uh, innocent. It's a it's a page in the Coco history book. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I will play the video. You guys can go check it out because he actually or does some basic. Koala pad. Yeah, I think I said Wacom, but yeah, the koala pad. Yeah. yeah. So it does something like a you know it kind of talks about some of the same issues I hit and demonstrates them on on here with basic programs. You kind of see what's going on. And just so you know, I got somebody who's going to be knocking on my door in about twenty minutes. So I'm, uh, depending on where you guys are, either you guys will keep talking or I'll, I'll need to run a commercial break. But um, I'll vamp. Is not the technical term. Yeah. Personal <laughs> finance is this? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. If you have to run out for a while, here, there's. There's 16 videos of about 15 to 20 minutes long each. I'll just play them all. Oh, okay. Yes, this is Michael Pitts. We'll teach stuff. everybody how to do taxes yeah. and things. So anyway, we've covered Michael Pitts. He's done these uh, videos before. We go into the multimedia educational software because yeah. the Coco was one of the few computers that could actually have you know digitized audio on tape coming through the speakers while you're displaying graphics and interacting with the keyboard or joystick. So Dorset was an educational company that did quite a few of these series. I, mean, I think we showed a Spanish series, Living Spanish. So this is the personal finance series, and he's got all 16 chapters of that, and he goes through all of them in their completeness, so you can actually see the entire program. So it's like income tax, borrowing money, credits and loans, borrowing from banks, real estate. Uh, I probably need security. to run some of these income tax ones at the end of the year, so I make sure I'm doing mine properly. So yeah. So pick pick one. I'll just play a couple seconds so people kind of see what they have. Uh, how about them. personal finance borrowing money? Personal finance here. 05. Yeah, borrowing money. We could all use a loan every now and then, right? See if it's going to stuff an ad. Who didn't do well? Turn this one up to 11, man. We need to hear about borrowing money. Look at that car. Yeah, look that's at those not, fonts, too, man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
you needed money to replace a blown-out tire or to repair a leak in the roof, or even if you just lacked $100 for a $1,000 vacation trip, you would probably go into debt for the amount you needed. You wouldn't and probably couldn't borrow $100,000 for a Ferrari convertible if you didn't have enough income to buy your groceries. Well, Nick Morentes doesn't have this problem, though. Nope. Doesn't this sound like the voice of the when you borrow money? What would you do when you go to borrow money? Oh, oh this is like a quiz. Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> Listen, I went to school once already. I'm not doing it again. All your life. Most homes and automobiles are bought with loans. And, and Coco 3 is on eBay now are bought with loans. sales by offering credit to consumers. And finance companies urge consumers to consolidate their debts by taking out one big loan. This is starting to sound like a financial nightmare in the making. Financial planning <laughs> and budgeting. I, I just find it fascinating that back in 1984, the Ferraris are so damn cheap. Yeah. Uh, but the guy, yeah, he's play, a, very, a very good professional announcer voice, though. You know? Yeah. The, the voice sounds a bit like the uh, Coco, uh, Coco uh, Ricochet commercials. It sounds like that guy's voice. You know, that, you know. Uh, actually, it could be JT. <laughs> 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 You'll go far, Fletcher. You'll go but, uh, and this this is one of the unsung heroes of, of the educational programs back in the day because it was the Coco was one of the few systems that actually allowed you to do multitask the you know, whatever audio playing cassette plus you had motor on off control so you could pause the cassette while graphics and you'd have to write the program at the time with the tape. <laughs> David Crager says I need to finance an expat purchase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and this is one of the things Atari eight bit couldn't do. <laughs> or could Listen, it? Or could it? Could it do audio? Well, it, definitely, it, def it definitely could do that. Okay. Yeah. All right. This reminds me of the uh, there was a series of conversation of language programs like, you know, teach yourself Spanish. Right. Where you, you, you press yeah. play on tape and you've, you've got the same sort of thing going on. Yeah. Neat. Now, did the, I can't remember. Did the Atari have a control over both the audio and, and the motor control cassette where it could turn it yeah, off and on could, and shut the audio off? And on and, yeah, okay. Know, kind of Absolutely. Stuff. Excellent. Because I'm, I'm imagining like we did we did the Spanish one last time on here that Michael did the whole series on. So I'm guessing Dorset probably made that for multiple platforms that could handle that kind of stuff in hardware. Be, probably. I mean, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you cast your net wide when you're making yeah. software like this? Yeah. And you just one announce or record everything once, and you just port it to the right. platform. Yeah. Use that. But I know some of the old 8-bit platforms couldn't do this, so this was a bit more rare. I, I just finished reading an article about conversational Spanish for the Atari 8. That, that's why I know this. I, ordinarily, I wouldn't. Mm. It's well informed. Yeah. Um, cool. Thank you, Michael Pitsley, because yeah, these are uncommon things and he's capturing them yeah not many people like kept their old you know spanish tapes and stuff here yeah. but uh yeah i can hear see the basic spanish which is the one he did last time he recovered yeah and just remember you put an l in the front and an o on the end right so like to and this was ron delvo's favorite one because it was the solar system teaching one but actually at clyde tomba the discoverer of pluto was actually one of the voices on the actual things you actually had to hear from the discoverer himself neat Next up, uh, Pedro put up this uh, video here where he's actually using the RGB to HDMI converter, but now he's got hooked up to an MC10. Ah, this and is the one that Aaron was showing us, right? Yeah, I, except now, if you remember from when we interviewed Aaron, uh, Pedro had mentioned that they've actually been talking to the people that authored the, the firmware Okay. on the converter to get it to solve some of the glitching problems and some of the shakiness, and it sounds like they're all solved now, so this is actually demonstrating the new version of the... Uh, firmware so i'll just it's only a minute and a half so i'll play the whole thing 
So I've been going back and forth with Ian from the RGB to HDMI project. And I'm currently using an alpha version of the firmware for the RGB to HDMI uh, converter. And we finally got it working perfectly on my Coco 2. And now I have it working on my MC10. And uh, here we go. Look at how it's clean that is. Clean. Oh, yeah, colors are bright and vibrant. And, and pff, it's very clean. Oh, um, that is Nirvana, man. powered from my MC10. Turn it off, and I'm going to turn it back on. And you're just tapping into the VDG okay. then, right? Tapping into a couple of leads off the VDG. Yeah. Okay. And what I want to do now is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to load a, a game I found, Tetris, for the MC10. So... It's not a Jim Gary one. Oh man, how's that even possible? <laughs> First, it's an ML, which Jerry Jim doesn't usually do. Okay, exactly. And there you go. I mean, it's hard to play on this keyboard, but it works. Oh, what did I do? Okay, spacebar. Not bad little version of Tetris. I've actually Tetris. seen the MC10 Tetris oh, yeah, before. It's so. Graphical. Oh, so uh, Pedro saying it so would yeah, go straight RGB to the VDG, PC but he had to cut a capacitor somewhere. Yeah, that was part of the solution to get that, you know, the little problems they were having before when he was showing, like, between the Coco 1 and Coco 2 and stuff that he's shown before, where he was working really good on one, but not so much on the other. And apparently that capacitor solved it for both. Oh, can you, can you scroll back a little bit? Because Erico's asking, where was the cyan? When you, when you see, when he showed all the color. Uh, oh, the main color bar thingy? Yeah, the whole character set. I think it was towards the beginning. And you saw it print out all the characters right, oh, there, there, right there. Where's the cyan? The cyan is right kind of tealy looking. Yeah, it's a tealy cyan. It's a tealy cyan. And the uh, that that what do we have there? It's kind of a fuchsia looking color there. Like what is that? Maybe the cyan is the one beneath the green. I don't know what the hell that is. On the, on the, the left the is cyan, green. The cyan oh, is that's right the blue. The so the blue is looking very not purplish, navy. A little bit purplish. Yeah, it's not like a navy blue. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's it should be like a little more, that might be the angle of the camera and stuff too. Yeah. Know, so yeah, as Erica's pointing out, the yellows because yeah, some so some of the um, the kind of bursting of this is a little over pronounced in some areas. So the yellow's pretty deep, the red's pretty deep, the cyan's almost teal. Um, the, your fuchsia color. The magenta's a little. It's it's pretty close. This the cyan's a little bit greenish. I yeah, guess, but your blue is kind of washed out. Your blue is starting to look a little bit like light bluey, violety. You know. Yeah, but I mean, it's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty, not bad though. Pretty close, and I'm it's, sure those it's things. Can, solid, hey, Glenn steady. Hewlett has joined us. Hey, Glenn says, "Hey, I'm catching up on the game on challenge for my Pac-Man transcode. I use the same ROMs that Mame accepts as the standard version. I didn't modify any of the game code logic." There's your answer. Okay, Whatever. Glenn, do you know what version of the ROMs you use then? Because a couple of people that were used to some arcade patterns had mentioned that the patterns didn't seem to work. Rocky, that is pretty much all the colors. That is the nine colors that we can get on the VDG. There are no more colors on the Coco 1 and 2 that we can produce. Other well, there's than a couple the, of the screen modes. color set. You get that dark red and yeah. that other offset orange thingy. But yeah, basically that's most. I guess artifacting colors, you'd have the blue and the red are a bit unique too. Yeah. Not the same so I just think either. these are a higher intensity because yeah, as it's being pointed out, the magenta looks pink. right? So this is kind of just a higher level of intensity on the colors. But I'm sure some of that could be dialed back. Oh, oh so it's an algorithm that does the colors it says. Okay, yeah. gotcha. All right, but it's pretty damn good. It's pretty damn yep. good, and it's it's software uh, reconfigurable. So, 
It's a, it's an MC10 and HDMI, so there's nothing to complain about. It's, yeah, it's exactly. Super crystal clear. Yeah, go back to your freaking uh, old TV and crappy <laughs> RF connector if this ain't good enough for you, mister. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right, next. Okay, next up we got a batch of Dragon stuff from Dragon Plus Electronics, which is John Whitworth. So the Premier Sprite board, which I think we talked about last week, is actually available for order now. So it kind of goes into the history of it here, because uh, this was actually meant to be an, a product back in the 80s. But the company that was going to make it went out of business before it actually made it to manufacturing and out of the prototype stage. So he's basically has recreated it here. So it's a Sprite board with the TMS 9929 VDG chip, a couple of 16K of RAM, et cetera. So we've kind of covered it before. But he's released some videos to kind of show people what it's capable of doing here. So I've got those. Kind of queued up in various spots here. So this first one, um, and he said to ignore the beginning part here that uh, he screwed up the rec initial recording, which he cut off and didn't bother editing it. Okay, so that failed the first time. I was using the wrong drive. Um, we've actually got a, a color RF picture for the moment, so let's uh, make the most of it. Here we go. Well, that's the video we're used to. Yeah, he had a bad cable, he figures, but here's what the actual output of the actual card Nitros looks like. Nitros 9 coming through to V9958 on the Dragon MSX2 board. So you get a nice 80-column screen there. And, of course, the MSX2 also supports uh, the sound chip that's built onto it, too. So here's some uh, little... It's a very brief clip. Hopefully this won't nick the copywriters here because it's actually a Beatles song, which is notorious for copyright stuff, but... It sounds just like let it be. Yep. And then here's a, a little uh, one where he did a ba basically a demo. And it looks like they've got some extensions to basic. I'll have to have John you know, specifically address how this is done here. Um, but because it's in basic, you watch it doing the actual draw commands are slow like basic. It's normally quite slow in drawing stuff. But then you can see some of the sprite overlay stuff happening where it's running a, you know, a decent clip. And that's done in basic as well. So you can see the screen scrolling is a bit slow. I don't know if that's just needs some optimization or if that's a limitation of the card. I'm guessing it's just, you know, the software itself needs to be patched a bit. I can't see the card doing the scrolling that slow. But like print exclamation mark, that's a new, new one on me. So it's got true lowercase. It's got some nice inverted, you know, graphical stuff and inverted text characters as well. The board probably has its own onboard RAM and you- It does, between, it has 16K of onboard video RAM. Yeah, so the Coco talking to that RAM probably doesn't have a direct access to that RAM. Has to go through a port or some system whereby it tells this MSX thing to modify the RAM and hence the slowness. Yeah, because you might have to jam it through a single port or something. Yeah. I'd have to see the code to see if it's optimizable or not. Awesome sine wave. Oh, welcome, Tim. So you can see there's more colors than a Coco one or two would normally have. Plus, you got these, you know, sprites that you can control from basic. And they just clipped right off the screen there, too. Yeah. Ooh, we're doing uh sine and cosine circle stuff here, huh? 
Yep, and with more colors on the screen than normally would be able to get to the like one or two. Be able to draw lines and do circles. So is he patch basic to use the line and circle command, or is it a different way you got to do it? No, this way he's actually thinking he is using sine and cosine because that's not the way the circle command generally works. It looks cooler. Unless it's just really slow accessing the card, like Nick was saying. But he draws this nice little thing where he's doing lines and you know ovals and stuff like that. But then he throws a couple of sprites on it here, which is actually the more impressive part of this demo. Aside from the fact you're getting more colors than you would normally get in a Cocoa mm -hmm. 1 or 2. It's getting faster as the Look line at these, bigger. the tanks. I think it takes the same time to draw a circle no matter what the diameter, which is interesting. Yeah, so I'd say he's plotting that circle, not actually using a circle command. I just got some warnings about my internet connection being unstable in Zoom. You guys still hear me? Yeah. I'm not seeing any drop frames in the uh, in the thing yet. Okay. Now, Eric was mentioning in the chat, he says the MSX actually had quite sluggish scroll when listing basic programs on the original MSX, and maybe that's a limitation of the video chip itself. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of colors there. That's, this takes a while to draw, so let's pull that a bit. We have a pretty, pretty good color palette to start with. How many colors does that uh, chip do? Oh, geez, what is it? Up to 16 simultaneous, I think, and I can't remember if the palette's bigger than that. Yeah. There's a picture of the actual board with its own RF out. So not bad. It's a one board that contains like the video out with the higher colors. It's got the sprite controller on it and it's got the sound chip on it too. So, so anyway, he's been doing all this. And of course we mentioned last week, he's actually got this available in kit form. Now you can actually order it. Or, or is that the word pack two plus? I can't remember. He's got a couple of boards coming out. So, and speaking of, so this is a demonstration uh, from early experiments when he was using the V9958 chip on the uh, WordPack 2 Plus, which is the board that has the 80 column card, plus it has a 64K RAM for RAM drive, et cetera, on it. So this was some early tests here based on Parasurat writing some machine code. And he did it kind of picture in picture so you can see what he's typing on the VDG screen, because that's, of course, where the Dragon boots up by default. And basically, these little test demo programs that he's exacting right now are the ones pair wrote to, to, to do testing on the actual video card so you can see what it's doing on its own. There, he shifted it over a little bit. And, and of course, way more colors than a Cocoa 1 or 2 normally get. And this one seems to be pretty pretty fast on doing the refreshing. So I don't know about scrolling. That's the one thing I'd be questionable with, I guess. At any rate, um, maybe I'll sneak in a bit of a hint. We're going to be talking about some uh, future upcoming shows and guests we're having, but one thing we have been planning for a couple of years, actually, and it seems to be finally getting off the ground, is we're going to have a Dragon special on Cocoa Talk within probably about the end of July, first few weeks of August is kind of tentatively shooting for. We'll give you firm dates once we confirm them with all the guests, because, of course, there's a bit of a time difference. We might have to adjust the time of the show a little bit, depending on what works best for everybody. But we're going to try to get a whole bunch of the Dragon people on for a big special Dragon show of Cocoa Talk. And we'll invite everybody to come on to talk and ask questions and 
we'll hopefully get some demonstrations of some software and hardware that might not have been seen too much in North America or is brand new because there's a lot of development going on, including this stuff we're showing you right now. So I'm hoping to get John Whitworth, who's been doing this, and Karen's agreed to be on it. Stuart Orchard and a bunch of others have been you know, doing writing games and, and doing other projects on them as well. So uh, once we get firm details, though, we'll uh, let everybody know. But uh, I'm expecting that to be a rather long show since we're going to have quite a few guests on. There's a lot to talk about. So I look forward to that. And uh, a little bit future at the end of the news segment, we'll actually get into some of the uh, other interviews we've got coming up over the next couple of weeks. So. Now, this was an interesting one. It was posted in the Dragon Facebook group because uh, people were asking about the various ways to get media, like to load programs and stuff onto a Dragon for modern techniques of using it rather than you know, loading everything off cassette or just the old fashioned disk drive. So somebody, uh, what's his name here? Uh, Blue Arcus, I'm not sure who what his real name is, but basically uh, on the world of Dragon Form, he created a Google doc to compare them all. So you can kind of see here, like some of the various things that it supports. You get the Dragon MC here, the Cook SDC here, which of course has a Dragon mode with a dip switch setting, the Dragon drive using a GoTech and then drive wire. And you've got all those various things. Now, one thing that intrigued me here is that some of these actually have some pretty unique features. Like, for example, save state snapshot is only available on the Dragon MMC. And that allows you to save a game in the middle of playing it. And you can pick up exactly where you left off because it basically freezes the machine state. Um, it also supports cassette, uh, which also DriveWire lets you do as well, whereas the other ones don't. Um, so there's, there's some definite you know, positives and not necessarily negatives, but missing features on others here compared to others. So for example, the Dragon MSC with all these extra features that are really cool, it does not support using physical drives at the same time while the Cocoa SDC does with the multi-pack because you can just plug in the disk controller and you type drive off, zero off or whatever to enable the real physical drive. So you can actually copy back and forth from the SD card to the um, actual physical drive, which I've used a lot for backing up a lot of my stuff. Now, of course, that it requires a multi-pack of some sort where a properly done Y cable to do that, but... Uh, it's a, it's a pretty interesting comparison video here uh, between the various features on each. And there's definitely you know, pluses and minuses to each of them. So I don't know which one I would pick being a Dragon user myself personally. Hey, real quick, I just want to jump in. I, I just had some visitors show up. Are you going to be good to be talking about news for a little while where I could step away? Um, yeah. Like 10 minutes, I, I can, five, 10 like minutes now that, now that Tim's here, we got a demo coming up after that so we can switch to that. Just okay, I'm going to go on mute and I'll be back shortly. I just didn't want to leave the show hanging in case I don't know where you're going to go from here. So, okay. All right. Hi, Stevie. Okay. Next step. And this is uh, also related to the MSX2 plus. Um, so there's a post. Um, and, and this is something we'll get into a bit more here with, with Tim. Uh, I think I'll save uh, Tim. I'll save you for the end of the game on news. Cause I got a few other things I'll get out of the way too. So we can, Kind of transition and we can get onto that as long as we want but kind of a preview of it is that the msx2 plus board uh which is now released as actual hardware you can buy in kit form has also now got emulation in the latest versions of mame so you actually can do software development or testing of it uh from mame itself which means of course it'll eventually work on the cocoa pie once that's updated for the newest versions of mames as well uh, so they're basically, there's some demos, uh, Paris Rad had been porting, and we've shown these before on the show too, where he's been porting some of the AGD games from the Spectrum, but he's been porting them for the actual sprite chips and the actual, you know, full color modes and the sound chip and everything else too. Um, now, Tim, before we get into that, and I'll, I'll get back into the, when we do the full demonstration, but uh, from your involved, were you involved at all with the, uh, the main updates to handle the MSX2 or is that done by somebody else? Uh, not at all. That was 100% uh, Nigel Barnes. 
Okay. And and from your brief experience, we'll kind of tease it here uh, ahead of time, Mira. What what's been your experience with trying it out in MAME here? Oh, pretty simple. His his Facebook goes into really good detail on how to start it up, where to put the ROMs, and a nice sampling of games to uh, try out. Cool. So it's available for download now. And then if you need the uh, special ROMs and test programs that we were talking about here, John's actually uploaded those to the Dragon Group as well. You have to rename it because Facebook doesn't let you upload zip files. So you take the extension there and rename it to .zip and then just unzip it. So it includes the ROMs and it includes, I think, what is it, four or five different game samples from the AGD stuff? Yep. Tim? So we'll, we'll get a demonstration from that on Tim shortly. So for now, I'll just transition over to the game on news. We've got a few uh, bits before we get into the actual demonstration that Tim will be doing. So let me just uh, share back to the other screen. Did I share the right one? What screen are you guys seeing right now? Your web browser tab bar. Oh, now we're seeing the whole the web browser. Ah, okay. Okay, so you see the iMac screen there with the cocoa on it? Yes. Okay, this is another one made by Pedro actually. And we kind of mentioned that he was working on getting the uh, monitor uh, from his old iMac to work as a monitor for the cocoa using the RGB HDMI stuff that he's been working on. So he did a, a test on it here where he's actually got it running using the RGB HDMI converter onto his modded iMac G3 monitor, which I can't remember what the result of that thing was. 1024, 768, or might have been 1280 by 1024. I'm like, I can't remember. But basically, he's got it running on there. So, he, and he actually, because he just did, uh, he wanted to do some tests on color, like we're doing in the MC10, like what are the proper colors we can test them? And people were asking, what kind of Cocoa programs can you run that actually show, you know, pretty well all the colors in a single game? So, a lot of them told him that they should use Nick Rennie's semi graphics game, Rally SG. <laughs> so, that's exactly what he did. Let me just find what to do. Okay, here I've got my blue board hooked up, my Coco 2 blue board hooked up to my iMac DV, iMac G3 DV CRT. And so it's gonna look a little dark because I had to play with the saturation in order to get a nice stable image on the CRT. But so what I wanna show is, you know, the RGB2 HDMI board, it's working great, it's perfect. There are no sparklies. I've been working a lot with, well, rather, Ian has been working a lot on this. He's just been asking me for feedback and I've been doing some testing for them. But uh, yeah, just quickly, I'm gonna restart the Coco. You get the Pi screen there. And then instantly you're in. And I wanna load, uh, I just bought Rally SG uh, from Nick Marantes, uh, and I wanna show it off here and I'm gonna try and play with my joystick. How many Ferraris is it now, Nick? Uh, four. <laughs> I found it amusing. He's loading a cassette too. Yeah, while well, this is loading. Um, you mentioned in the chat here, it says a 1024768.75 hertz screen that he's doing this on. Spent many hours to get this just right. And there's a version of the firmware out now that is stable and it works on the Coco 2. And I tested it on my MC10 uh, and it looks really good. And I really love the way it looks on this uh, VGA monitor now, which by the way, this is not really a VGA monitor, but I've turned it into one. And um, it's a great 
It's a great look. It's a great retro look, I think. Or it's a good, a good match. And it films it's pretty good. Really crisp. Yeah, the 75 hertz helps really a lot because it doesn't catch the slow well, there. scan. Yeah, there, there's okay. no rolling, which is great. There we go. So, Nick, you can attest to the accuracy of the colors. I haven't got the sound working. I plugged it into the yeah, it looks good. I'm curious to see how the flickering radar works. Which, by it? the way, this game is... I'm playing with the joystick, and it's yeah, much easier. The radar looks okay. It flashes every now and then. Uh, right now for that could be Discord. Yeah, could be the that could be the Discord. It could be the joystick. actual camera he's using, depending on its refresh rate. That's how yeah. it's It's a fun game. It's well made. I really like it. Oh, I died. Now I see why Nick recommended this video to me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> And then I asked around on the Coco Discord server for a game with colors. This one was recommended to me by Dave6309. And I mean, it was, it's perfect. It has, I think it has, you know, a lot of colors. It looks nice and it really looks good on this VGA screen. So, Nick, did you give it to him for free? Oh, whatever. Plug Obviously, your, plug your game? terrible. No, he bought. I and didn't I know would he was rather doing at the moment be playing <laughs> Pac-Man transcoded, but I have had. Yeah, to Nick, he's really just another sucker. I mean, customer. Three <laughs> so. working. Is he piping the sound through the um, the screen as well? Any idea? I think he did say that he is piping it through the speakers oh, yeah. built in the front of the iMac. So yeah, hey, it's getting good sound. Anyhow, you get the picture. Uh, the HDMI converter or the RGB to HDMI converter here works great. It's very clean. And uh, again, this is. He said he did have to play with his camera to get the flicker solution. down. So the 75 hertz doesn't totally solve it, but off the it definitely seems to help. Because it's a 60 hertz camera, but the 60 hertz screen, um, it catches that and scan. He needs, he needs to darken the screen a bit because the black is not black. It's Well, he said bit. at the beginning that he specifically did that so that you could see it properly on the camera because it wasn't oh, okay. yep. showing up. It was dimming everything else down. Unfortunately, it didn't make up for it. Probably trying to do its own auto white balance or something silly. Yeah. So I, mean, I thought it was a pretty cool experiment. And I, I, I'd like Aaron to see this. John, if you can show it to him because he hates Max and he loves Coco. So I want to see his head explode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, you know, this is, this is something that I, I'd be interested in learning how to do converting an iMac, you know, a G3 iMac into an RGB monitor. That seems like a really cool thing since it has the uh, integrated speakers and everything. That's really cool. Yeah, you can even do full stereo because that's stereo speakers. Right. And even right. a CD-ROM drive, you might be able to hook up or DVD, depending that, on the That may be asking a bit nice for the, the Coco. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but seeing Aaron's head explode, I think would be well worth it. So I'd, I'd just love to see it. Absolutely. So if, if you do get a reaction from him, please tape it. Okay. <laughs> Did they remove the uh, offending Mac parts out of there? No, I don't think so. Oh. Still got the big iMac logo on the front. Exactly. I think some of, these, uh, some of these are quite readily available. Or, I mean... Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, because the iMac was the thing that resurrected Apple, so I mean, that was their, their best seller. You, you can get G3 iMacs all day long, and people can't yeah. give them away because they're so heavy. Uh, it's about 25 pounds. Yeah, even uh, with that little carrying handle built onto the top of the monitor. It's, yeah. Uh, uh, the, uh, I, I, what I'd love to see is sort of like a KVM switch where you can switch between the iMac and what, you know, sort of a generic RGB connection, and maybe that's what he's got going on. I'm going to have to see. Uh, again, I'm going to have to check out a tutorial. Yeah. Yeah, Rocky, if, since you're actually, or Pedro, that you're actually in the chat as Rocky Hill there, if you want to just mention uh, some answers to both questions there, he can kind of catch up on the chat there too. Okay, so I'm going to do these stories backwards from the original list here for anybody who's got the list off of our Discord here because I'm saving up one there. I want Stevie to be able to see. So 
Next one up we will go to is the black hole, Dragon 32 cassette. So back in the day, um, there was these things called 50 games. It was basically basic games written and sold as one tape. Like here's 50 games made in basic that you bought at one shot. And this particular one, um, and it's cassette number 50, game number 38. So these were you know, not the greatest games, but in this particular case, there's actually uh, two versions of it. There was a 1983 version, which is kind of using the text mode. And then there's another one, uh, 1984, that tried to use graphics mode and it's some weird, and you can kind of read the directions on the screen here as, as I'm yakking over it, but uh, it's, it's a fairly simplistic game. It's not the greatest game in the world, but it kind of shows you that if you bought one of these dirt cheap, you know, 50 games for the price of one type thing tapes. And I remember even PCs used to sell these little packages of 100, you know, card games or something like that, that were, none of them were very good, but it was if you wanted, you know, cheap software with a lot of variety, at least they gave you something for, for cheap. And I'll skip over a little bit at the beginning, but he actually does mention here that alien move, if if you or the alien move onto any of the Death Stars. So it's not aliens, it's aliens. So it's just so you know. But the basic game is you're trying to, you know, prevent yourself being sucked into a oh, black oh, hole. Oh, 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 no, no, he's going to get me. He's going to get me. All right, so I press space and then it warps me wherever it chooses. Oh. It seems a bit too random. It can die pretty quick. Uh, oh my God. Come on, I want to. I want to at least get over the green line once. Go, 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 go. Pretty simplistic. Yes. Let's have a look at the 1984 version. The 1984 version. Drag you into its hole. Oh dear! Don't get dragged into the black hole. Okay. Let's have a go then, shall we? Well, that was nice, wasn't it? So normally this this level of game would have been a type in a magazine. This is not something that normally would have been commercial, uh, except maybe at the very earliest days of the home computer revolution or the first year of a computer, maybe. But uh, I think these are popular. Both you can probably tell me because you've, you've done a few ARGs in your time. I'm assuming most of the machines have these cheap, basic compilations of here's 50 really, you know, mediocre games to grab. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you see this on literally every every 8-bit micro has games like this. Yeah, Karen, Karen mentions in the chat there, he says, uh, I think Cassette 50, which is actually the name of the product, was out on loads of platforms. So I don't know if they use the same games on each. So maybe there's a specky version of Black Hole 2 or something. I'm not sure. But... <laughs> it died immediately then. So I've got to get into that red hole somehow. But if you see, I, I, every time I push the joystick. Hey, he wasn't too impressed with this version. <laughs> right. <clears throat> Honestly, I'm not too impressed with it either. But it was, it was just kind of a way for getting people in, you know, for a cheap, they get a bunch of different variety of games and they're all in basics. I mean, if you wanted to learn how to program, you had some, at least something to base it on besides the manual. You could look at the listings for all these things here, but uh, they weren't the greatest games in the world. Okay, next up here. And this is uh, one that was pointed out by Tim Linder himself. So Tim, how did you find out about this uh, Kickstarter project? A YouTube channel I watch called um, uh, Good, Bad, Good Bad Flicks is either a participant or um, he's he was pushing the Kickstarter because he's a fan of first person shooters. 
Hey guys, and I missed I, a few things. Can you mind going back and redoing them all? Since I was, uh, no, okay, sorry. Snooze, you lose. I think that's our model. So I just happened upon it from a random YouTuber. So this is meant to be a, a documentary on FPS, kind of the history, and also much more, I think, focused on the more modern stuff. It does go through the prehistory, like right back to 1973, with the very first 3D graphics games ever attempted type thing. Like a dungeon crawl or something, or. Yeah, though it, it's more first-person shooters, so I think it's more concentrating on the shooting genre. But one of the nice surprises that Tim found on him when he pointed it out is that Phantom Slayer is featured in the oh, uh, intro pre-roll of the... Now, you know, 75000 in Canadian, what's that, like 40 bucks American? 54487 <laughs> says right on the screen there, you idiot. <laughs> yeah, enough to go to dinner with that money. Oh, you made a Canadian curse. <laughs> No way, eh? That's Lurch from uh, Moonraker in the bottom of that screen there. I recognize that. Yeah, right guy. there. Yeah. Yeah. How does that? How does that? How does that have to do with first-person first shooters? shooters? I don't know. Maybe he's a bad guy. Well, there is a GoldenEye first-person shooter on the uh, Nintendo 64, but I doubt Lurch was in it because that was from the uh, Pierce Brosnan era. Ooh. It looks a lot like Daggerath right now. Oh, there we go. Yep. Oh, look at that! Phantom's there! This is really well done, this intro. Yeah. I mean, where's... As technology evolves. Yeah, I was going to say, you can't, you can't have an FPS history without Wolfenstein. play the whole four minute thing you can go check it out and if you like the project you can back it up on kickstarter so, it's really so, cool that it has phantom slayer oh absolutely what what it's hard to imagine now um because even before nowadays the the violence in video games is so realistic it is as graphic as watching an r-rated movie i mean video game violence now is over the top violent but even back in the 80s there was this whole thing about parents being concerned about video games being too violent because we're shooting things and we're blowing things up you know and um so when graphics games were still very pixely and blocky there was already this whole kind of you know, movement against video game violence. But when uh, Doom came out and you're and you're literally running around killing people, that was a game designed to run around and shoot and kill people with blood. That was hugely over the top, graphically pushing the envelope and boundaries. But the whole, the I can imagine this meeting. Okay, we're going to make a game about running around killing people. Oh man, people are going to be shocked. But we'll make them... Nazis. Oh, okay. It's all right. Nazis. Everybody hates Nazis. Kill them, right? So, I mean, that's how they kind of got away with it is that this, you know, this archetypal bad guy, and nobody's going to complain if you're killing Nazis, right? So, I mean, but this, that game uh, was just Wolfenstein was the most graphically intense, violent game of its time before things like Mortal Kombat and all kinds of other stuff, you know? So, yeah. Wolfenstein was also the first game that many people played that was the 3D, you know, first person perspective at all. I know it was yeah. the first game. There was a couple before that, that but yeah, that was. Right, I mean, right. This sort of, I know that there were many, but uh, for the mass market, 
that was really the game that sort of turned people onto that perspective. I remember playing it for the first time, just being in awe of just being able to move around in a three yeah, space. It's yeah, incredible. yeah, 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 yeah. This one will probably be best known as kind of the the definer of the PC-based first-person shooter genre. But first-person yeah. yeah. perspective, as we see here, was 20 years before this. It was around, but the real-time fluid, not like step, step, step as you're stepping down the hallway. This one was yeah. one of the first ones to kind of do that. Um, yeah, because FamSlayer, like, like you said, it's a step, step, step. They give the illusion of it because they would scroll the yeah. screen when you sit yeah, in that yeah, corner. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. But the, the fluid and the thing even for me, like there's my parents are this way and I, I'm kind of this way too. Certain 3D games will screw with me and give me like motion sickness, right? And so it has to be done a certain way. When I play the older games that are 3D, I end up feeling dizzy and disoriented because somehow it's screwing with your equilibrium and stuff. So good 3D should feel kind of organic. And, and and stuff like that. So if I play older 3D games, I can't play them too long without having to stop, you know. So and I think See, and I, have, I have the motion sickness no matter which 3D game. Oh yeah, yeah. modern times. And yeah. th 3D movies were like that too. Some of the early, you know, early 2005, six ish 3D movies gave me headaches. And as that technology got better, I can watch a 3D movie now and then not have it bother me. So. Yeah, because I literally have to go back to like Phantom Slayer, Star Graphics, then I don't get sick. But if I'm playing even Wolfenstein or Doom or Quake, like it, it starts kicking in after right. a while. And, and the more modern ones actually it hits me faster. Hmm. It can literally take me 20 minutes and I can't look at the screen anymore because I'm nauseated. Yeah, this looks cool, though. This looks really cool. Yeah, it's a really cool. I'm, I'm glad Tim found that. So thank, thank you, Tim. All right. Next up, our entry for the Jim Gary collection this week. So this is a video for the beta version of his port of Walter Bright's um 4x ur i don't know what the heck i was typing there um i don't know if it's at a console or something but it's a game called empire which you recoded for the mc10 of course now this is a originally a turn-based war game that was originally started by the original author walter bright in 1971 on a pdp 10 so this is old um and then he finalized it in 1977 um, and then it got ported to a ton of systems, C64, the Apple II, DOS, Windows, Atari ST, the Amiga, etc. So this is his MC10 version of it. Sound is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like got the exploratory map where you'll yeah, see so parts of the map. It reveals the map. So fog, fog of War. Teleport, transport. Yeah, so you're moving troops around and, and et cetera. So it's a, it's a nice, it's a war simulation. But I didn't realize that genre had been around since 1971. Wow. I mean, you play board games like this, like by Avalon Hill and companies like that from mm -hmm. the 50s and 60s. There's a lot of popular you know, games. And we had a, one company for the Coco called Arc Royal that pretty well made their living completely off war-based games, simulations like this. But... Uh, I didn't realize it was that far back. Anyway, if you're into war strategy games, it's probably a fun one. And now the segment I was saving up for Stevie. Oh, really? Here. Cuthbert Dragon uh, ah. did a couple more videos here. So he's got a few that I had not seen before. And a few we've seen before. This is so the window know. shade guy, right? With the white line across the yeah, screen? Yeah, you bet. <laughs> All right. I remember him. So if you haven't watched the segment from last week, Steve, there's a few you should catch in there, like Ring of Darkness and Lucifer's Kingdom, etc. Okay. And... Is Damon Seed a new one? the page and delete some again on me here. But... 
we've got Puyan in there with the better looking colors. <laughs> Other than the green, yeah. the green pig. Looks like it he, looks like the ones that I put that he put up yesterday. He's removed. Hmm. Let me try to force reload. What's Bonka? Which one? What? Bonka. Uh, bottom. That's Apple Panic, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, because you go from four days ago to today. Yeah, and he actually just posted these yesterday. Dragonhawk, Return of the Ring. Now, the Lucifer's Kingdom we showed last week, he actually uh, did redo that video because he's actually gotten further into the game. So you can see there's different planets and stuff you're traveling to. It's kind of like Xenion. So I will play that a little bit just because it has some new, new stuff in it. Oh. Pretty smooth. So you can see at the bottom it says he's on planet Giotto, I think, and region Epsilon. Oh, yeah. Those are some of my favorite planets and regions. <laughs> oh, I saw a little alien face on the ground there. Kind of reminded me of Gunstar. Yeah, that's cool. Very smooth scrolling and parallaxing and all kinds of stuff going on there. Yep. And then, then this is what he didn't get to in the last video version of it. Let, let me ask you guys a question, you, you programming types. By making a game monochrome, how much... Uh, sort of space or you know efficiency do you save versus making a game color? I mean, can you make a game scroll twenty five percent faster by not having any colors? Well, it depends um, on how big the pixels. If if the pixels yeah. are bigger, then yes. But otherwise, you're just trading uh, color for detail. I see. Right now, technically, the reason why this is monochrome is because this does not do NTSC artifacting. This is PAL, oh. but most of the Coco stuff was in this mode, and it, that's what you had your red, white, and blue right. stuff. So this is mostly just monochrome because of the the, the PAL, the, the PAL, yeah. the PAL yeah. stuff. Because basically, here you're getting a full 256 by 192 resolution. Yeah. Whereas if you did the exact same thing in the Coco, every alternate pixel would be red or blue. If it's a single pixel, you have to have two together to make white. And you got to notice he's not scrolling the full screen. Yeah, he's only scrolling a a, about a third of the screen. And vertical scrolling is easier because if you're, you're, you know, you don't have to shift pixels. You can just. Yeah, it's just uh, a byte move versus yeah. a pixel Copy masking. Bites. Now, this looks like one I should re maybe revisit with my uh, 639 on here at some point. I probably could speak yeah, and, and honestly, the yeah, sound effects are not completely annoying. They're just like nice little clicky sounds. They don't, they're not like. It's yeah. not offensive to the years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the scroll, scrolling speed might be um, intentional. Yeah, it might be intentional. Yeah, that's, to, that's true. Because the ships are moving a fair bit faster yeah. than the scroll. Mm -hmm. so. Next. It's quite yeah. good. It's got yeah. decent sprites and everything yeah, in there. Yeah, this is good. Yeah, well-drawn well, well -drawn characters. And he's even got the, the, like, a lot of the, the Coco games. Like this. Yeah. yeah, a lot of the Coco games like this that came out just had, you know, it, it, aliens would come flying into diagonals and bounce around and stuff. Like even Nick's Cosmic Ambush did that, but Xevious and a few others, you know. This one actually has the patterns like arcade games did, where they come around in you know spinning circles and patterns. Yeah, yeah. Which we didn't see much on the uh, Coco Dragon for some reason. Yeah, this is good. I like it. There's power ups and yeah. kinds of stuff. So, oh look, you can see the score multiplier stuff there on the screen too. So there's like some yep. game data that gets incorporated into the play field that's scrolling past you. That's interesting too. Yeah, it looks like a cute, cute, cute little game, which I until last week I'd never seen before. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, the patterns, like the kind of rotating movement of those guys. Yeah, they come in like sine waves with spinning circle group, you know, pad flight patterns and stuff there. So it's it's, it's nice because that didn't get done for any coping games that I can remember. Like Xevious didn't do that. Xenion didn't do that. I uh -huh. love that alien face. I was kind of like barking at you. Rawr, rawr, rawr. 
are. It's really neat. The animation, the continuous yeah. animation on that. And of course, the uh, the kind of simulating a dual plane with the stars going at yeah. different speeds and yeah. moving. Parallaxing. So who who uh, was this game distributed by? I don't know. Kieran, you're in the chat. Can you, can you tell <laughs> us? <laughs> I haven't got this one on my site yet, so I have no idea. Well, it certainly looks like NTSC artifacting, so I'd kind of think it was US-based. No, no, not necessarily. Oh, really? Where do you see the artifacting? I'm just seeing basically whites no. and... Orange software, a, he says. You... Sorry? Karen says it was distributed by Orange Software. Okay, I haven't heard of them. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, if it's a UK-created program, then it wouldn't have artifacting, because otherwise it would look terrible. Yeah. You'd have that purples I mean, and greens. I think that yeah, outside would, would show up as like an orange. Yeah. Yeah, he says they were a late oh, player. maybe, but... Yeah, it came out in 1988, he's saying. Yeah. Karen, I want to tap your brain when I get back into Dragon Games on my site here, because you know a lot more about him than I do. He's like the uh, the British Curtis Boyle. I'm sorry. When it comes to game <laughs> knowledge. And I bet it was distributed on a cassette. <laughs> Probably was. Yeah. The only difference between Karen and Curtis is that uh, Karen Karen's doesn't... smart. Yeah, and he doesn't... Bothers with that ni nitrous nine crap. So. <laughs> Plus, he's, he's a smart programmer. I'm not. I'm just a hack. He said absolutely when it comes to helping you update your uh, stuff. And yes, cassette. oh, I thought he was talking about absolutely that I'm a hack and smart. Uh, now this is really good. I love like it's kind of like the ah, it's good pinball machine where you can see the multipliers going up there. The more you hit something, yeah, and you shoot them and like the that's that's pretty it's uh, pretty high end, man. Yeah, it's, it's a decent game, and it, I, I guess it kind of shows the fact it came out later in 88, which is late in the Dragon Market, because yeah. uh, it is polished. I wonder what other programs this fellow wrote. Karen, did uh, do you know if Orange Software did more than just this game? That would be interesting to see. Uh, the, the guy did this actually. You know, did yeah, those, those letter C's, the more you shoot them, they start to like retract into the ground, you know? Yeah, a lot of attention to detail in this uh, yeah, that no, kind he's of done thing. well. Yeah, Torsten's saying it reminds him of the F-16 that DICOM did. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, that, one's that was too. pretty good. Yeah, I'll try one force reload here on his main page, but it looks like he might have wiped out some of the stuff he had just up yesterday, darn it. He said they did North Sea action, but he doesn't remember anything else. Torsten says the sound reminds him of Time Bandit. That's true, It does. it's kind of yep, clicky. A little, yeah. bit. a little bit clicky. Tor no, he, he has wiped them out. Okay, so hopefully those will show up again in a week or two because he sometimes redoes videos. He's done okay. that to me before. But uh, is, that's is too bad because he had some really good ones I wanted to show too. Is the Demon Seed one uh, one that was sold in the US? Yeah. Yeah, except yeah. it was Artifact. It was Artifact. Ah, yeah. right. So he's just changed the mode. Yeah, yeah. I thought so. Looked different. Cool. Okay, so that's all I had for Game On News. So the next thing is, is the MAME update to handle the dragon upgrade msx2 plus board with some sample games prepare surat is something oh, that tim linder is going to demonstrate for us uh, running the new version of maven with those things i will stop sharing and let tim take over oh my goodness this is uh too good to be true well, i like to do my part yeah all right should be seeing the screen now yeah dragon yep. dos now is this the official release of maven or is this still a preview version this is in the official uh, download that you can buy so this should work on the new raspberry pi update then oh it wow should. look at this 
Look at this. Here's something neat. There, there are keys that you can press at this stage to shift the video over. Oh, because of the dragon board probably has that to yeah. center your screen. I thought that was neat. Of course, it's useless on an emulator. Right. All right. So you can hear the music. Uh, no, I nope. can't. Can't hear anything. Did you remember to click the share sound? I key? did not. Yeah, just stop sharing and just restart, <laughs> and you can click it again. All righty. I do that all the time. That is really Steve impressive. Real sprites, man. Real sprites, real sound. Ooh. I like it. You just pause it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the keys are weird. It's uh, QA, O, and P. The guy looks like a freaking hot dog, man. Yeah, it looks a little bit like a... Oh, and it's uh, pretty it's like instant. one of your opponents in Burger Time, isn't it? Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Those skulls are really cool looking. Pickle Rick. <laughs> <laughs> 60 says, yeah, yeah, let's say hot dog. <laughs> and Eric will say the same thing with the sausage from Burger Time. Yeah. This is gangster. I could try another one if you'd like. Yeah, please. Yeah, please. Like Actually, this. we might as well cycle through them all. I haven't even seen some of these myself yet, so yeah. it'd be kind of a sneak. I mean, I want to buy that MSX board, but if I can emulate it and start playing some of these AGD games, so that would be freaking awesome, man. What are you guys seeing? Uh, right now, I see your black and white face. Okay. That's the size of a postage stamp. Boom, boom, boom. Dragon DOS. So this one is called Circuitry. Circuitry? Circuitry. Oh, I hear the floppy. This is one I don't think I've seen. Ooh, powered by AGD. It reminds me of a lot of Tron. Uh, di um, uh, discs of Tron? Not discs. No, no. Oh, Tron, no, oh, Tron Deadly, Deadly discs. discs from the uh, yeah. no, no. From no. television. Tron Mazatron. That's what it looks oh, like. Oh, well, no. Yeah. That one I'm not familiar with. I don't know that one either. The third game that nobody knows. Press I. Here we go. So you have little binary bits floating around and stuff. Yeah, oh, little circuit nice. traces. Yeah. So I have good. no idea how to play this game. Well, you're doing a great job. Yeah, this so looks far. like a game say, made don't for get nerds. Hit, I don't don't get why. hit by that. Yeah. Pick up. So your cassettes and floppies <laughs> are things you got to pick up. Okay. So avoid the avoid the bits. Yeah. That's gotta be yeah. It's gotta be a timing <laughs> thing. We gotta squeeze through real quick, right? It looks like your floppy is still spinning. Is what it sounds like, anyway. So yeah, you got, you're gonna have to figure out a diagonal jump to get up there. So the the difference here is because this is using real sprite hardware. You're not getting that spectrum color uh, problem where the colors would bleed on certain light yeah, boundaries and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I like this. This looks more like an Amstrad a CPC game than a Spectrum okay. game because of that. Yeah. Well, it's based on the graphics chip from the MSX, so yeah. Okay. The MSX is a weird dog. They, you know, it can it can basically it runs the gambit of everything all the way up into like NES style graphics all the way yeah. back to something like the CPC. So. Yeah. Yeah, there's various generations of MSX, so you have to yeah, kind of yeah, it ran them for a long time. Yeah. Absolutely. This one's called Froggy. Froggy Quest. Yeah. To Nargan back again. 
I like how they got the full color screens and everything, man. This is mm -hmm. really good. I guess the color data was always there, just on the Coco and Dragon, you couldn't do it, right? It's a bit odd. I was trying, trying to convert the hibernated screen uh, to the Coco. The raw pixel data is exactly the same, except the fact that they have uh, a tile color map mm -hmm. of 8 by 8 tiles, I think it is. And uh, each one has a foreground and a background color. So you have two colors you can put in each 8 by 8 tile. The problem with trying to translate is that sometimes whatever graphic editor they use to create these screens on the specy would switch the foreground and background colors between two tiles next to each other. So the first one says the foreground's blue, the background's black. The next one's flipped around. So when it came on the Cocoa, there's chunks inversed, and mm. you have to do a lot of manual manipulation. Mm. Hey, the only key Daddy's that's there. working for me is jump. I can't figure okay. out any other keys. I like that you got a couple shades of green on the screen here with the roses and everything. And uh, yeah, this is neat. That kind of purpley blue color reminds me of a Commodore a little mm -hmm. bit, you know? Yeah, yeah. Not enough earth tones. Yeah. <laughs> right, John? Yeah. Well, the, the you know, the Commodore, its signature is you take purple and gray slime and you stretch it over every every color. Yeah. That's, that's how you get the Commodore. Yeah, that <laughs> chirping you're hearing was the game he was showing us. That was the sound effects, the amazing yeah, sound effects. Amazing sound effects in that chirpy game. Diamond Geezer. Uh, <laughs> Hot Dog Man is back. Hot Dog Man is back. <laughs> Why do I have ladder twice in my list? <laughs> Hot Dog Sorry about Man. That. Game audio is a little hot. Okay. It's all right. That's okay. So is the host. Oh, hey, you're not kidding. Oh yeah, every time I uh, start it up, time. it kicks it back to mm -hmm. full blast. Yeah, back. the name does that. <laughs> oh, all right. Asteroidy. Oh, look at this rotating. Oh, this is like this is it's like an R-type asteroids mashup. Yeah. Ooh. Good job there, Tim. Well, well played, Tim. <laughs> I'm gonna play it like. Yeah, got colored lasers. I like the uh, yeah. Nice little blippy sounds. Got a lot of uh, spiders from Dungeons of Decorus. Yeah, the sound effects. How do you think they make those beams different colors? Do you think that's set on a on a timer, or you know, every every X laser is green or whatever? I think it rotates through the colors here from the looks of it because oh, a laser move. stays the same color as it goes across. So yeah, this is neat. This is really good speed. Yeah, I like a little trail of like particles. Oh, hey, hey, Tim. Karen says you're not as good at these games like that idiot from the book is. <laughs> <laughs> Damn him! <laughs> yeah, even like there's like little. Uh, like smoke rings coming out of the back of your uh, spaceship. Yeah, this kind of reminds particle. me a bit of Moon Shuttle, actually. And the yeah. fact that the stars are going in the opposite direction of where your things are moving is also interesting, too. All right, this next one's called a robot. Oh, this is a, this is a dragon with a six three oh nine in it, huh? Yeah, yeah. Wow, this is a souped up dragon. 
This I've is been a trying. Cool looking screen. Ow, that's 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 noisy. You turn, turn it down a little bit, please. A little hot. Yeah, maybe reset itself again. Oh, this is really interesting. Uh, this looks straight out of the ZX Spectrum. I can tell you that. Oh, this is kind of like uh, kind of like Seamus. Seamus, yeah. Kind of. So who are you? You're oh, you're the box. Yeah, I'm the white box, and I'm not dying. Okay, well that's good. Maybe. So maybe you are playing better than that idiot from the book. Um, <laughs> oh, now oh, I can move. Like so now you're playing like Sokoban. yeah. Oh, there's your pass. Okay, so you got to get the pass to get out. Can you grab things? Maybe there's a key for that. Maybe that's the impossible in the impossible mission. Yeah. What the hell just happened here? <clears throat> I was mashing the keyboard and this Something. happened. <laughs> <laughs> Something's gone wrong here. You've entered hyperspace. <laughs> I love the screen, though. Yeah, I like the way the HUD's laid out and everything. Yeah. Impossible mission. Oh, maybe easy mode made it possible for me not to die too quickly. I want to know what's going on in that that opening screen there. Yeah, is that stuff you have to collect? That or computer. Maybe so. Yeah. But you can't actually run over anything, which doesn't make sense. It seems like that would be natural since you're a box shape anyway. Here's the key. It is like Seamus. You're right. That, that's like a, a a bulldozer or a tractor. Yeah, it's oh, it, you yeah. picked something up. How did you do that? He got the key. Spacebar. Oh, spacebar space is like okay. action. The action button. See if you can do action on that computer. No. Nothing. No. Nothing doing. But now that you have the key, maybe you can get to that exit. Yeah. Spacebar not doing it's nothing. It's weird Maybe that um, over open or something. I don't know. You don't have a uh, you don't have a way to see your inventory either in this. You'd think that they make the HUD put that key. Oh well, it is somewhere. showing you the map. Yeah, it's got the auto map feature. I don't know what batteries yeah. means. Is that certain color batteries you have to? Collect Maybe that's a time. It's a time limit. Maybe. Okay, so you got the pass. Oh, they're actually chipping away at that rock. I'm not sure if that's um, huh? Maybe not. Or no. is it? No, it just looked like it. Okay, it looked like it. Yeah. Mm. Oh, so you could block those guys off. Now try going into that thing again now that you have the pass. I don't know if the pass is different than the key. Did you just do something? No, it just hung. Okay. You beat no, it. I like the I color it. set. You won. I like the color <laughs> set. That's Let's cool. try T speed. Are they always RO to run? They have been so far. Okay. Oh, I like that guy here. Yeah. Respire to add sprite. Hmm. 
speed demo. Oh, oh the speed, that's the, the engine, the graphics engine speed demo then. Oh, T-speed. Oh, those must all be sprites. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's a neat little demo. They're animated, Ooh. they're bouncing. So it looks like the sprites are two color then. Basically, you got a foreground, so background color. And that's what, it. what are we doing here? This is this is running on a dragon, which is the same as a Coco. Yeah, but it's using the MSX2 board, which is a product you can buy. So this uh, is this is so kind this of is showing where this is coming from. Or yeah, coming from that yeah, board. yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I, I like I it. I think I think I've uh, fulfilled my obligation. You have, you have <laughs> checks in the mail. There you go. Cool, Tim. So the latest version is what two three three? Uh maybe. Okay. Because I was just <laughs> looking at that um with the Coco Pie thing too. We just did a MAME update. Yeah, and that. the special ROMs you need for that as well as the demo disc is in the Dragon Group on Facebook. Yes. And you can just download that, which includes everything Tim showed. That's cool. Thank you, Tim, for pushing the MAME envelope. You're starting to compete with uh, Nick Morota. Nick the with the hair. The luxurious Absolutely. hair that, there, Tim. That was the you. first thing I thought of, too. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah. I haven't had a haircut in a You're year. You're raising the bar, man, on the beauty curve here, brother. <laughs> what luck to be ha to have a full head of hair. Yeah. I think you can say that proves blondes have more fun, right? That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, especially if you dye it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, far out. What's next, L. Curtis? Uh, game on news? No, uh, that was game on news. Oh, so. that was game. Was we, all that that is the completion of the news segment for today for both. both ah, sorry, because I did step away. Uh, cool, good stuff, good stuff. Yeah, so um, Tim, I was I've been working for Ron Klein a little bit too on the Coco Pie stuff, and I really like the whole MC10, MCX128 booting up and 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 loading up stuff off of there. That's really cool. That's yeah, the... I did a rejiggering of the uh, of the way the MC10 and the MCX128 operate. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Okay, and it works. It works very well. So, me likey. Do you think I could show something else? You can show whatever sure. you want, Tim. I. Um, so I've been working on a uh, a keyboard, uh, a music keyboard that uses a 6809. Okay. It's called the Insonic Mirage. And I would really like to show it off. By all means, please do. So this is just the control panel for the keyboard. The, okay. the keyboard uh, came out in the mid 80s. Um, it was the first affordable sampling keyboard um, that was good. Okay. And uh, so the idea is you would hook a, uh, a tape recorder up to it and you would record in samples that you then assign to keys on the keyboard. Interesting. Hmm. It's like CD soundboard kind. Yeah, sort of. And so if you were a starving musician, you'd be able to buy a keyboard like this and just go out into the wild and start uh, recording sounds and you know uh, create to your heart's content. Wow. But I have it hooked up to a software MIDI key. Wow. And so you can me. you can as as you go higher up the scale, yeah. Wait a <laughs> and all these uh, squares here are buttons that you would normally do. So if you wanted to load more, you would do 
Now, low. where is this emulator coming from? Are you developing the emulator for it? No, this is in MAME. Oh, mm. MAME can emulate the device already. Okay. Yeah. So it uh, it also came with a floppy drive so that you could record uh, the sound or save the sounds that you've uh, sampled to the floppy. And uh, a bunch of people created their own sounds and sold floppies for them back in the day. It uses the Atari, I'm sorry, the Apple IIGS sound chip. Okay, that's an Insonic. That's where the Insonic comes from. Yep. Okay. And uh, a few weeks ago, I got it working playing sounds. And uh, of course, it has a 6809 in it. So it's and you have the real hardware of this then? No, I do not. Oh, okay. They still go for quite a, they're really expensive. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But this wasn't just for the Dragon slash Coco. This this was a multi-platform. This was this is a, key, a music keyboard. Yeah, music, music keyboard, synthesizer. Yeah. yeah, this is a music keyboard. So that's something I've been working on. So you're building the emulator for it? I'm building the driver for Mame. Okay. That's what amazing. is it? What what are those? The original hardware. What's that going for these days on eBay? Uh, about four to six hundred dollars. That is crazy. The analog, well, it's not even an analog synthesizer, though, is it? It's just a mini uh, It's an analog, digital, digital to analog, right? It's it's a digital synthesizer digital. using uh, sample, wavetables. Mm. It's got 128K of memory uh, to load samples into. The keyboard can be split to half. Uh, um, and it also has a built-in sequencer. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you saw the buttons and you saw yeah. the display. It's yeah. really difficult to use, but it, it is there. Well, that's yeah. cool that you're building that thing, man. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I can barely figure out how to use MAME, but people who can make drivers for MAME and <laughs> generate things that work inside of MAME, that's like a whole other level. So, um, cool. Excellent, and excellent, it's excellent. sort of on topic. It is. It's 6809 related. <laughs> yep. So, cool. What's, what's the... Um, What's the one that Danny O'Connor was showing us? The one that Herbie Her Hancock used and stuff. That was that's the Fairlight. Fairlight. Okay, so this is like you're saying this was a cost, you know, reasonably priced one. Like the Fairlight was like not for civilians, right? So right. Um, <laughs> cool. cool. Yeah, stuff. I believe they they sold new for a, a thousand to fifteen hundred back in the eighties. Okay, I actually when I worked at Radio Shack, there was a sampling keyboard. It was probably Casio relabeled, but you actually had held down Constantly. record and you could record oh, one, yeah. one thing into it and then play it back out. I, so, I had a sampling keyboard just like that. And yeah, I mean you could you could you could say hello and then you play off the scale yeah. and your voice would yeah. be higher. Yeah, I loved yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. great. That was like you know eighty seven era around that time. I was so. six at that time. So. Okay, so. <laughs> Cool beans, cool beans. All right, so we've covered all the news. We've covered news news and game on news. Yeah, I, I guess we'll do the pre-announcement now. We might as well tail it in on the news here about upcoming shows. So we've talked about the fact we're going to have a Dragon special near the end of July, beginning of August sometime, where we're going to have the details. We'll let you guys know as soon as that happens here. But we're going to get a lot of Dragon guests on here, including some of the people who are in the chat right now. Um, we also got two interviews coming up the next two weeks. So next week is Marcus Bloomrich. So for you old timers that were around in the 90s, uh, Marcus ran the premier Cocoa webpage. Um, so we'll be going through some history of him. And he also he lived down the street from me when we were both young, uh, literally a block away. Joined the Cocoa Club with me. And uh, he's a couple years younger than I am. So he's you know not ancient. Um, but he'll have a bunch of stories about you know, some of the old club meetings and have stories about you know setting up the website and stuff. that Because uh, his website for the Cocoa, which I think he started in 90. 
seven was the one that inspired me to start my game site a year later. So the reason there's a game site now is because Marcus did that site in the first place. So he'll be our interviewee for next week. The week after that, we have Sheldon McDonald, who of course did the uh, Treasure Island Defense, which is uh, a game that uses the Coco VGA for the Coco one and two to do 16 color graphics. It also has sound chip support for the MS or PSG and the GMC game cartridges. And he actually designed his own custom 3D printed case for the game itself that Which we've shown on the cool. show before too. Yeah. So we'll be talking about all that. Plus he's actually been developing a lot of developer tools and stuff too, like an IDE and stuff too, that we'll be getting into that as well. So that'll be not this next show on the 10th, but on the 17th. So that's the two booked uh, guests we have for the next two weeks. And then the dragon special sometime after that. Very cool. We're getting some really cool guests. Thank you for doing that, Curtis. And I just want to remind everybody listening and watching too that we we want to hear from everybody so i'm going to throw out that plea again if you ever want to come on the show we'd love to hear from you it doesn't have to be a formal interview we can make it a formal interview if you just want to come on and join the panel and talk but we'd just love to hear from more people from the community um, that are out there if you're watching our show or listening to our show and you like what we're doing then why not join us on the panel at some point in time that that offer is open to everybody regardless of what your resume is right you don't have to be a hardware expert or whatever, right? So thank God, because I wouldn't be on. Right, unless you like to uh, burn your hair with uh, soldering iron, and you're you're still. Oh, welcome. see you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> so cool, yeah. Look forward to that, and look forward to the Dragon Talk special. That's been uh, we've been thinking about it and talking about it and dreaming about it forever, but now the planets are starting to align, right? Yeah. Uh, Jeremy says, "I want to be the middle spot in the Hollywood Squares. We can make that happen. We can put that in your writer." Where you get that? If you need only, if you need all the brown M and M's removed, we can do that too. Uh, you just let us know. We'll uh, we'll, we'll do that. Um, I don't think we could. If you have luxurious hair, I'm not sure we'll let you on though, because we do have a two gorgeous hair uh, count. So right now, Nick Moroda and Tim have that covered. So and two gorgeous beard count too. Oh so. yeah, there we go. So we got Ron and uh, Rick there. So Grant Lee, no, no Grant Leedies. Nope, sorry. <laughs> Almost everyone. <laughs> Uh, what's next, L. Curtis? Are we into the project update and acquisition part of the show? You betcha. So I'm, is Brian Weezer still on? Because I think he probably had some stuff to... Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing because Brian's on. There's got to be something, right? <laughs> I've also got something to show too, but I'll save it for later. All right, Brian, you want to go first on the sure. updates and acquisition side of things? Yeah, I got a few things that have uh, kind of been showing up uh, this week. Um, I was a little hesitant. I did buy some uh, 6809s from a local uh, a US uh, vendor through eBay. Um, but I was a little hesitant to buy some of the stuff from uh, Japan because I've heard bad stories. But the price was low enough. And so I went ahead and bit the bullet. And I did. I don't know. It, was, it came as a group. Um, but I got... Uh, each one of these sleeves has four processors in it. Okay. But the but the uh, the price was low enough. I picked up uh, I picked up five sleeves of these. Oh my goodness! Uh, <laughs> oh my a gosh! Whole stack of uh, processors here. Um, like I'm hoping you're going to plan on selling these to people that need six or nines, right? You're not well, hoping. That, well, that's why I'm looking for them because you know, I mean, some of the stock might disappear. So yeah, I mean, I'll have. What are you uh, talking about? He's going to fill those in his own machines. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's got just right number to fill all the ones on that shelf. A set of shelves <laughs> behind him, right? Pick. Exactly. Um, just like last week when I talked about the 6809s, I just kind of gave it the alcohol swab test, um, only because I've seen so many videos out there where they talk about the fact that 
shady vendors will paint over them and just put printing over them to say it is something and sell it. But uh, the ink didn't come off, so I'm going to assume that these are the real McCoys, but uh, I'll be testing them. Um, also from the same vendor, I picked up uh, four, is it? Yeah, four sleeves of 6821s. Oh, the PIAs, okay. Yep, those are the PIAs, and those also pass the alcohol test as well. So um, I got those. Um, That's a different so alcohol test than you use, right, John? <laughs> 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 Listen, the alcohol test I use, yeah, it's a different thing. <laughs> yeah, that's the Coco Talk alcohol test. It's, uh, if you're and watching Coco Talk for more than an hour, you need alcohol. I think so. Can we go ahead, Brian? No, it's fine. And since I did buy some processors, um, I went ahead and uh, picked up um, picked up some uh, uh, forty pin sockets. So you know, if you're going to go ahead and desolder a processor, might as well throw what, a socket what is in. What's the deal with these things coming in these long, you know, sheets of? Yeah, the um, um, IC chips and stuff like that over the years, this is how they ship them. It's kind of a, you can see it's kind, of the, it's kind of a channel there. Yeah, and it's that's an, so interesting. It's an, I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah, it's an anti-static material too. So it's just, a, you know. You I've never seen them that plastic, long it's, before. It actually will yeah. hold up under, you know, getting banged around a little bit. Yep. Yeah. So how many, got, how, many sockets, how many sockets per sheet? Um, well, it really kind of depends. I'm not sure how. Yeah, there's different sizes of the sleeves. So it's, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Rick, you might know. I mean, I don't know how long these things can come, though. But um, over the years, when I've ordered uh, chips and stuff like that, they come in various lengths. Usually, they just cut it to whatever length that you need for your order. So if you're ordering one or if you're ordering 20, they'll cut it to the right length and ship hmm. it to you. So, okay. Yeah. Um, what else do I got here to share today? Um, a couple different uh, serial to parallel. So this is the uh, one made by Metric. Uh, it's their Model 1 interface. I remember so that one. Yeah, so it goes from your serial, whoops, your serial connection there on the back of the Coco to your parallel. Then you need a baud rate selector. Can, Is that a buffer? Um, I don't know if this one had the buffer or not. Uh, there was a couple different models that they had. They had a one, let's see, I printed out the sheet because I was going to look at it a little bit closer. They had a model 101, 104, and a 105. And as I'm reading here, this one does not have a buffer. And uh, as I'm reading just through the quick specs here, I don't see that uh, nothing's popping out at me that, that any of them had any sort of a buffer built into them. Mm -hmm. So that was this one. And then there's another one out there that people have probably seen too. It's the Blue Streak Ultima. Blue Streak Ultima, yeah. Yep. And this wow. one that was a nice compact one because most of the other ones are pretty large. And this one here also had your, uh, your uh, selector there too. So this one came in this past week. Um, what else do I got here? So... I got this joystick. I had never seen the brand before. Um, I'm probably going to obliterate it here. It's going to sound worse than it really is. Um, Endicott? Endicott? Oh, yeah. Endicott, uh, um, Endicott yeah. software there. So That was one of the earlier ones from like the early 80s. Oh wow! So it's based so it's based of, on the original uh, Tandy design, but with the button. You know, yeah, that looks like yeah, the, the Dragon button. joystick. Wow. Sort of. Yeah, yeah, kind of a shorter version of the Dragon joystick. Yeah. What shocks me about that is how okay you've got the cord sort of knotted up there at the end. I thought that was the length of the, <laughs> yeah, the, length of the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, were they so based in New York? They were Huntsville, Alabama. Oh okay, Alabama. I Alabama. remember the very first rainbow I ever bought from August of '82. That was one of the ones advertised in it. Okay, yeah. I mean, it feels just like you're, you know, the the the, the uh, thirty-eight or the three thousand eight. You know, the Black Beauty we talk about. So, yeah, it's yeah, got the, so the metal and the older Black Beauty with the yeah, aluminum handle. The, yeah, the metal handle. Yep. 
so that one uh, that came in that was kind of a uh, that was kind of fun um also too uh from a little known uh, hardware vendor out there uh, we don't hear much about there mr coco man <laughs> Um, that was a loser pick- company, wasn't it? No, <laughs> yeah, <kidding>. failing. <laughs> Lousy products. Uh, <laughs> but I wanted to get another one of his SCART cables. So, okay. So that, that came in. So I wanted to get a second one uh, for that. Because it does it does give a nice output. Um, and then also this last week, I was in, uh, in Des Moines, Iowa uh, for work. And so the timing worked out. Um, you may have saw a post from uh, Alton Savage was his name and he had a list of stuff that he was uh wanting to sell he didn't want to deal with shipping so it had to be local pickup and everything and so uh from him i did get this nice clean working coco three nice because you don't have enough of them or what i, I don't have not have enough of them so but the price was right so got that um also a second coco three this one's been upgraded though um, this one has a 512 in it the upgrade one is one that uh, I do not have. Uh, let me take the cover off here. It's an upgrade made by JNR um, Electronics. So you can see that what board the there. What the hell? So. Holy mother of yeah, I remember that memory one. boards. I yeah, big one. Do your lights flicker when you turn that thing on? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you can kind of kind of warm your, your, uh, keep your coffee warm. <laughs> there, so, so um, but this one we had listed is not working. And actually, while I was sitting here on the show listening to Curtis to the news, I uh, popped the cover off, reseated the gimme, and uh, now we have a working. I was to say, either reseat the gimme or reseat the RAM too. So yep. Um, what was that? Also, yeah, yeah. I was just to say congratulations for not falling asleep during the news, and you actually got a chance to test it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, what's that and, red uh, button for? Is that the reset or? That's the reset because, of course, reaching reaching just behind the cocoa is just a little too far. So let's yeah. pull a hole in the top of the cocoa, yeah. cocoa and put a hole there. Again, now what, so. what, uh, hold up. Let me look at that badge. What the hell kind of 512K badge oh. is that? Is that like one of those <laughs> things where you like jury rigged home, turn, made, I think turn the dial and crimped the letters it, yeah, into the crimped, thing. That's exactly. Steve what were those what things and, called? Those old label makers. Yeah. So it's uh, a, yeah, the label. Dimo, yeah. Di- okay. You, may, you, yeah, may, you, had, you had the wheel, and you turned the wheel to yep. a certain other, yeah. and you oh, squeezed no, the crimper. The ah. Yep, and, and you did a very nice job. You even cut it in an angle, so to... Uh, yeah, 512K kind of Coco. Yeah, listen, that's an embossed Ram badge, so... Uh. Yep. Yeah, you did a nice job. <laughs> Ahead of time. But, of course, uh, you know, reaching, you know, reaching from here to here. Yeah, well, prob- <laughs> probably you would get, like, a second-degree burn crossing that grill there from all the heat going on inside, so that was for safety. Yeah, safety measure. It was, it was part <laughs> of FCC <laughs> regulations, I think. That might have been it. So, uh, And then, lastly, one other thing that uh, he also had. But wait, there's a, more. A third. Wait, Coco 3. For those of you wondering why you can't get Coco 3s on eBay, Here's your here's your reason. Well, the thing is, is that he, uh, um, like I said, he didn't want to ship anything. So if you if you can't get to Des Moines, you were kind of SOL. So um, and who'd want to? So and who'd want to? <laughs> yeah, that's a whole microwave, man. Home of microwave. Yes. Yeah, we could talk about that too. That kind of caused a little bit of a controversy, or not controversy, conversation, is what I meant to say. So um, it's still kind of ironing out there. Yeah. So I mean, because uh, Boise chimed in and Alan Huffman did, and then uh, someone named Kim, who must have been there. Back in the day, there. So um, yeah, James just, Jones was there too. I don't know if he's in chat today or not. Okay, yeah, because the location that I thought I was at, it, from what I'm understanding, it sounds like maybe that might have been the original location back in '82 before they moved to the location that Boise and Alan Huffman were uh, commenting about. So I don't know. Yeah, they upsized a few times from what I remember. So right, 
Well, he also had a couple CM8s. No, and what so a shame. Picked, Does it have a door? And, no and door. And no door. No door. No. So it's so it's a proper yeah. CM8. Throw yeah. it away. Is it Throw it away. It's worthless. <laughs> <laughs> Just send it here because you might. I'll, I'll recycle yeah. it for you. You'll re you recycle it for me. You got a vendor there, so. Um, send it to John. He can have the authentic uh, 1986 feel. Then. There you go. Um, I think that's all I got to share with you. Uh, oh, what a loser. So, what, a, what a liar. What a loser you I, are. I yeah. know. I can probably <laughs> so, Brian, <laughs> this is my weekly ask, ask about yes, how yep. your mega project uh, thing, mega. It's, com it's coming. Okay, it's coming. James yeah, Jones says that was Kim Kempf. He was at Microware not yeah. longer than I was and continued okay. on to ra uh, Radisys. Okay. Okay. So and I guess if, as he's listening there, so that location back in 82, was that the original location? Actually, that, can you uh, share the screen in case James hasn't seen that? And also so our, our viewers can see it as well, if you have that uh, uh, I don't. I can bring it up here, though. It'll take me just a moment here. Because some, uh, some of our uh, listeners and viewers actually don't do Facebook, so they never would have seen it. Oh, okay. Uh, give me one second here, I guess. And um... So, James, in the chat there, if you want to you know, let us know if that's the original location, et cetera, or an older location. Anyway. Let's see here. Sorry to put you on the spot like that, but no, no, I'm, that's fine. I just don't. Keep I got to keep my reputation up of being a jerk on the show. Right. So. You're I doing a great job Facebook. so far, Curtis. You You're haven't, such you haven't jerk, missed Curtis. a beat. You haven't missed a beat. So. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Whack, whack off there. That's that's fine. So. Uh, okay, let's see here. I'm sorry. Let me try to navigate through this thing we call. Well, whilst he's navigating, uh, does anybody else have anything to present on? Uh, James says he, Kim mentioned a location on the east side, but of course it started at an apartment near Drake University. Yeah, because I think the, uh, the 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 three people that founded Microware, uh, Ken Kaplan, et cetera, I think they were actually at Drake University when they started it up, if I remember correctly. Yeah, well, while he's looking, yeah, as, as you were asking, Curtis, does anybody else have – oh, he's sharing. He's sharing. There we go. There he is. And there's a building in the background there. Looks like uh... – Yep. Now, I will point out, Brian's only two feet tall, and he's actually standing on a stack of Cocoa 3s to get his height up. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Yes, there we go. So, yes. Yeah, there's a, it's kind of a uh, – it's a two-story here, and then there's this wing off off to my uh, off my uh, shoulder there um, that, that actually is, uh, goes to the front of the store. And there is a lawyer's office in the front there, and I'm not sure what this was here. But, um, yeah. I think... now, there's a picture on the side there from Alan Huffman. Is that the later – um let's see here so from what they were reading yeah there's a, there was a location on 140th street and then 118th street i think um so they must have moved to uh i think they must have moved to this location and then boise commented that they built a new building and that must have been the one that was on 118th street okay so, so that had at least four locations then but it sounded like so. wow. yeah yep cool. very cool yeah well, it's cool that you yep. got to visit a piece of history there. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've been wanting to do it because I actually probably go to Des Moines four or five times a year for my work. Did you check the uh, basement to see if the prototype Gimme or Coco 4 was in there by any chance? <laughs> was in there. No, I, I, I should venture in there. So, yes. the... so, but yeah, no. So it was kind of fun to go uh, kind of scout around a little bit during lunch. So, cool. So, yep. That's what I have. Far out, man. Anybody else got any project updates or acquisitions? Nick Brandy's, I don't think you're quite ready enough for your next zero no, hour not, blog not demo thingy. No, not yet. Um, why is my Zoom all screwed up right now? 
I think, do I still have um, Brian Spotlit? No. I don't know what the hell's going on right now. Why is my Zoom all screwed up? Yes, Zoom was doing that to me last Gallery week. view. Okay, I'm back into gallery view. I don't know what the hell's going on there. Okay. We're back in gallery view. Okay, project updates, acquisitions, show and tell, stories to tell, feelings to share. Anyone, anyone. I'm sad that all the Google threes are only going to one person. <laughs> you know what? You know, here's the here's the thing. And uh, we tease we tease Brian because it's easy. But um, there was um, I was looking at another uh, retro marketplace, and there was a guy posting the fact that he had like five different uh, Apple Lisa sets that he had. He goes, "Look, these were mine. These were original. I boxed them up. I haven't." touched them in 30 years but these are four or five different sets and here's what i want for him has prices and then people are beating the guy up on facebook just because he's posting a listing it's like i mean people can be real scumbags sometimes and it's like you know one of the guys comments saying listen this guy has kept them out of the landfill for 30 years so shut up you know because right you know just if you don't like what he's asking for him <clears> if you don't like the fact that he's saying he hasn't tested him or whatever it is don't be a dick you know and it's the reason like, why you know, anything is rare is because most people threw them out when they were old yeah yep so um right yeah no well, i tease him in incessantly myself here too but uh yeah no, well, and, and him, so. you know, one of the things I do want to talk about when I uh, when I get my uh, video and some things together to to talk about this uh, lot that I picked up is that I mean there is a number of uh, there's quite a bit of hardware that I do plan on putting back out into the community, and one of the things that I also want to do is to you know supplement or um, oh no what's the word I'm looking for. Well, I want to supplement my collection, though, but also I want to compare, you know, maybe he has something that's in better condition than mine. So there's a lot of hardware that I want to be putting out into the marketplace through different avenues. Um, not sure if it's going to be eBay, but uh, it'll be somewhere. But yeah, so like, as, as you guys were just saying, some of these machines like this here, uh, I mean, I don't know what Alton was going to do. If he couldn't sell these to anybody locally because he didn't want to ship them, what he just said, well, nobody's interested and tossed him over your shoulder yeah, exactly. into the dumpster you know i don't know so whenever there's opportunities like this i'm not leaping because i want to be the only one to get it um i've seen it happen before where i mean not too long ago here about three months ago there was a guy that put a posting on facebook he had a um uh he had a dragon 64 a cano dragon and nobody commented nobody commented i commented to him and he wanted a lot of money i said well let me know if you have any interest and I circle back two weeks later, he had no interest. So he took it to the local e-waste place. Perfectly good Cano Dragon. He's just, he was wanting way more than I was willing to pay for it. Um, but there was another lost dragon that we had. So, I mean, if we're not grabbing these things and so this hardware that I do have, yeah, I know you guys tease me a lot and it bounces off me and I just, I, you know, it's just all good humor. Um, I do plan on trying to get these out into the cocoa community. And that's the thing that I'm, that I'm trying to work through is how am I going to do that? what avenue is it going to be facebook marketplace is it going to be discord is it going to be ebay i'm not Coco sure fest. because um, right yeah. coco fest yes because i want to i want to bring this hardware out there and i want to make it available not for a 300 coco 3 maybe a 125 dollars coco 3 you know something that's more realistic but at the same token i don't want ebay flippers to grab this stuff buy an inexpensive yeah then just market up double and then mark it up and everything so I, I really want to put this stuff into coco hands so um so yeah, there'll be they'll, they'll, you'll see a lot of communication from me over the time as I as I get the opportunity to get through all this uh, collection 
and also then go through my hardware um, because I have a lot of things that I want to, because uh, I've bought other lots before, and so I have duplicates and things like that. So, yeah, I'm going to be uh, trying to get stuff out there, but um, it's just, you know, like a lot of us, it's just time. But, uh, yeah, it, the main point I want to make, though, is that, yeah, I mean, a lot of times when I pick up on this stuff, it's because I just don't want to see it go somewhere. Cost, that, yeah. You know, exactly. And yeah. I, I, the re, one of the reasons I keep pestering and asking about it, because I do, I do know you, you've mentioned before you have plans to, you know, give some of it back to the community you know, yep. or to sell it back to the community. Yep. Uh, and I want to make sure people do know that because we do, we do just about how much stuff you got. You can even see it just looking at your background there. And you want one of each unique model type things. So you have a complete history of the cocoa and, and its peripherals. But on that, as you said, you buy lots where you were looking for one or two things, but you had to get a bunch of other things with it you already have. So you are planning to return yep. those community. I want to make sure that people are aware that that stuff will be coming back out. Yep. Yep. It's just not going to be, uh, you know, hidden in some dark closet. I mean, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of stuff in storage and everything because, you know, it's only so much space. So. <laughs> but I do want to cycle things in and out, though. I, I'm actually looking at redoing what's behind me, and I want to kind of make it more of a, uh, a revolving uh, display where... I can bring different things in and out a little bit easier. Oh, you and could get Ken, uh, Ken, Ken, make it to make a rotating LED thing that you can put something <laughs> on there. That would be a revolving display. So there you go. <laughs> that would be the display like of douchery. Yeah. Or <laughs> <laughs> yep. So yeah, and I may actually bring because I'm uh, within uh, a reasonable distance of Coco Fest. I will probably be bringing a lot of stuff to Coco Fest. So. That'll be something I'll probably mention to people too as we get closer to, uh, you know, that it's it's you know maybe looking for some hardware. I might have something you're looking for that'll be at a really good price. All right. So John, there's another hint for you and Aaron to coming out to Cocoa Fest because there'll be some hardware deals going down there. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I've already got a Cocoa Three, but I think that you're on the right track, man. I think that offering this stuff for sale at Cocoa Fest versus just offering it, you know, putting it on eBay or whatever, uh, is a way to get it into the right hands so it's not just flipped again for a higher price down the road. Mm -hmm. Uh, totally agree. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. All right, Curtis, you have something you want to show and tell, do you not, sir? Yeah, if I'm the last one up, sure. Uh, last call for for updates and acquisitions. Well, you know, while we're here, if anyone needs any disc controller chips. Oh, talk about, talk about sleeves, man. tubes. Talk about <laughs> tubes of uh, chips, right? Tubes of dis, dis, WDC disc controllers. 1793 to 1773s. Just these, to play David Ladd for a moment. These are just the 73s. I had a use for them 20 years ago, and as you can see, they're quite yellow now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but They've been exposed to sunlight. You need apparently. to retrobrite your tubes, man. Has <laughs> <Right? laughs> your yeah. TRSA morphed in the background there? What happened now? Did you have a, a Model 1, uh, Patrick? Oh, there was a Model 1. It's, it's ah. on the bench, ostensibly. I'm going to fix its bad expansion I box. And I so I put the Model different. 4 back here to yeah. have something else. Or Which, 3, rather. Oh, Model 3, yeah. The biggest, emptiest Model 3 you'll ever see. It is a cassette system, so there's not even mounting brackets for disk drives in that box. Wow. Oh, it wow. It makes <laughs> it easier. historic one. It makes I, it easier I, to repack. a fair number of those cassette <laughs> ones at the first year or two, but after that, I imagine they all sold the disk drives. And that thing was a 1000 bucks. We still got the sticker on it. Cassette. Yeah, wow. Thousand bucks. Yeah, the brackets came with the first drive kit, along with the power supply and the controller card. And yeah, everything else that goes in the box to make it weigh more than five pounds. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Curtis, you have the spotlight, okay. sir. 
switch over to here. You're seeing my screen there? MAME, Color Computer Tree. And you can read the text? Yes. Okay. So uh, this is a little update on that game project I've been doing, my Skunk Works Base Canine project. So I've got a little bit more done. I don't have detection of colliding with enemies yet, but I can now walk between screens and pick up items. So I thought I'd just do a little demo. Press joystick button. Oh. And once again, this is completely in basic nine. There's no machine language or anything else in here. So it's just to see what I can do in, in basic. And this is a 6809, not a 6. It says 6 or nine on the top, but it's running in 6809 mode. So this is like stock Coco 3. Uh, system requirements will just be a Nitrous 9 EOU with uh, 512K Coco 3, and that's and a joystick, and that's pretty well it. And everything's being done on the Coco. The coding itself, the testing, drawing the graphics is done with MV Canvas. And what the heck happened there? Demo gods. Yeah. Perfect. This is a Windows 95 moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll do it live. Yeah. I know I was in the midst of doing some changes. I was trying to make some changes before the show. I wonder if I broke something and saved it in that state. <laughs> Making some changes before the show is a show Yeah, that's a stupid of... idea. I know. Yeah. I agree. So... Uh, not sure what happened there. So maybe talk some amongst yourself. I'll just discontinue the share and see if you might have an older version. Thank <laughs> God for older versions. Right. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, so what else is going on, everybody? So is there anybody actively developing for the Coco that is not part of the Coco Talk family? I'm sure. Yeah, there's lots of people. Like we 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 cover them on on the news that uh well one of them we're getting on here would be Sheldon McDonald. Yeah, I just uh, can't so, believe they don't want to come on here and plug their stuff, you know. Well, remember the guy that did Digger? Mhm. Mm um Chit. Yeah. I'm not sure we get a copyright violation by mentioning that name, so we got to be careful. Oh, I <laughs> um, well, all, I, all I said was digger. Yeah, myself. I know. Well, that, that could be a copyright violation. So, uh, eject, eject again, <laughs> saying yeah. Um, no, but there, there are, you know, there, are, um, there are plenty of people who are doing things, and uh, some of the things are stuff Curtis is able to capture to put on the news. I'm sure there's stuff happening right now that we aren't aware of too. So. There's a lot going yeah, on. Yeah, there's out a, there. quite a few people do like projects that they don't reveal until they're done. Not too many are like Nick, where they actually give you kind of sneak preview. I guess, yeah, I guess that's that's something I, I was I didn't think about. But people like they don't like to necessarily you know show you blow by blow what's going on in development. They just want to release yeah. it. Plus, some people don't want to do the vaporware thing where they promise something and then you know real life interferes or something happens and then all of a sudden they can't do it and then yeah. You know, Is that like mad. what you just did then, uh, Curtis? Oh, shut up, Nick. Um, <laughs> Actually, I think I figured what the problem was. You're so, going to fire it up again there, L. Curtis? Well, I'm going to actually try it yeah. briefly first to make sure it's fixed before I share the screen again. But uh, yeah, I think I, I there was two older versions of the source code, and I think I just changed the wrong directory with the older version that was kind of in a state of flux, flux capacitor or something here. So let me. I know this is riveting, you know, just hearing me prattle, but. This is live debugging. 
Yeah, you want to watch me code here for the next three hours? That would be awesome. <laughs> Actually, that was a successful show the last time I did that. Maybe I should. I am starting to get a little bit hungry, so be happy when we put a fork in this so I can start putting a fork in something else. <laughs> <laughs> now, Stevie, are you still doing your game? You were, you were working on that bomb game? Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have, uh, the, the, um, the um, the original version, which I was doing on the Coco VGA, the only reason why not a lot of progress is being made is because I just I don't want to have all the hardware plugged in, you know, having all the cocoa out here and everything else. So I did try to, to I did a real simple proof of concept, and you know I might just do a rewrite. But right now I'm actually thinking about getting more interested in just learning the assembly side of things. So um, oh, okay, let's try to start doing some of George's tips and tricks. Okay, here we go. Run liberation. So this this is a, a test version. So I have some extra hack code that won't be in the final game. And one of them okay. is if I'm rerunning it because I made a change, rather than reload all those stupid buffers, it'll just reload the maps and the um, details of the buffers, but not the buffers themselves. So it speeds up the load a little bit. So I will do that. Okay. And press joystick button, which is just a quick little hack. So this should go a little bit faster. Okay. Oh, yeah. And the sound effects are neat. They're not your standard basic-y type sound effects. Yeah, I tried to come up with something. I'm going to be doing something different. The one ML routine I'm going to do in here is a little sound player for doing very short digitized samples. So is these there are one kind one of placeholder sounds for now. Sorry, Ron? Is there one one that finishes? Yep. The mines, prison cell. This is really cool looking. You awake. And for those who have not seen the demo before, I'll let you read this briefly here before mm -hmm. I... But basically, it's giving you kind of the premise of the game, at least enough of a start. Now, I will be doing some, like, I'm going to make the manual purposely a little bit vague. Like, I'll give you some key things that you do need to know. Uh -huh. But I want it to be a, a, a thing of exploration where you're kind of yeah. learning things. And learning too, I tell so. you what, so there's a game I just played on the Xbox that was a free download if you're a gold member. And it's called Planet Alpha. And it is, it plays like a classic um, platformer, but there's a lot of, um, you have to figure out how to solve puzzles and stuff, but it's a game where there's no narrative. You don't know who you are, where you are, or why you're there, and so you kind of learn as you go. It was really neat, very well done. Um, it, the, the levels and the plays, it played very much like a 16-bit 2D platformer. Okay. Just using modern graphics and stuff, but the idea of not knowing where you are or why you're there, I find intriguing. You know, kind of like learning things along the way. Wow, look at that. This guy really swings his arms, doesn't he? He does. Yeah, he's, he's running, man. Now, I will mention, uh, MAME is running it a little bit slower than real hardware, but I do have some optimizations I have to still go through, and I've packed the whole thing down for Basic 9. And these uh, are so basically uh, the first few levels here, you're basically just timing. You can't shoot back at the robots, so you basically just have to duck into places and let them go by. So it's basically timing at this point. Is that a gold key or a half of a skull face? Does that answer your question? You have found a key. Use the key. Save key to open doors. Yeah, that'd be a nice sound bite to pull out there from Gauntlet. Yeah, right. So, yeah, no, the color scheme is really nice. The uh, characters are well designed. The animation's good. Yeah, just a little slow in this case because it's yeah. well, one to six eight or nine, and, and two, it's not fully 
you know, packed and compiled. So, so for those of us that don't have the uh, the the CPU, the six three zero nine, is is it going to run this fast whenever we try it on real hardware? This this is actually six eight zero nine mode, so this is it'll run a little bit faster actually than this on real hardware. Okay. In fact, when I play it on real hardware now on six eight zero nine, my runs a little bit faster because Mame is a little bit slower for some reason on on my machine, but that might be because I'm running it through Fusion on a Mac OS ten. So I see. And then I'm going to decide on how big the hit attack box of like when it runs over you. I'm going to give you a little bit of leeway where you won't get you know hit if you just nudge the edge of him. Right. And then also um, the the lives there are not just pure. You know, each time you get hit, you lose a life because otherwise you'd be dead pretty quick. It's going to be each has I don't remember the animation when the hearts grow up to okay. the full size. Yeah. So it's three sizes of hearts, and every time you get hit, it's going to shrink. So you'll okay. get three hits, then you are onto the next life type thing. That's cool. Yeah, this is neat. The little character has sunglasses on. Huh? <laughs> Level one, the mines. I like how the screen loads. Oh, now you have two keys. Yeah, this is really cool, Curtis. Yep, so I'm just going to show you one or two more screens here. I'll, I'll just kind of skip over and not do everything you're supposed to do in the game here properly just to get through it quick. But and What is the E? Is that exit? Uh, no, it's an energy charger. Oh, energy charger. Oh, yeah. Which you now, need a gun, otherwise it's useless. So. Now, did you say that at some point you're going to actually acquire an offensive weapon? Yep, I'll show you where that is actually on this next screen. Okay. So this is kind of a teaser thing. Like, I there's an energy charge for your gun, but you don't have a gun yet. In fact, I'm not even sure if I'm going to mention the direction you need the gun first. I might let the player figure that out. We'll have to figure that out when I get into beta testing. This game is perfect for me. You can't get hurt. Nothing happens. <laughs> Walk around. It's not, not too fast. Yeah. Oh, there's a gun. And there's one spot where if you when you first come on here, that robot's coming right at you at the start, and you, you're still not armed yet, so you have to literally run and get up the hallway quickly. So your yeah. player will probably die because most people stand and look at the screen first. Mm -hmm. So that'll be like a jump scare type thing that, you know, once you know it's there, it's easy to get around. This uh, odd colored rock here is one that once you get the gun, you'll be able to shoot it and destroy okay. it. Okay. This is really cool, Curtis. Very good quality. I uh, guess I should have grabbed the key in the other room. Now I'm going to have to wander all the way over here, unlock the door to get to the gun. And you'll see a, a boulder on the left yeah. hand. Yeah. Will that fall? The gravity? Uh, not gravity, but you will be able to push it. Okay. And will it block the um, Hoover vacuum-looking thing, sir? Yep. Okay. <laughs> and you notice if you get an object for the second time, it doesn't pop up the overlay because you know what it is. So it's meant as an introduction to what each object is. It'll pop up an overlay telling you what it is the first time you encounter it, and okay. then never again. Ken wants to know, will the boulder bounce? No. <laughs> is this based off of another... Of a, a game, or is this like a you found a gun. no? I'm trying to be original on this one. Like maybe people have played a ton of arcade games. Maybe I'm you know unintentionally borrowing stuff from other things, but I'm trying to make an original style game. It's not uh, derived from anything. It's probably inspired from a lot of stuff in this genre. Like I'm thinking like Night Stalker, uh, things like that. There's a lot of games, Wizard of War. You know, there's a million games you yeah. could say that. Well, they take place in a maze, and you're shooting at things, and things are moving around. So that those mechanics are not new, but what you do with them. 
Yeah, one, one thing I will mention here, I mentioned it to Nick when I was doing testing here, but like I, I, like when the player's running sideways, his head bobs up and down a little bit, and once it's animated faster, it'll look a bit more smooth. But you'll notice that, yeah, I kind of tried to simulate that by having him like run a little bit fast and slow down as he's taking steps. And I found out that psychologically, when you're trying to get away from a robot that's coming at you at a different angle and you're trying to run up a corridor to get away from it, it actually makes it more suspenseful because even though you know the exact pace it's going to speed up and slow down, so you know how long it's going to take to get up, it actually makes you think, maybe I'm not going to make it. Maybe I'm going to get hit, I think. So that was an accident. And, and Nick and I talked about sometimes you do a programming and it's actually a bug and it actually turns out to be better than your original plan. That's one of them. But don't tell anyone. Oh, whoops, sorry. <laughs> there goes my Lamborghini, damn it. Get a re relabel it as a feature. Pedro's asking if you drew everything, if you just didn't. Yes. And God is that a pain in the ass. I'm not an artist. Yeah, the diamonds <laughs> look good. Everything looks good so far that we're the, seeing. The initial coding of this to get it up, like the editor for making the maps and the actual, uh, you know, the core code to start <laughs> animating and drawing screens took me two weeks. It took me longer than that just to draw the stupid tiles. Yeah. Jeremy says, there are no such thing as bugs, only happy accidents. <laughs> 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 to quote Bob Ross, right? You found a mind gem adds to your score. Woohoo! That's a thousand point bonus there. Nice. I, I do, you know, some people may think it's stupid, but I do like the fact that you explain things as you pick them up because yeah. I've played so many games where I collect things and there's never any explanation yeah. what of is what, what they yeah. do. Yeah. 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 I mean, the discovery points for me are like, you'll, you'll find that there's certain ways you should go through the maze because otherwise you can get to the point where you've used up a key and you can't get to something. So you have to wander back screens to get an extra key. So there's definitely optimized ways to go through things. You'll kind of discover those as you go. And technically, you could theoretically push a boulder and actually block yourself up and finishing, in which case you'll have to have a force restart or something like that. Um, but I'll, I'll kind of figure those out as I, as I go take thing. Just an idea and, that you've had sketched out on paper, so to speak, uh, for a while? Or is this yeah, and there's, there's like, I'm planning on having five or six levels by the time I'm done. And like this first level is, I'll, I'll spoil that right now. There's nine screens on the first level and some of the levels are bigger. So... I mean, but is this like an idea that you had like three years ago? You just never really got around to it? or No, I, I think I just started on it last year, actually. It was, it was going to be like a COVID project. Hmm. <laughs> and there's, here's my first bug that I got to fix here because I'm actually popping onto that diamond, but it's because I normally have pickups, you run into them because this drops you right onto it. It doesn't actually detect it. So mm. if I exit the room and come back in, the diamond's still there and you don't get points, so I gotta fix that. But mm. and you'll see in the upper left corner I have a robot that he's supposed to actually be moving, not just animated, because he's a vertical moving robot. So it's okay. the first level you see those. So there's you know, gradually things get added, things get a bit more complex. I like it. It looks really good. And this is basic. You gotta keep telling yourself that. It's not Yeah. Oops. Now it's trying to go to a file. I didn't want to do that. I'll just go to the screen. You don't need to see anyway. Just hit clear. Just hit clear. So you're looking at an engine and transmission out of a um, Lamborghini on this one. So here's like some of the actual code here. That's the main outlying program that you know kind of commands and brings in modules. The thing I want to do here is to show a basic nine program where the game's bigger than 64K. So the main liberation program itself here is kind of like the it does the preset it has some common routines at all the different levels we use like reading the joystick and the keyboard and that kind of stuff 
And then for each level you're in, each set of screens, it's going to bring in a module for that specific one. So I can have completely different shapes, different physics, different dynamics, everything. I won't in every level. I'll probably use some common ones, but uh, you can basically just keep bringing in chunks, you know, 16 or 24K chunks of program and just map them in as you need them while this part stays in there all the time. So like, you know, this is basically just all based on code. Yeah. Oh, could you scroll back about five screens? I missed that one. No, <laughs> okay, there you go. Yeah, I think we found your bug, Curtis. It's right there. It's right there. So cool stuff. Very impressive. Very nice. Visually, Very impressive. visually stunning. This is on par with like Nick and Tim's hair, and just how luxurious it looks. <laughs> We're talking about the, uh, that soul-scrolling uh, MSX thing. That's kind of the same thing you're seeing here. Of course, we're doing it by brute force with 32K screen. So here it on is. the 6 or 9, this runs much faster. Uh, go to UI mode and hit page down. You mean to speed it up? or? Yeah. Nah. I, I'm trying to write up. this. You know, I, I'm trying to get this to run on the actual Cocoa. So I, when I run it in MAME, it's just to demo it? No, I Actually. just want to. I, I wanted you to speed up the scrolling. That's all. Oh. <laughs> Well, we'll see the 6 through 9 is much, much faster. It's scrolling, and the Gimme X with the 6 through 9 is even much faster yet. So you have some options even on the real hardware. Are you going to have to put in any type of wait states at some point in time where the you know, the game might end up, you might have to have it wait on like frame locking or something? Well, the the animation, I've got a, a palette animation that's you know flashing the name of the level mm -hmm. that you may have seen. And um, also the robot's eyes pulse. And uh, the energy, the E and energy pulses as well. So those are things actually are done using pallets that I'm actually basing on the clock ticks. Okay. Now, there was plans in the level two version three upgrade. There's actually going to be a system call that's called animate pallet, which will actually will do this for you at the system level. I'm cheating and doing it through Basecode 9 right now itself. Mm -hmm. Basecode 9's time function only gives you seconds. It doesn't give you parts to the second. So what I'm doing is I'm actually going into the system RAM with the system processor OS 9 itself, and I'm grabbing the tick counter and telling it to copy it across to my process. And then I do a, a logical and on that to do it. I think it's every 20 or 15 or something like that ticks that it'll, it'll change the pallets. Yeah. But you'll notice that on some of the screens that are busier, it'll sometimes miss them every once in a while. So it'll, it'll not quite animate consistently at the same speed. I'm hoping once I pack it, and also if I do get that animate pallet command in the operating system before I release the game itself, that uh, it'll totally smooth that over. But it doesn't look too bad. I mean, you guys didn't complain about it being all wacky. So. No, no. David Craker is asking for an After Dark episode with code walkthrough. So, um, <laughs> and speaking Well, of I will mention this. This I actually am planning on selling this, not for very much, but it's going to be a fundraiser for Nitrous 9 EOU, basically, because we're not allowed to charge for Nitrous 9 with our agreement with Microware. So this will be just kind of a silly little fundraiser, but it's going to include all the source code. I'm not going to just pack it and give you the executables and away you go. It's going to have, you know, documentation on the code. It's going to have actual code itself the entire thing including the level editor and stuff too that i haven't shown before so well and speaking of code walkthrough we uh rick adams is wanting to do something as well on the show oh yeah that's an announcement i forgot to say so yeah please, yeah please so rick adams is going to want to do some uh, just taking a look at some of his older games or newer games or whatever and just show not necessarily how to write the game but how to just kind of source code looking at a few things in assembly um, on on some of the games he's made and showing us and, and kind of walking through, talking through some of the code on pieces of that. And one of the things that I thought would be 
um, neat to see because what I'm loving with what George J is doing right now is, you know, the whole X, Y coordinate, putting something on the screen on the VDG screen. Like, you know, if I can see it and visualize it and mentally put something where I'm thinking on purpose type stuff, that really helps me grasp the concepts. And so one of the things I'd asked Rick about when he pitched this idea to me was I go, you know what I'd love to see? I would love to see how you do fonts on a graphic screen. You know, because it's something we take for granted. You look at Temple of Rom, it's got that really cool writing across the screen. How the hell is he doing it? You know, how did he design the fonts themselves in assembly code? And then what's he using them to put on the screen? How is he doing a basically a print command on a graphic screen? So that was just one suggestion. I said, that's something I'd love to see. Just how to blast a font in assembly. Um, so I'm not sure what he's going to show us, but that was an idea that I had that I personally would like to see how to do because these are things I'm going to want to know how to do one of these days too, you know, so, um, yep. yeah. And, um, I had also mentioned to Tim Lindner, who's here now too, like, I, I love it when you give us some updates on what you're doing on MAME. And then every now and then, if you have something we can throw in the newsletter for that, that would be great. Cause we did that one, I think in the year end wrap up a MAME update. So from time to time when you've got some little tidbits on what's what, what's been done to MAME, you know, if we could talk about that on the show and throw that in the newsletter, that would be great. Mm -hmm. Um I did give you uh thanks before you got here about helping me edit everything this time around. So um okay, you're welcome. Yeah, 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 a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah. Uh cool. Good times. Good times. What else? What have we not said? What have we not done? We've not said that Tony Pedraza is doing better. That is true. We haven't oh, said right. it. Yes. Thank you. Ron Delvaux. Yes. So during the course of the week, uh, Tony Pedraza, former vice president of Glenside Color Computer Club and the um, kind of Coco Fest coordinator, whatnot, uh, was in the hospital. Now he's out of the hospital, had some scares with the heart and had some stuff going on, but he's home. He's recovering and that's good. So, um, yes, thank you for reminding us on that. Yes. Um, always good to hear when that happens. Um, which, you know, it's like, dude, none of us are getting any younger. And that's why I'm, I'm looking forward to Cocoa Fest. I want to see people, you know. Um, so good. Good times. And, yeah, speedy recovery, Tony. Um, what else? What have we not said? I think he's back home now. He's actually totally out Yeah, I saw a picture on Facebook from Linda where he's home. Yeah, I think one of the... One of the notes was he was saying just to show you his sense of humor is like, I guess is something somehow he had some pain in his ribs, either from when he fell or when they were defibrillating or something. But he's saying the worst part was, is that when you have sore ribs, it's hard to laugh and not being able to laugh is was for him was worse than actually having a died from the heart attack. It was so he's like, I just can't wait till I can laugh again where it doesn't hurt. So uh, <laughs> Jeremy Lauder says, speak for yourself. I'm getting younger. Okay, so cool. Um, yeah, so I look forward to that Rick Adams thing. And yeah, I mean, we keep saying, you know, we should do an after dark and I'm not opposed to doing the after dark. I'm not sure I'm going to be awake enough to do it, but that's why I'm trying to get other people to be backup streamers. But theoretically, we could do an after dark any evening that it requires at least two things. It requires at least one or two people to actually want to do the show and then requires a person to stream it. And sometimes I'm awake enough or not in the food coma enough to do it, or maybe that's something Mark B might want to do. And we're trying to get other people to do it too. But I would love to get to the point where at any given time, if somebody wants to spin up a show and do it, that we can. Um, you know, we have people who have access to the stuff to be able to do it. It's just coordinating that sometimes. And there's Discord. There's all, yeah, there's always Discord. If you want an After Dark, just get on Discord. Then we don't have to stream that. You just remember what happens on Discord stays on Discord, right? So, um, cool. 
Anything else that we haven't mentioned or not mentioned? Um, well, you, you guys were asking me about, uh, somebody asked me, am I going to work, continue to work on my game? I mean, all, all these things are things that I'll do as my time and energy permit. But another thing, a pet project that I haven't started, but I'm getting more motivated to start, especially listening to the interview of, of Stefan, was, you know, adventure games, because that was one of my original early motivations and passions to get into computing too, was not only to be able to play games on the Coco, but to play adventure games. And the reason why I got interested in adventure games is because before I got a computer, I used to play Dungeons and Dragons with my friends, you know, so your pen and paper RPGs, right? And so the whole imagining where you are, the dungeon master saying, yes, you're in a room and it is five feet wide by 10 feet deep, all these things that we did in person, to me, as like, okay, if I'm playing a text adventure, that's like a single player version of Dungeons and Dragons. You know, it's the same idea. You're, you have to mentally imagine where you are and do things. So I w I've been in, in interested in text adventures as long as I've been interested in computers. And so that's been kind of, you know, uh, that's very sentimental for me. And I have uh, uh, something in my mind where I want to create my own kind of text adventure game engine, but just make it a little bit not so scrolly have certain things always on the screen in different like windows or compartments and stuff so all this stuff has been turning in my mind a lot of this was inspired by stuff i saw from curtis showing us stuff on the dragon some of those dragon games that yeah. keep certain Very things on the screen you know so so i've had all these little seeds that have been planted and this is one of my one of my many passion projects but i'm i, I might in, in addition to trying to learn assembly i might start leaning towards working on that and part of me is saying okay listen this inform engine and this Z interpreter, all these things are already there. So why do I want to write a program to be to be to do an adventure game? But sometimes that's just the fun. It's like kind of like Nick Morenti's. He's not going to take somebody else's sprite compiler. He's going to do it himself. You know. So sometimes it's just the challenge. Because he's old and stubborn. Yeah. You know. So yes. Stupid. Listening to Stefan's interview, it's like okay, yeah, I don't necessarily need to write the engine. The engines are out there, but I kind of want to write the engine because. <laughs> You know, for all the same reasons we do what we do, because we're crazy, right? So, um, but yeah, I think uh, just adding a splash of color and a little bit of segmented screen panels uh, to the same format might just be a nice Yeah, like you were spin. mentioning when I showed that Stranded at a Gas game that we added on to the latest EOU release that yeah. Sheldon, or who was it, did it? Sean Driscoll did back in the day. Yeah. Where he had the little 3D look and he had the different areas for, you know, inventory and yeah. senior. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that kind of stuff, and that's been going on since the Apple II. They've had games like that that have had the split screen and the status and yeah. all kind of stuff. So, yeah, so yeah, all kinds of things in the back of the brain that to work on. So, uh, cool, 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 cool. Are we ready to put a fork in this one? Um, I think we could. Well, I mean, I have, uh, I could do. I know you want to get going though, but since Tim was on, I do have an acquisition that I got from Tim. Go ahead. I, I just I bought it five I minutes ago. I, <laughs> <laughs> just five minutes ago. But I could do a quick little flash through real quick on just some of the items from the box and maybe Tim has a comment or two. If not, I'll just do a quick little flash just to no, show some of the things that uh, were in the box because it was kind of, uh, it, was, it was, he has some nice stuff that he was. My, my first available. question is this part of the Marty Goodman collection? Uh, uh, partially and partially uh, selling off my childhood. No, <laughs> oh. there we go. Okay, so I'll just quickly, like I said, I'll flash through some of the stuff here that was in in, in the group there. So, Forest of Doom, Doom. Yeah. Forest of Doom, um, nice box of uh, Home Publisher, mm. which we need there. 
Um, this isn't going to be in any particular order, just the stack that I pulled it out of the box there. So uh, one-liners for the uh, color computer. Take my wife, please. <laughs> <laughs> Take my cocoa, please. <laughs> Max, Max Edit Ooh. 1.0. What was that? Um, was that a, I Coco think that was a font, a font editor for Max 10. Okay. Um, also, the, the discs are in a box, but uh, these are all the little inserts from the Rainbow on Discs. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, all the discs are in, a, in another box down here. So, but, uh, And, and those. I archived those a long time ago and put them up. So they're all in the archive ready. Yeah. Cool. And then Desert Rider. Mm, Steve York's game. Here we are. Max 10. <laughs> Ken says, is that a disc in a box? <laughs> It's just my disc in a box. Oh, we have an uh, interesting group, don't we? Uh, <laughs> you know, does anybody else have any experience with Max 10? Am I the only one who's ever used it? I I've used it for my catalog for a long time. Yeah, I love that program. Absolutely. Yeah, it's one of the best it. best programs. It was one of the hidden secrets. And they sold it as a bundle with uh, Cocomax okay, 3, Max. I think. And it was Ron, like an you, awesome desktop publishing system. Ron, you use this, don't you? For some of your things? I have. Or, yeah. Past. Yeah. Loved it. Cocomax 3? 3. Yeah, that was a companion piece for it. Uh, this is uh, Those Darn mar Marbles, a uh, special effects disc. Yeah. So Bleak Triad, that's a Canadian company that did a version of Marble Maze for the Coco 3 512K with hardware vertical scrolling. Okay. 16 color is awesome. I'll be checking that one out. Digitized uh, sound effects, too. Biosphere. Nice. Yep. That one's on EOU right now, if you want to try it. There we go. Uh, some cooking tips there with... Uh, is that Gordon Ramsay? It may. This is the cookbook there. So. I don't know. They should have a little uh, balloon with a bunch of swear words in it, shouldn't it? Yeah, right. Yep. And there, there's, there's, a, the, yeah, there's nice. the boxed one there, so... Yep. And then uh, ADOS. Here, so... Art Flexer. That's right. the original ADOS for the Coco 1 and 2, too, because he made an ADOS 3 and ADOS 3 extended for the Coco 3. And then uh, The Rainbow, Volume 1, Number 1. Holy crap. That oh, wow. Is a, that's the reprint from. Yeah, a that's years the reprint later. that they included with Rainbow. I have that one, too. Right. And the, yep. and the free yep. coffee stain. Yeah. And yeah. the free coffee stain. <laughs> but still, it, it, I, I just like the look of it because it has that. Wow. So I just We're not it, so. without laboratory I can't tell results. Tim, was we that can't a medium or dark roast coffee, coffee you're having? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Here we taste it there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, uh, Nick here, we got some Australian Australian OS oh, yeah, 9 newsletter. newsletter. Yep. Yes, I'm sure that, Nick that's Richards Nick's favorite. It has OS 9 in the title. So yeah, exactly. There we go. <laughs> Crikey. Um, a service manual for the speech sound pack. Oh, yeah, because there's lots of things that needed to be serviced in that cartridge, wasn't there? <laughs> yeah. Every like now and then you had to tighten up a nut or a bolt in it, right? So <laughs> That just showed up on eBay one day. That was an amazing find. The service manual? Yeah. Yeah. And Sands of Sands Egypt. Sands of Egypt, nice. Yep. And then... Um... This is phase two of uh, of uh, Brian. Right. Uh, yeah. Rainbow Fest. Oh, yeah. Bag. Look at, at that. The, the bags it's they the give bag. you for free at Rainbow Fest nice. all your loot That's and your nice. emotional stuff. There you go. So, yeah, that was kind of neat. I did might you, still have some of those. Did you say stuff. emotional stuff or promotional stuff? <laughs> yeah, it's emotional bag. It does like a bag. Here's a bag for all my emotional baggage. <laughs> I need a bigger bag, man. <laughs> 
My bag's got a hole in the bottom. Yeah. And the tech sheets there for the uh, yeah, 1647 nice. and 21. Real data sheets. Real data Tim, sheets. Where, where do you live, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, MicroWorks. Um, uh, the, uh, oh, the AC assembler. Cool. Yep. That's what Star Blaster was written in, if I remember. The Asteroids clone we had on Game On not too long ago. Okay. Max Sound. I've never used that. I don't know where I got that from. Okay. Yeah, it's a digitized sound. If I remember to use the joystick port to record sound samples, then you can play them back on a Coco 3, fairly high oh, fidelity, cool. like 9 kilohertz cool. or something like that. Performance peripherals uh, memory test. Okay. Yeah, because they sold There's... their own 512K upgrade board. Let's see here. What else we got here? Getting, uh, Telewriter 64 manual. Nice. God, I use that a lot. Very popular. That, yep. that was the word processor of choice for me on the Coco 1 2. I know a lot of people went with Viprider, but that was the one I used. Here's the disassembler for the. Cool. No. And what else we got here, real quick here? A uh, nice boxed version of DL Logo. Oh, wow. Dale Lear. That's Dale Lear's. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And. Is somebody clipping their nails right now? I keep hearing like a clipping sound. <laughs> uh, anyone? Anyone? RS-232 program pack and manual. Yeah, it, and it's in a very nice uh, non-yellowed. Uh, so that was, uh, I like that. So that's yeah. cool. And then, um, not sure about pronouncing the name here, but uh, Eichen Systems, e e Basic e Aid. E okay, Basic Aid. Basic Aid. That was not the one that did the short keys like on the MC-10 where you could hit a key and another one to get the yep. keywords typed yeah. in automatically. Yep. And it came with a little overlay for the uh, chiclet the keyboard. Template, huh? No. Right. Yeah, that was when I, I haven't had a chance to dig in and look at this here, so that was kind of neat. And it's in those neat cases. I don't know where they had these, but they're kind of a those, riveted case. Those are vacuum-formed. Yeah. yeah. I really like those. That's yeah, cool. So so thank you, Tim, for uh, making these available and letting me... Uh, no problem. And thanks, Tim, for, for enabling Brian even further. Further, yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> thanks. thanks a lot. That's cool. <laughs> Brian, you need to open up a freaking museum at some point in time. You know what I mean? You, you know, you, you, I've you actually, probably could. I've actually thought about that. I've. Uh, it's interesting that you say that because I've even thought about trying to. I mean, obviously, where I live, uh, there's not a lot of people around me, but I thought about trying to put like some sort of a mobile, for lack of a better term, museum. You know, something I could bring. I don't think they make trucks that big to hold all your stuff. <laughs> You have to be a freaking caravan. Brian Weasler's Coco Caravan. <laughs> Tour dates coming soon. Tour dates. Right? <laughs> right. If there's something I could put together to some kind of cabinets, I've actually thought about how I could do something like that. Uh, David's you calling know. it a Coco Seum, right? So come to, come to the Coco Seum, right? So, yeah, that's go. good. Or maybe like Field of Dreams. You build it, they will come. That's that. No. Okay. Will it come to Australia? You could have like ladies' night, you know, at the Coco CM and stuff. So girls get in free. That'll bring the guys. It's just yeah, it's, it'll be a, th a whole big thing, right? So, um, cool. Popcorn, so. A so, new building. Thank you. Kevin Holloway's mentioning the eight bit guy. Does the eight bit guy have a building now? Yeah, he's just been building a new one. Uh, yep. Last while. Yeah. Got a new studio shed in the backyard. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool. His. Uh, his existing studio was actually just a uh, just a bedroom uh, in the corner of his house. There, it was really small. Uh, when I went to go visit him, I mean that room couldn't have been ten by ten. Is where he shoots all of his videos from. Wow, very very small, very tight. So yeah, it, 
looks bigger than you think, Mike. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Oh, all right. On that note, we need to put a fork in this. All right. Uh, Happy Fourth of July, everybody. Tomorrow, be safe. Uh, Remember not to drink too much before you start blowing stuff up. All that kind of good stuff. Too late, John. Yeah. All right. So. (laughs) All right. So uh, everybody, say goodbye. Curtis Boyle, say goodbye. Everybody say goodbye. Well, for, goodbye. First, the first thing I'll say is be here next week for an interview with Marcus Boomer. If you have any questions, and if any of you old timers were here when he was running the Cocoa site and have any questions for him, make sure you have them ready for next week. All right. Uh, any final thoughts? Curtis Boyle, you said your final thoughts? Yeah, that was yes. my final thought. Rick, you lend any week. final thoughts for you? No, try not to blow something off tomorrow. That's right. Uh, Ron Delvo, final thoughts? Yeah, I had a um, Cocoa on uh, overnight. And it was like 107 degrees here, and um, it ran and, and kept running and never overheated. So I don't know how that guy's co- cocoa could overheat. Oh, that was Canadian retro. It depends things. on the upgrade because I, I, I did the same thing. We were 105 yesterday, and I was running my cocoa the whole time with no problems. But I'm running one of the new, you know, Give Me X style memory boards that, or the static RAM boards that don't take as much memory or heat. Yeah, he had, he had one of the Tandy uh, memory uh, upgrades in his, and they run mm-hmm. hot. With the yeah. upside down chips and everything. Yeah. It was warm, but it, it, you know. Was it a Coco 3 with old fashioned yeah. RAM upgrade? It had, um, yeah, the um, Tandy um, upgrade, uh, Tandy 512. Okay. That would It doesn't matter how how hot it is outside, it's how good your air conditioning is. Right. Well, this was in my, my uh, observatory in the back. There's no air conditioning. Mm. Yeah, Ken, Ken, Ken's saying that his house was 115 at the time he shot the video. Yeah. That's 105 for me. Mark Bosley, thanks for doing the show last week. Any final thoughts? No. At least we got an old one piece this time. Yeah, well, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Brian Weasler, thanks for a show and telling. Uh, any final thoughts from you? Nope. Everybody have a nice weekend. All right. John, any final thoughts from you? None for me. Have a happy fourth, everybody. Any, any uh, positive things you could say about the Atari 8-bit system before we go? Uh, I'll save those for next time. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Lindner, you are a MAME madman, and we thank you. Uh, have you got your Coco 3 yet? Uh, have you got your Coco 3? Well, Brian's if you got don't, a couple. I know where it is. Hi, Brian. Yeah, Brian's got a couple. <laughs> Nick Morota, the hair is looking fabulous. Thank you. I heard I have competition, though. Yeah, Tim's giving you a run you for his step money. It up, Nick. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His has kind of got a little bit of frosting, a little highlighting going on there. It's got, uh, you know, a little something, something going on there. So. I have a yeah. literal hot cocoa. <laughs> Nick Morentes, crikey. Did you stay awake for the whole show? Oh, yeah. And I haven't had a decent thought in my mind yeah, for years. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's All how right. you make good games. Grant Leedy's out there saying goodbye. James Jones, goodbye. Canadian Retro Things. Rocky Hill, J- Jeremy Landry, David Craker, Eric Canales, 8 Bits in the Basin. Canadian Retro Things. Jim Rye, Kevin Holloway, and uh, David Craker, Ken Reichard, and Chris Duras is out there, and L. Curtis Boyle, and Rocky Hill. Pedro has been out there. Sixie Karen has been out there. Jeremy Landry. And James Jones and Rocky Hill and Sixie and James Jones and Explore has been out there. Erico was out there and Torsten was out there. Hey, Torsten, uh, This Week in Retro and Nick Moroda and Erico and uh, Kevin Holloway in Vocal Studio, who's DeBruce Moore and Ken Reichard, Lad MD. Is that David Ladd by any chance? 
I don't know. Maybe. I do like James's comment when you were asking for some advice and stuff. You said, don't let your leftovers sit at room temperature. <laughs> and Grant Leaney. All right. On the count of three, let's say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Next Bye. week. There was no All count. Right. We are pressing the button.